We are proud to announce WrestleCopia brand and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, which you can find over at www.wrestlecopia.com. That's WrestleCopia.com, WrestleCopia.com. You may have heard me mention the WrestleCopia brand in passing on a variety of our shows. You might be asking, what is WrestleCopia? Well, the name derives from the words wrestle for wrestling and copia, which is defined as having plenty or an abundance of. It's abundance of wrestling history over at WrestleCopia.com as the podcast never continues to grow with a variety of podcasts. Everything from our show, The Wrestling Memory Grenade, where we take a trip down memory lane to wrestling history's past as we analyze and dissect complete years of wrestling history from your favorite promotions, to Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, an in-depth look and weekly breakdown of the entire Raw vs. Nitro War. TR Shocks the World, where host Tom Robinson makes his long-awaited return to the wrestling airwaves. Tom does everything from break down the current product to share inside stories and memories from years gone by. It's discretion advised as TR shocks the world with his strong opinions, hilarious impressions, and so much more. The WrestleCopia News Network is a special feature podcast. You can expect more late-breaking news, timely discussions, and tributes to the fallen legends on future episodes of WCNN. We've also got other podcasts being prepped for their debuts, including a territory-based show we like to call The Money and the Miles. There's an old saying in the world of professional wrestling that nothing in this business is real except the money made and the miles traveled. In this podcast, we discuss the territory era, with shows focusing on everything from show reviews to yearly breakdowns to episodes focusing on some of the rare, lesser-known territories and outlaw promotions of yesteryear. Stop on over to WrestleCopia.com for all the latest shows and follow us on Twitter, at WrestleCopia. That's on Twitter, at WrestleCopia, for all the latest news and information on the podcast network. Turn it on and rip the knob off. Guys, welcome back to the Wrestling Memory Grenade. We're on episode number 51. We've passed that milestone edition, episode 50, September 93 in the WWF last week. What an amazing show it was to do. I was happy to bring it to you, and I got a lot of great feedback for that one. But we continue to move on here in 1993 in the WWF. And with 50 episodes behind us, here's to another 50 more here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. Who knows where we'll be when we hit episode number 100, but that's a long ways off. We're going to start all over again. Another 50 to go to get there. And we start right here with October of 1993 in the WWF. I'm your host, Ray Russell, and we're going to get right into things because October, it's a longie, guys. That's right, five weeks of WWF TV to get through this week, plus all the news and notes as well. So let's get right into everything, shall we? Let's talk about social media. You guys can listen to the Wrestling Memory Grenade as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network on WrestleCopia.com and all of your favorite podcast streaming apps. 
from Apple, Spotify, Google Pod, Pocket Cast, Overcast, Stitcher, TuneIn, Audible on Amazon, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Castro, Podbean, Radio Public, Breaker, Himalaya, Listen Notes, so many more, guys. And remember, we're now also available on the Facebook app here in the United States as part of our RSS feed there. We're everywhere, guys, and coming to YouTube very soon. It's also at this time I must announce right here on the show once again a reminder the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network are looking for new co-hosts. That's right, you heard me. New co-hosts for our shows, full-time, part-time, guest co-hosts from other shows. Come plug your show here at WrestleCopia, and let's have some fun conversation in the process. It's all about creating content for our listeners out there. But yes, you heard me right. I'm looking for a new full-time co-host here, right here on The Grenade. Also, our sister show, Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. I'm happy to announce that Tom Robinson of the 605 Super Podcast fame, Tom Robinson, who has his very own show here on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, entitled TR Shocks the World. Tom plans to jump in for some upcoming episodes of The Grenade, perhaps of Monday Warfare and beyond. Tom at home healing right now. Get well, Tom. We'll talk to you really soon on the air once again, buddy. And you guys can say hello to Tom, follow Tom, give him some well wishes, do whatever you want. Just don't stalk him. Actually, it's Tom. He might like that. I'm not really sure. But you guys can follow and talk to Tom at TRShock on Twitter. And I've had a couple of inquiries about this, so I want to mention this again on the air as well. In regards to how we run the show, yes, guys, we're an audio-only podcast. So for those of you not interested in looking dapper on a weekly basis in order to record a show, no video right now here in the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. And for those interested in joining the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, perhaps the next co-host here of The Grenade, you guys can contact me, Ray Russell, about becoming a co-host here as part of the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, or perhaps right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade by emailing me at WrestleCopia at gmail.com. That's WrestleCopia at gmail.com, or drop me a DM on Twitter, at Rasslin Grenade, that's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. And speaking of Twitter, let's talk about our social media. You guys can follow the Wrestling Memory Grenade on Twitter, at Rasslin Grenade. Again, that's R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade on Twitter, home of the free prize giveaway. You can also follow and like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Grenade. And be sure to follow us on Twitter, follow and like us on Facebook for your chance to enter and win future free prize giveaways. There will be more coming very soon, guys. Lots of new free prizes. I pulled things out of the woodwork, out of my storage room. Lots of great giveaways coming around the corner, including some rarities going back, going way back to the 1950s. I got some boxer and wrestler magazines I'm looking to unload and some other fun things from the 80s and 90s as well, magazine-wise. But that's not all. Also, I have some autographed promo picks, 8x10s of Barry Windham, Hacksaw Duggan, Karen and Jeff Jarrett together as a couple and separate. Jeff Hardy. Yes, Jeff Hardy, guys. I'm looking to give away a Jeff Hardy autographed promo pick and even pictures, beautiful autographed pictures of Maria Kanellis. So much more. Giving them away free. So follow now for your chance to win. It's that simple. All you got to do is follow us on Twitter. Follow and like us on Facebook, one or the other. Do both. Double your chance to win. And tell your friends. And if they don't want the prize, have them give it to you. But yes, here at The Grenade, we make it that simple. Just follow us for your chance to win. The next free prize giveaway will be announced very soon, so stay tuned to social media for that. Also, guys, go to our YouTube channel. We have a YouTube channel at youtube.com slash Grenade. 
I've added so much content over the last several weeks. I've uploaded at least through July of 93 in the USWA versus WWF feud. More to come very soon there. I began adding March of 93 in the WWF TV. Some real rarities there as well, as well as some house show matches you guys maybe have never seen before, including Bret Hart teaming with the likes of Mr. Perfect to take on Razor Ramon and Lex Luger, Randy Savage taking on the heel Doink the Clown, and so much more. Lots of great stuff over there at our YouTube account right now. So be sure to head on over there and subscribe. Hit that subscribe button. It's very important on YouTube.com slash Wrestling Grenade so you never miss a beat as I upload new footage each and every week. And it's time to dive into October news here in 1993 in the WWF. And it's noted that Shawn Michaels is already back. DeMelt says it appears the situation with Shawn Michaels has been resolved and expect him to make a surprise return shortly. But before we see HBK back on our WWF TV screens, He'll be down working for the USWA for a couple of dates, beginning in the latter half of October. We'll have to see how that pans out. The Steiner brothers will also make their return to the house shows as of October 28th, so it looks like they were suspended off the house shows for roughly about five weeks here, though they did get to work Smoky Mountain Wrestling one of those weeks. Demelz also does a about-face on who was suspended from the Steiner brothers. Of course, in September, he stated it was Scott Steiner who failed a drug test. Now, here in October, he's claiming it was actually Rick Steiner who failed the drug test. Now, if I was looking at these two side by side, and believe me, I understand that anybody can fail the drug test, but if I was looking side by side, I would have guessed Scott Steiner myself. So I can't fault DeMeltz unless he was just theorizing that it was Scott Steiner rather than going off of information he was given. But nevertheless, it's really irrelevant which Steiner was suspended as both of them were removed from the house show loops. But they will be back here by the end of October. DeMeltz also claims that New Japan will be offering the Steiners a contract upcoming here in 1994 that they won't be able to turn down. So we'll see how that works out. Remember last month, guys, last week, I should say, on the grid A, but last month here in the WWF September, we reported that Matt Bourne was suspended and ultimately fired here from the company. Well, he's still lurking around, though he is suspended off the house shows. Doink the Clown still working TV tapings at this point. Here on our Matt Watch, as in Matt Bourne Watch. So I'm happy to say we'll see a little more of Doink the Clown here throughout the month of October. Survivor Series is a sellout. The WWF Survivor Series on November 24th at the Boston Garden may have achieved the fastest major arena sellout in North American pro wrestling history. Tickets for the card, the first ever pay-per-view card in Boston, and the last ever wrestling card in the Boston Garden were all sold out with the exception of a few badly obstructed viewed seats in about 90 minutes' time from the time they were put on sale to the public on October the 1st. The event was sold out before any of the matches were officially announced. Wow. At least 16,000 tickets sold out in 90 minutes in 1993, pre-internet era, guys, in 90 minutes' time before a single match was announced. And speaking of the Survivor Series, DeMelt says they're hinting at a match involving the Head Shrinkers, Bam Bam Bigelow, and at this point, DeMelt's hypothesized Crush as the fourth member of the team to take on four doinks, who DeMelt speculates will be the Macho Man Randy Savage, Men on a Mission, and another doink, presumably whoever is replacing Matt Bourne. We'll see how much of this is true and maybe how much of this is not so true when we get to the pay-per-view. 
And uh-oh, you tape traders out there, watch out. There's a tape trading crackdown. It starts here in 1993, the fall of 93. Titan Sports legal staff is now going after people who sell WWF videotapes. Piracy, bootlegging, ugh, the thought of it. Meanwhile, I was recording WWF and WCW TV, any TV I could get my hands on, for years at this point. And we've talked about it all year off and on. The movie, Mr. Nanny with Hulk Hogan, it finally opens. And here's what DeMeltz had to say. He says, This was the week that Hulk Hogan made his media blitz for the movie Mr. Nanny, which opened nationwide October 8th. The movie, which didn't even crack the top 10 in its opening weekend, finishing in 12th place in its opening weekend, made less than $2 million. By week two, the movie had dropped down to 16th place at the box office. So Mr. Nanny opens in 12th, falls to 16th, by week number two, doing even worse than Suburban Commando. It is noted, though, that while it might not have been a box office or artistic success, Hogan was all over the country, including Regis and Kathy Lee, Jay Leno, and Joan Rivers, even Larry King, to promote the movie. And what's that old saying? Any publicity is good publicity, so Hogan getting his face out there anyway still, as he moves away from the WWF. Talk about life imitating art. Listen to this one. The giant Gonzalez appeared on a recent episode of Baywatch. God, I remember when this episode came on. I remember sitting there like, holy shit, the giant Gonzalez is on Baywatch. And yes, guys, he was wearing that costume as well. Unbelievable. Anyways, getting back to the scoop, the giant Gonzalez appeared in a recent episode of Baywatch playing the part of a normal, very tall man being cruelly exploited by a sleazy sideshow promoter who markets him as a subhuman heel freak. Hmm, sound familiar? Jorge Gonzalez, a normal man who just happens to be very tall, being exploited by a sleazy promoter as a subhuman freak. Wonder where they came up with that storyline, huh, Vince? It's Luger versus Borga. That's Lex Luger versus Ludwig Borga. The series continues to be a major disappointment in the house show, says DeMeltz, in almost every arena. It's amazing with all of the money and time spent on pushing Luger over the summer and how well it appeared on TV. Just a few weeks later, a month later, it's become such a major flop. No kidding. Perhaps Lex should have toured the United States in that bus year-round. And in another important piece of news, it looks like Crush returns to the WWF ring. Actually, he returns in a dark segment on October 18th as part of the Poughkeepsie, New York Raw tapings. It says, in an untelevised segment, Crush came to the ring in his old demolition garb, leather mask, etc., and briefly was at ringside before returning backstage. So just making a show of himself, making the fans know that Crush is back, but which Crush are we going to get? And now we get to the most intriguing part of the news section here this week. It's Radio WWF. It's all about controversy. As Eric Bischoff says, controversy creates cash. Well, here, Jim Ross was going for controversy to create a little ratings here for Radio WWF. As JR and co-host Johnny Polo bring the macho man Randy Savage on, let's take an excerpt from the Wrestling Observer here. Randy Savage blasted Hulk Hogan in a lengthy interview on Jim Ross's Radio WWF show on October 16th with comments regarding Hogan's lying on the Arsenio Hall show to subtle and not-so-subtle comments on Hulk and wife Linda Hogan's role during the period when Savage 
and wife Elizabeth broke up. It should be noted that it was pretty obvious the way Savage, Jim Ross, and Johnny Polo were interacting during the segment that all three knew what was going to be said. Ross, before bringing Savage on as a guest, noted that he would be saying things that you won't believe. It is well known within wrestling that what Savage said on the show echo things he's been saying in the dressing room dating back to the period shortly after his divorce in the summer of 1992. Nevertheless, it is very difficult for me to believe that either would go public in this nature without the okay from Vince McMahon. Hogan was very protective of McMahon whenever the subject came up in the publicity tour for Mr. Nanny. However, an item in the New York Daily News gossip section last week said that Hogan would be meeting shortly with Ted Turner about starting up a new wrestling company, and it is believed the item wasn't planted by Hogan's side either. How WWF officials reacted to reading the item is cause for a lot of speculation. Hulk Hogan and Ted Turner starting up a new wrestling promotion? Isn't there something already called WCW? Anywho, getting back to this news piece, DeMelt says Hogan, in other interviews doing publicity for Mr. Nanny, claimed to have been besieged with wrestling offers outside of the WWF, specifically mentioning New Japan, Ted Turner, and other overseas tours. Randy Savage's comments on Radio WWF started with, Have you ever heard the name Hulk Hogan? Five-time World Wrestling Federation champion, uh huh? Hulk Hogan became at one time the biggest superstar in the history of professional wrestling. I personally used to look up to Hulk Hogan, but that was a mistake, yeah. I really thought he was a friend, but he's definitely not. He's the worst prima donna I've ever met in my life. Hulk Hogan's ego went so far out of control that Hulk Hogan consumed Terry Balea. Huh, that's his real name. Let's just say I've lost a lot of respect. For Hulk Hogan, a.k.a. Terry Balea, both is a man, uh-huh, and a human being as well, aha. Uh-huh. Savage goes on talking about losing respect for Hogan. He says that's an extreme understatement. A lot of people out there might be thinking it's professional jealousy, but putting professional jealousy aside, if there is any, which I'm not saying there is, I lost respect for Hulk Hogan big time. Number one when he completely lied on Arsenio Hall denying the use of anabolic steroids except for rehabilitation for an injury. At this point, Jim Ross asked Randy Savage if he had ever used steroids. Yes, I have. Savage said he did use anabolic steroids, and when he was on Arsenio Hall, he told the people he did, but when they were legal. Savage then admitted that using steroids, though, is like putting poison in your body. Ross then asked the macho man if he currently uses them. Savage says he sure does not, no doubt about that. Nobody does currently in the WWF, but at the same time Savage was asked about it, he told the truth. Macho says it was prevalent at the time, not just in wrestling, but in all sports, baseball, basketball, football, you name it, it was there. It was in the gyms. It was legal at the time. But at the same time, if Hulk Hogan is the guy he says that he is, if he's leading the Hulkamaniacs down that tunnel where there's light at the end of the tunnel and he's showing them the way, Hey, the children are our future, Hulk, and if you're lying to them, you're lying to me. You're lying to everybody, brother, because that's just not the way it's happening. I remember being in the car with him the day before he went on Arsenio Hall in St. Louis, Missouri, and I begged him for three hours not to go on and do that. At this point, Jim Ross, attempting to act surprised by the last statement, said, You knew he was going to go on Arsenio and lie? 
Savage responded, exactly. I knew that he was going to do it and lie about using anabolic steroids. I told him he could be a leader among men if he would just tell the truth. But he was worried about his image and the character of Hulk Hogan, a.k.a. Terry Balea. I said, brother, listen, we all make mistakes. Be honest. The world is more forgiving than you think. Savage reminded Hogan that steroids were legal then. But Hulkster said, not a chance. And Hogan went on Arsenio and lied. He lied big time. He hurt himself. Savage isn't worried about Hogan hurting the Macho Man, but he hurt all of the World Wrestling Federation. Because like Macho said before, Hogan was the leader of the company. Hogan was a big-time, five-time WWF champion. When he talks, people listen. But when he went on Arsenio Hall and lied and then everything came down after that, you realize that he hurt himself, which is all Hulk Hogan cared about. Savage then guarantees you from heart to heart right now that Hogan couldn't care less about hurting any of us at the WWF. At this point, Jim Ross interjects, Are you saying he's selfish? Savage replies, Selfish to the umptemp degree, aha! And I'm not perfect myself, no doubt about it, but this guy is really not even perfect, though he wants you to believe it, aha! Ross then brought up his celebrated marriage and divorce with the lovely Elizabeth. Savage's comments in response to that were, There was a time I fell in love. I got engaged and got married, and it was to Elizabeth. Then it got to a point that some of the kids out there can relate to. Maybe it happened to their mother and father or aunt and uncle. Sometimes it just doesn't go on forever. Elizabeth and I were married, but we were having problems. It happens that at the time, Elizabeth and Hulk Hogan's wife were very, very, very best friends, and they were running around together. I didn't think it was healthy for our relationship, but whatever's whatever. A lot of people can have a lot of different kinds of friends. But there was a time when I was wrestling on the road while we were having problems, and I would call home, and Elizabeth wouldn't be there. During a certain segment of time, I would just get another phone call, being the master of the phone that I am. I'm sure Crush would debate that. However, Savage said that he would get another phone call, and being the master of the phone that I am, and I would have conversations with Hulk Hogan. So I think at this point, Savage is pretty much saying that he would try to contact Elizabeth, she wouldn't answer, and then magically, he would get a call from Hulk Hogan. Savage goes on to say that Hogan would give him swerves and curves, but never tell that Liz was over their house. Savage claims that Elizabeth was either always out with the wife, Linda McMahon, or hiding out at Hogan's house. Savage goes on with the story. While he was out wrestling on the road, he would call home and there would be no answer. This went on for four days and Elizabeth was missing in action. Savage, like any good husband, became worried about his wife. He says he was worried about her then and he's still worried about her now. He can't help that. Because in Macho's heart, he'll always love Miss Elizabeth. Savage says it's very hard to let go, but you've got to let go. And he's speaking to people out there with situations like this. But no doubt about it, being honest, four days went by, and Liz called me and told me to get an attorney because she wants a divorce. That was the end of the story right there. Jim Ross then asked Savage if he thought Hogan knew about the divorce and what was going on at the time. Savage responded, like Hogan and his wife were in Miami making that movie that bombed. Nice shot there by the macho man. At which point, Jim Ross replies, which one that bombed? And Savage responded, Mr. Nanny. He's a three-time loser. He started out with No Holds Barred that did about $10 million. Then Suburban Commando did less than that. Then he broke his own record for doing less than that with Mr. Nanny. Not to say there's anything personal right there, 
It's kind of like Crush, a Hulk Hogan situation. I was making calls and going completely out of my mind because I didn't know where she was and couldn't even talk to her about it because she wanted the attorneys involved and all. But he gave me curves and swerves again saying he didn't know where she was, but did say, brother, if I hear anything, I'll let you know. But in desperation, I flew to Miami at the jockey club where Hogan was staying and where they were filming the movie Mr. Nanny, and there I found Liz. Shockingly, and he uses the word sarcastically, shockingly, obviously by this time only half shocked, you dig. Honesty and friendship between Hulk Hogan, a.k.a. Terry Bollea, and the macho man Randy Savage, a.k.a. Randy Poffo, brother. I'm out there in front of you. Randy's shooting here. The honesty and friendship wasn't there, and possibly it was never there. And right now, talking on Radio WWF, I would tell you it was never there. I was fooled. I didn't know it, and Liz didn't know it either. She thought she had a best friend with Hulk Hogan's wife, but now we both know better. Separately, of course, because we are legally divorced. Can you believe the fact that Hulk Hogan's wife and Liz don't even talk now? So what kind of friends do you think they were? It's almost like they got the job done. This is a worst-case scenario. Broke us up. Did whatever they had to do. They're not even friends now. I think Liz realizes a lot because as time goes by, you know what I mean, and I wish the best for her, but a lot's changed and the trust is broke. I've changed a lot in my lifetime. At this point, JR prods the Macho Man about a match, a fight with Hulk Hogan, to which Savage responds, a WWF match? If Hogan doesn't like what I said over the airwaves and wanted to do it in front of the WWF in an arena nearby or in a garage of his choice, that would be cool for the Macho Man, because you can beat me, but you can't eat me. And I don't think you can beat me. There's a few more notes here on the fallout from this Radio WWF segment where Randy Savage shoots on Hulk Hogan. Remember, guys, nothing like this had ever transpired by this point in 1993. Unbelievable. But a few more notes here regarding the Radio WWF interview. Hulk Hogan was slated to be on Radio WWF on the exact same episode, October 16th. The most intriguing aspect of all of this is that Hogan was asked a few days earlier to appear on the show, although never informed that Savage was scheduled to be on the show with them or what the subject matter was being planned for on Radio WWF. Apparently, there was a well-laid-out plan to ambush an unknowing Hulk Hogan with Randy Savage comments in a public forum. Hogan, who had done the same radio show two weeks prior, apparently had a premonition something was up, since it was awfully quick to be asked to be back on the radio show for a company he was no longer working for. Or maybe he was just simply too busy and lucked into not being in a potentially embarrassing position. Even as the show was going on, neither Jim Ross nor the Macho Man knew for certain whether or not Hulk Hogan was going to call in, as reportedly he never either confirmed or non-confirmed the request to appear. So this was a planned interview, obviously, within Jim Ross and, and Rand. That would be an interesting question. Maybe Conrad Thompson could talk to Jim Ross about this and how this was all set up. They bring Randy Savage on. There's your controversy. You're looking for ratings. I'm not even complaining about the situation. If you can garner ratings or make money or whatever the, the initial plan was for this segment, more power to you. But it's Randy Savage shooting for the most part here, dropping real names, never happened in this period, but discussing his divorce openly with Miss Elizabeth and some of the details we've seen even later in life as part of Dark Side of the Ring and other shows, other books and things as well. Now, that episode of Radio WWF is lost in time. I know Conrad's brought back a lot of Jim Ross's old WSB radio shows, which 
got to be pretty cool in themselves, but I'd love to get my hands on some of these early radio WWF shows. Again, I started recording them myself, but not until right around the time Jim Ross was released from the company in early 94. And then it was, for the most part, Johnny Polo and Stan Lane hosting the show. We get the occasional drop-in from Vince or Gorilla Monsoon. Howard Finkel was typically there in the background a lot to babysit those two on air. But it was, it, it was Johnny Polo running the show. It was a really good time, Radio WWF in 94. But here in 93, Jim Ross looking for ratings, a little controversy. Aha! The Macho Man calling out Hulk Hogan on the air. We'll look at some quick injury notes here. We noted that Lex Luger was injured in a match with Shawn Michaels on August 31st, the day after SummerSlam. While he was out for most of September, he returned for a tag team match on September 27th and back to the house shows on September 30th. So Luger is back in action after a month off from a back injury. Later in October, we'll learn that Stephen Dunn, a.k.a. Steve Dahl, of the team Well Done, begins missing house shows as he too is injured when, quote-unquote, one of men on a mission landed on him wrong. No shocker there. At that point, Well Done will be pulled from the house shows, and they won't return to the WWF full-time until much later next year. And this one is not injury-related, but he is on and off the road quite a bit here throughout the course of October. We'll see Mr. Perfect miss some TV, show up for some TV, miss some house shows, show up for some house shows. He even starts the European tour at a later date in what is reported as family issues at home. Mr. Perfect often on the road here quite a bit throughout the course of October in 1993. That'll lead to something more. We'll get to that in just a little bit. But first, let's look at October house shows. And oh goody, we get five weeks of October here in 1993 based on how the dates are laid. And we essentially get like five different weeks of WWF house show matches as well. So let's get right into things. The first weekend of October house shows, it's a West Coast loop. Remember, only one touring group at this point. Men on a mission over Well Done Every Night. IRS pinning the 123 Kid Razor Ramon over Rick Martell. Lex Luger pinning Ludwig Borga with the bionic forearm. Mr. Perfect over Diesel with a distraction from Razor Ramon. Tag team champion, the Quebecers, of course, now subbing for the Steiners, originally supposed to be the Steiners versus Bigelow and Adam Bomb. We saw a little of this last month as well. It's tag champs, the Quebecers, over Adam Bomb and Bam Bam Bigelow on a countout when the two managers, Johnny Polo and Luna Vachon, begin arguing ringside. Remember, Johnny Polo manages Adam Bomb, but he also manages the champions. It looks like Johnny's siding with his champions here, getting into an argument with Luna, costing the challengers. A win on a countout as they begin arguing as well on the on the floor. And the main event sees WWF champion Yokozuna continue to pin The Undertaker with a leg drop after nailing him repeatedly with the salt bucket. So some big matches here. Now that Luger's back on the tour as well, we get Luger and Borga, Razor and Martell on the underneath, Mr. Perfect and Diesel, the Quebecers defending against Bomb and Bigelow, Yokozuna and The Undertaker. Pretty stacked house show, but remember, we're, we're down to one touring group, at least for now. As we move on to week two, half of the roster, or more than half the roster, are off to Europe for seven days, a seven-day tour in Israel, Austria, Portugal, and Germany. And the cards look like this all seven nights. It's the one, two, three kid over Doink the Clown. That's Steve Lombardi, Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon, defeating IRS on a countout, tying that tie to the ring post. Yes, it continues on here. Bob Backlund brought back as well as Papa Shango here for the October tour. Bob Beckham going over Papa Shango every night over in Europe. 
the Head Shrinkers defeating the team of the Smoking Guns. The first two nights of the seven-night tour, it's Diesel over the Brooklyn Brawler, who was subbing for Mr. Perfect. What a substitution. First, we see Bastion Booger subbing for Shawn Michaels last month. This month, it's the Brooklyn Brawler subbing for Mr. Perfect. Now, I did say only the first two nights of the tour. Mr. Perfect shows up for the final five nights of the European tour, and those matches will change to Mr. Perfect over Diesel on a disqualification. Also, as part of the tour, it's Lex Luger over Ludwig Borga, and The Undertaker defeating Adam Bomb in casket matches. Adam Bomb substituting for Mr. Hughes here on the European tour. Uh, very interesting piece of note here. Seven nights, it's Lex Luger over Ludwig Borga every night. Pinfall, six of those nights, however, merely a disqualification on the October 9th Vienna-Austria show. I had to wonder, was it because Tony Hall had worked some for the CWA there in Austria? Did he refuse to do the pinfall loss in Austria? Who knows, but Lex Luger over Borga every night either way. And while we had that going on overseas in the European tour, this is what was happening here in the United States on weekend number two. Here in October, we get four nights of this. It's the Bushwhackers over Well Done, Owen Hart over Barry Horowitz, Marty Jannetty beating Tom Stone. Yes, Barry Horowitz, Tom Stone, part of this loop. We'll also see the Macho Man with the Macho Midget in his corner defeating Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna on a countout most nights. Tatanka defeats Bam Bam Bigelow, Tag Team Champion Quebecers over Men on a Mission, and WWF Champion Yokozuna over Bret Hart in a steel cage match. Some TV taping notes here in the month of October. October 19th to be exact in Glens Falls. We see a rare pinfall loss to Mr. Perfect. It's Yokozuna over Mr. Perfect in just a little over seven minutes. Mr. Fuji, of course, distracts Kurt Hennig in the corner, allowing Yokozuna to take over and nail the bonsai drop, pinning Kurt Hennig. You can actually see this match as part of WrestleFest 94. Also part of the October 19th tapings, Bret Hart defeats Jerry Lawler in a steel cage match. But here's the intriguing part. After interference from the Black Knight. Remember the King's Knights are coming up at Survivor Series. The Black Knight here supposedly portrayed by Glenn Jacobs. That's the future Isaac Yankum DDS, the new Diesel, if you will, Diesel number two. And of course, Kane. But here he's just doomsday in the USWA getting his first initial push in a promotion of note. And he was slated to come in as the Black Knight. Glenn Jacobs, supposedly the man here in Glenn's Falls under the Black Knight character, interfering on behalf of Jerry Lawler during the Steel Cage match. But it's also Owen Hart out to help Bret Hart, who does get the win over the King. That'd be a fun little hidden gem if it's out there somewhere. But we move on to more house show results. And coming back from the European tour, the WWF, after just a couple of months, right back to the A and B shows, guys. Though we'll have to see how long this lasts. And here are the results of the house shows for weeks three and four on the A show side of the loop. It's Owen Hart over Bastion Booger, the Head Shrinkers, beating men on a mission. Razor Ramon continues to beat IRS on countout. You'd think by now Rotunda would learn not to wear a tie to the ring in his matches with Razor Ramon. Also, WWF champion Yokozuna continues to pin The Undertaker. Bret Hart over Bam Bam Bigelow on most nights, though some nights it's also Bret Hart over Jerry Lawler in that cage match. We talked about the TV tapings. And of course, Lex Luger every night pinning Ludwig Borga. And then for the tag team champions, the Quebecers, things change from weeks three to weeks four. And in week three, it's the Quebecers over men on a mission. But in week four, the Steiner brothers on October 28th finally return, thankfully. 
and it's Rick and Scott Steiner on October 28th over tag team champion the Quebecers by disqualification after Jacques is caught hitting Scott Steiner with one of the title belts to break up a pinfall attempt on Pierre following the Frankensteiner. So the Steiner brothers are back, and here they get a title shot against the team that defeated them for the belts, the Quebecers, this one ending in a disqualification. And had this been under Quebec province rules, the Steiners would once again be the champions. Unfortunately, it's not, and the Quebecers will retain. As we look at week three B shows, it's the B show loop, and it looks a little bit like this. And B forewarned, not pretty at all, with Shawn Michaels now suspended. He's yanked from these shows, and also this is where Mr. Perfect begins no, no showing events. So once again, Kurt Hennig yanked off these shows. So no Shawn Michaels or Mr. Perfect, arguably probably the two top names on these shows, no longer here. So the Mr. Perfect versus Diesel matches, they don't take place. And the Shawn Michaels versus one, two, three kid matches also canceled. So what do we get in turn? Well, at least in Plymouth, Massachusetts, how do they reward the fans? With a battle royal. Remember back in the day when there would be poor weather conditions and half the roster couldn't make it to the show? This is what they would do. They would put baby faces over all night. This is the rule. Baby faces go over in every single match and give them a battle royal at the end of the show just for the hell of it. And we kind of see that right here as Marty Jannetty over Johnny Polo, the 1-2-3 kid over Iron Mike Sharp. Bob Backlund and Virgil, what a tag team. Bob Backlund and Virgil back in the saddle over the team of Well Done. Tatanka over Adam Baum. And then once again, Tatanka wins an 11-man battle royal. 11 men, what are the odds? And Tatanka last eliminating Diesel, who is clearly here in the building, but doesn't even have to wrestle a match on the undercard. Diesel originally scheduled to take on Mr. Perfect. Instead, he's basically... Really giving the night off, working an 11-man battle royal before Tatanka eliminates him to pick up the win. And as we saw in week four here in October, the Steiners are back, and they basically replaced men on a mission there, at least, at least for a little bit, in those tag team matches with the Quebecers. And so since the Steiners now part of the A show, at least for this week, week four, men on a mission sent over to the B loop, and we get great matches like men on a mission over the team of Axel Rotten and the Executioner. And you may say, what the hell is that about Baltimore, Maryland? We know Axel Rotten worked the Northeast quite a bit, and the Executioner here, take your pick, it could have been just about anybody, because at this point, men on a mission have done their job. Stephen Dunn of Well Done Injured, he's out, and Well Done are pretty much done with the company, at least for the time being. And then we move forward to the end of the month, as the A-team sweeps through the state of New York, as well as Toronto and Maple Leaf Gardens, up in Long Island at the Nassau Coliseum, it's Owen Hart over Bastion Booger. Ramon and Mr. Perfect team up over IRS and Diesel when Perfect pins Diesel. Bob Backlund in, pinning Dwayne Gill. Bob Backlund over Dwayne Gill at the Nassau Coliseum October 29th. Bret Hart defeats Jerry Lawler on a disqualification. When the Black Knight and Owen Hart both get involved in the match, the model Rick Martel over Marty Jannetty, the Smoking Guns beat tag team champion Quebecers on a countout, and Lex Luger pinning Ludwig Borga there in the Nassau Coliseum. We move on to Halloween. At least here in the States, it's October 31st, Maple Leaf Gardens, Johnny Polo over Virgil, Owen Hart over Bastion Booger, the tag team champion Quebecers defeating the Smoking Guns, the 1-2-3 kid, over the model Rick Martel. 
WWF Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon over Diesel on a disqualification. Lex Luger continues to beat Ludwig Borga and Bret Hart over Jerry Lawler in a steel cage match. Also, over the weekend, we saw matches like Rick Martel over Marty Jannetty and Owen Hart getting a pin, reportedly, over Diesel. That would have been interesting. And to end the month of October on the B-team loop, the B-team heads down to Florida, and we get shows like this October 28th, for instance. The 1-2-3 kid over Johnny Polo, the Bushwhackers, teaming with Tiger Jackson, so it looks like the Macho Midget is no more, thank God. The Bushwhackers and Tiger Jackson over the odd pairing of Little Louie, the Cuban Assassin, and David Heath Gangrel, the future Gangrel, Vampire Warrior, we recently saw in the USWA. So the Bushwhackers and Tiger Jackson over Little Louie, the Cuban Assassin, and David Heath. Wow. Bam Bam Bigelow begins his matches with Doink here. Bammer beats Doink on a disqualification after Doink throws a bucket of water on Bigelow. So water now a disqualification. The Smoking Guns over the team of Barry Horowitz and Timothy Well. Remember, Stephen Dunn injured and pretty soon Well going to be yanked off the house shows as well. Well off as well as Dunn is done. Gotcha. Mr. Perfect pins Diesel with the Perfect Plex and Adam Bomb over Marty Jannetty. Remember, this is the B-Show, guys. The following night in Orlando on October 29th, things changed up just a little bit. It's Adam Bomb over the 1-2-3 kid. We still see the Bushwhackers and Tiger Jackson over that odd team of Little Louie, David Heath, and the Cuban Assassin. Men on a mission. Defeat the team of Barry Horowitz, and now it's Pat Tanaka replacing Timothy Well on the house show. So they send Well home to tend to Dunn. Well tends to Dunn. And so it's Min on a mission over Barry Horowitz and Pat Tanaka down here in Florida. Of course, Tanaka's father, the legendary Duke Kiyomuka, and Pat from right down there in Florida. So he would just happen to be there as it was. The show also featured Bigelow over Doink, a.k.a. Steve Lombardi here at this point. Also, Rick and Scott Steiner now move to the B show as they get wins over the Head Shrinkers here down in Florida. And it looks like we get a little bonus here. In Orlando, as The Undertaker defeats Yokozuna on a disqualification, when Yoko is finally caught, congratulations, referee, it only took you about six weeks, the referee catches Yokozuna using the salt bucket to attack The Undertaker. Taker picks up the win here on a disqualification. And that is the house shows, as strange as they were, all over the place here in October as we get our bearings. They're off to Europe. They're back from Europe. We're back to an A team and a B team. All kinds of things going on. Some of the guys suspended, some of them no-showing. I tried to make as much sense of it as I could for you guys at home. If you guys are really interested, though, head over to that History of WWE website and look up 1993. Check out the house show results for each and every night there in the month of October. As we move on with this show, though, it's time for Gone in October, a.k.a. Yes! These are the names we'll no longer be seeing here after the month of October, and the names include Bonnie Blackstone. She actually finished up at the end of September doing TV tapings. We'll see Bonnie pop up here a few times in October, but for all intents and purposes, Blackstone gone from the company already. Also, longtime ring announcer veteran Mike McGurk, the daughter of promoter Leroy McGurk and former junior heavyweight champion Leroy McGurk. Mike McGurk gone from the company. She claims she was let go. She was told due to the company cutting back on transportation expenses. I think Mike will finish up on TV on the October 31st edition of Wrestling Challenge. October will also mark the last confirmed appearances of Well Done here in 1993. Of course, we talked ad nauseum about it already. Stephen Dunn is injured, 
and they'll do a little TV here in October, so we might see them on television as late as November, but Steve Dahl will get injured in the second half of October, and the team will be yanked out of WWF rings. They won't be back. They'll work about a half a dozen matches between March and June of 1994, and they'll be back on the road full-time in July of 94. So well done, are done for quite a period of time here. It's like they barely even got started. Also, by my notes, I'm sad to say that Mr. Perfect will finish up with the company here on October 29th. Mr. Perfect has already missed quite a few house shows. He missed some of that European tour. He misses some nights of the TV tapings, as I've already mentioned. Demelts notes that there were family problems going on right now. I don't know if he meant at home at Kurt Hennig's house or if it was deeper than that, but I don't even know if that's really the issue here. We know there's been a lot of issues between Kurt Hennig and the WWF. Also, he was extremely unhappy, reportedly, with not being the man chosen to replace Shawn Michaels as Intercontinental Champion. That may have been the final nail in the casket here for Kurt Hennig's time here in 1993 with the WWF. Now, I know we'll continue to see him pop up on TV leading all the way into the Survivor Series, but Mr. Perfect's final date with the company? October 29th. So at this point, it looks like this. The Steiners are out half the time. Matt Bourne's on his way out. Shawn Michaels may or may not return to the company. Now Mr. Perfect joins the list. A scary time here in the World Wrestling Federation, especially for us, the fans. And Demel says, Mr. Perfect was pulled from all bookings and will be replaced on the road by Bob Backlund. So it's Mr. Perfect's demise that is Bob Backlund's gain. Backlund pulled back on the road full-time by the end of October, beginning of November. Both sides claim he asked for time off to take care of family problems. So even to Meltzer reporting that. And later on, Meltzer also reporting that Hennig was upset that he was bypassed for the Intercontinental title, which he felt he had been promised. Although DeMeltz does mention that Razor Ramon far more popular, Meltzer speculating that Razor deserved the belt more so than Hennig here. I don't know how much of that is Mr. Perfect's fault, but I, I tend to agree as far as popularity goes by the fall of 93. And the WWF continues with that next man up mentality. We've seen Booger replace Shawn Michaels, Bob Backlund now replacing Mr. Perfect. What could go wrong? Well, reports indicate that when Bob Backlund returns to the road at the very end of October, very beginning of November to wrestle Diesel, they're having some of the worst matches anyone has ever seen. Imagine that. In many cities, Diesel has been getting cheered. That's how over Bob Backlund is, guys. And coming in to the World Wrestling Federation, it's confirmed Medusa has signed a contract. She'll start with Titan sometime in late November, possibly early December. And she'll be going by the name Alundra Blaze. Also, if you guys didn't know this, at this time, Medusa was, I'm not sure if she was married to or is seeing a fellow by the name of Greg the Hammer Valentine. Yes, Valentine got him some of that Medusa goodness, if you can imagine that. And Greg Valentine has reportedly been telling people that he will be in for the Survivor Series pay-per-view. That's interesting. We've heard on Bruce Pritchard's podcast in the past that Lots of names were batted around as to who were going to play the Knights at the upcoming Survivor Series pay-per-view. But it looks like all the way back in October, Greg Valentine telling people, I'm coming in to work the Survivor Series. So perhaps one of the Knights already pegged as Greg Valentine. So the way it looks right here in October, the Knights were to be portrayed by Glenn Jacobs, the future Kane, Greg Valentine, and possibly Terry Funk. Now we know two of those names, it doesn't happen. 
And speaking of nights, the Black Knight, Glenn Jacobs, popping up on some of these house shows, some of these TV tapings, in interference for Jerry Lawler in his matches against Bret Hart. So they're trying Glenn Jacobs out here under the Black Knight costume. Of course, we know he won't go full-time with the company until the summer of 1995 as Isaac Yankum DDS. Also, I should note, as you guys will see as we go along here in October of 93 on TV, it's time for Double J. That's J-E-double-F-J-A-double-R-E-double-T. That's Double J now. Jeff Jarrett on his way in to the WWF from the USWA. He's bulked up. He's got himself some new gear. He's ready to go with this Double J character. Let's see how it works out. October tryouts. Remember Sabu was supposed to get tryouts in the month of September, but he took a Japanese gig instead. Well, here he is for a three-night tryout. Three TV tapings in a row. Raw, Superstars Wrestling Challenge. Sabu got a tryout. And on the first night of October 18th at the Raw taping, Demelts reports that he didn't look good in a win over Scotty Tuhati, the future Scotty Tuhati here, just Scott Taylor. Night two, it's reported that Sabu looked much better in a match against Owen Hart as part of the Wrestling Challenge tapings. And then again, another match with Scott Taylor as part of the Superstars taping on October 20th. Sabu looked good again as well. Two out of three ain't bad, as Meatloaf once said, R.I.P. So it's reported on night three, Sabu was offered a job, offered a contract to join the WWF, but turns it down because it would have meant he'd have to, to give up his tours with FMW in Japan, and he's staying loyal to Onita for the time being, because you got to remember all the way back to the beginning of the 90s, it was Onita who gave Sabu his first big break in the business. So Sabu goes to all three nights of WWF TV tapings, works all three of them, Gets offered a contract and says, no thanks, I'd rather work in FMW. That sounds like Sabu to me. Should also note, as part of the Wrestling Challenge tapings on October 19th, Rich Myers, remember job guy Rich Myers, gets a win over former WCW Patriot Todd Champion. And as big as Todd Champion was, and don't get me wrong, he had the look, maybe not the greatest wrestler in the history of the business, but Todd Champion had that look and certainly had the height. And he's being jobbed out here to Rich Myers. That's what... That doesn't sound like it bodes well for Todd Champion. And as part of the October 20th TV tapings, we talked about Glenn Jacobs possibly coming in. He gets a tryout here in a dark match, gets a win over Mike Bell. So Glenn Jacobs not just working the Black Knight character, doing run-ins for Jerry Lawler. He's given a tryout here. This is the first time in a WWF ring, October 20th, and in just a month's time they were planning to use him as part of a Survivor Series pay-per-view. Talk about right place, right time. Now, Jacobs doesn't actually make it to the pay-per-view, and it's probably due in part to his match here with Mike Bell. I can't imagine as green as Jacobs was looking all that pretty. But I've never seen the match. I can't say for sure. Again, another hidden gem that hopefully someday makes it to light. And, of course, you have to speculate. We were talking about that mixed tag match on some of those house shows with the Whackers and Tiger Jackson against Little Louie, David Heath, and Cuban Assassin. Now, David Heath and Cuban Assassin both based out of Florida, so it makes sense the loop was in Florida. They probably just called up a couple of competent guys and said, hey, you guys want to come work these matches? But at the same time, you have to figure they were, they were out there busting their butts, giving it their all as well as much as you can against the Bushwhackers, trying to get jobs here. Of course, that doesn't happen. David Heath will go on to be the Black Phantom and then later on Gangrel, the Cuban Assassin, right back to WCW for Fidel Sierra. And it's time to talk the USWA versus WWF crossover feud. 
for October of 93, and it's all about Vince McMahon. And now it's also a little about the Macho Man. Uh Aha, the Macho Man. He was here a few months ago in Memphis, and now he has returned. Randy Savage coming back to take the unified title from Jerry the King Lawler. Remember last month, it was the undefeated at the time Native American Tatanka who pinned Jerry Lawler for the belt, but it was Jerry Lawler who became the first man to pin Tatanka, though many will argue it was Ludwig Borga. It was Jerry Lawler pinning Tatanka to regain the title, and now Randy Savage is here on behalf of Vince McMahon and the World Wrestling Federation to bring the belt back around the waist of McMahon. And here we're going to hear from the Macho Man as part of the October 2nd edition of USWA TV. Here's the Macho Man coming for Lawler. Let me tell you the way it's going to be. It's going to be so fantastic that I'm going to savor every last split second of it, Jerry Lawler. You and me have history. A little bit too much history. Yes, we do. The line has gone down since the first second that I saw you, and that was a while ago. A little bit too long ago. And now it's the end of the road, yeah. Picture it, if you will. The Mid-South Coliseum. On that Monday night, this Monday, yeah. For the unified wrestling championship. Yes, the world championship, Jerry Lawler. Do you understand that? I am coming to the Mid-South Coliseum. Macho Maniac. Be ready, yeah! Because Jerry Lawler, the self-proclaimed king of wrestling, meets the macho man Randy Savage, and the prediction is this, that I am guaranteeing victory. I'm going to repeat myself. No, I'm not. I never repeat myself. Did you get it? Did you get it? The Mid-South Coliseum will never be the same again. The macho man is going to take the title. Tonka took the title, didn't he, Jerry Lawler? Yeah, he took the title and you were lucky enough to get it back. But this much. It's a bitty luck you have, don't you? Let me tell you something. Tonka's a great wrestler. No doubt about it. And you're a great wrestler. Either way, yeah, Tonka could win, you could win. Back and forth, no problem, yeah. Tonka! Is that one one millionth of the wrestler that the macho man Randy Savage is, and neither are you. Not. You're a legend in your own mind. And I am the master of disaster. And when I walk down that aisle in the midst of Coliseum, I am going to take all the marbles, yeah. I guarantee that I walk out of there with the UWF title, yeah, United wrestling championship world championship you know i am a two-time world wrestling federation champion and i don't really care about titles letters and everything that goes along with it including dollar signs it doesn't matter to me it's between me and you it's personal it's even past personal brother take everything aside take all the championships and throw them aside i'm gonna take that belt on monday night at the mid-south coliseum this monday night because i know it's what makes you tick and i'm much more than that 
And I'm more than you could ever dream of being. You understand that? You're nothing in comparison to the macho man, Randy Savage. And I'll guarantee you that when I walk down that aisle, I'm going to be T.C. Bean, taking care of business on you, doing a tap dance on your head, being all over you like melting butter. You have no chance in hell of beating the macho man, Randy Savage. And if I'm lying, I'm dying. And I'm telling you something, you're a damn liar. When you tell everybody in Memphis that you're the king, because you're not the king. You're a chump, and I'm the champ. And in the Mid-South Coliseum this Monday night, I will prove it beyond the shadow of a doubt. The macho man guarantees victory. Don't forget that I told you, because after it's all over, you're going to say that I told you it up front, and I beat you flat. And you ended up flat on your back. One, two, three. You're looking at the new unified world champion, the macho man Randy Savage. Your Lord and Mecca, Lala. Oh, yeah. The Fire on the Mountain match. All right, and I should have warned you guys in advance. That was a bit of a lengthy promo. In fact, Lawler makes fun of how long the promo goes on, but. Some fun little notes there. Macho Man says Tatanka isn't one one millionth of the wrestler that the Macho Man is. Bit of a shoot there, I think. Of course, he says neither is the king. Another little Easter egg in there. Did you catch Lawler saying he's going to take the UWF title, the United World title from Jerry Lawler? Of course, it's the unified title and the UWF. uh, I don't know what Herb Abrams would have to say about that here in 93. And if a Macho Man promo wasn't enough to get you to the Mid-South Coliseum this Monday night, well, Vince McMahon is back, and he has more to say to Jerry Lawler and those USWA fans. Let's listen to more heel Vince McMahon, one of my favorite parts of the show. There's someone else that had a comment or two, and let's might as well listen to that right now. Here's Vince McMahon. Oh, come on. Come on, you... You really don't believe in the Tooth Fairy, now, do you? I mean, you don't always believe what the politicians have to say, do you? Well, you certainly cannot believe what Jerry Lawler has to say all the time. Or, for that matter, any of the time. But you can believe that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. You can believe that the earth is round. And you can believe in the macho man, Randy Savage. And the macho man, Randy Savage, guarantees victory. You better believe it. You know, you, you hear of a muffler shop guaranteeing the muffler as long as you own your own car. As a matter of fact, there's an electric razor company that guarantees that your shave will be just as close with that electric razor as you can get with a blade, or they'll guarantee you your money back. But let's face it, even you Memphians know 
there are only three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and Randy Savage. All right, so we learned there are three guarantees in life. Death, taxes, and the macho man Randy Savage. Wow. What a three-man stable that would have made. Death, The Undertaker, Taxes, of course, IRS, and The Macho Man. I'm, I'm so glad Vince McMahon never thought of that. So another great heel promo by Vince McMahon as he vows revenge on the king and what he did to Tatanka by bringing in The Macho Man. And here is Jerry Lawler's response to both Randy Savage and Vince McMahon. Well, I heard Mr. McMahon. Uh, I didn't, can't say that I understood exactly what he's talking about. He's out here talking about mufflers and razors. And I don't know what that has to do with the match that I'm going to have with the Macho Man Randy Savage. Other than the fact that I will tell you this, the Macho Man has a lot of hair on his head. He's got a lot of hair on his face. And he could take one of those electric razors and he could shave all of that hair off. Or he could take a blade and he could shave all that hair off. But I guarantee you, it wouldn't get as close as it's going to be Monday night when I burn all of that stinking hair off the Macho Man Randy Savage. You don't think they're calling this match fire on a mountain for nothing, do you, macho man? Now, I heard your interview out here. You ran your mouth. I thought I was listening to Gone with the Wind. How long did he talk for? About seven hours? I'm going to tell you this. You can run your mouth all you want to, and if you can win a match with your mouth, you might have this belt, but you can't. you got to win it in the ring Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum, and that's why I've got the title, and that's why I plan to remain the unified world heavyweight champion. Now, I'm not going to take up a lot of time like the Macho Man did, and I'm, I'm going to try to make a little sense like Vince McMahon didn't do. I'm going to tell you this, short and sweet. Vince McMahon has sent some of his World Wrestling Federation superstars to the Memphis area in the past, and I've sent them all packing one way or the other. And he said, he said that when he sent the giant Gonzalez, this eight-foot wonder of the world down here, he said that he left with his head exploding in fire or something like that. Well, I'll tell you what. The giant Gonzalez is not the only man that has tasted the fire from the king. Macho man, you know what it's like, but it seems like you want your memory refreshed. So Monday night, get ready for it. And in case anybody out there don't know what it's like, I've had them put together just sort of a little montage, just a little video, just to remind some of you jerks in the World Wrestling Federation, and especially for you, Vince McMahon, because believe me, there's nothing I would like better than to have you, the big shot McMahon, sitting at ringside, and just like that young man said, I'd like for you to become a little bit of Memphis barbecue. Everybody needs to know what barbecue is like in Memphis. And Macho Man, you're going to find out Monday night. And I want you to pay close attention to this tape, especially right at the end. And look real close for the big, tall, eight-foot wonder giant Gonzalez and see how he left town. He left town smoking, just like you're going to do, Randy Savage, Monday night. Fun stuff there from the King, and it all culminates here on October 4th in the Mid-South Coliseum. It's fire on the mountain in front of 1,200 fans as unified champion Jerry Lawler defeats Randy Savage on a reverse decision. Savage originally had won the match and the title, but was caught using a chain after the fall, and the call was changed. Of course, we know Jeff Jarrett comes out and aids Lawler in clearing the ring of the Macho Man. And we move on to the following weekend's TV, October 9th, 
We see clips from the Mid-South Coliseum. We see Savage getting the win over Lawler and then the decision being reversed. So Jerry Lawler remains champion, at least for right now. And then we get a new promo from the Macho Man. All you did was buy yourselves a little time down there at Tennessee Justice at its best, yeah. You jackasses out of yourselves all around the world, yeah. You put Memphis, Tennessee, where the injustice happened, under a microscope. Now everybody knows how you do business down there, yeah. About the key history that we have, yeah. Big time history. And I whooped you right there in the Mid-South Coliseum. One, two, three, yeah. And Jeff Jarrett comes down to ringside. And according to Vince McMahon and people all around the world, takes the chain and sticks it under my arm, and then the chain drops. And then that's where Tennessee Justice kicks in. Bad to the bone with a heart of stone. That's what you guys are all about, aren't you? Yeah. Except for one thing. We called you on the carpet now. Mm-hmm. Made a big international incident, didn't we? Yeah, well, that's okay. You guys can say what you want about the situation. But this Monday night in Memphis, I'm not only going to be the new unified world wrestling champion, but I'm going to proclaim myself king of the hits. Yeah! Because I'm better than you are, Lawler, yeah. And the problem is that you know it, yeah. All your little politics down there, all your little stooges, uh-huh, that happened to protect you all these years, it's all come to a head. And now you're going to get found out, yeah. Litigation, uh, you don't like litigation, now, do you, boy? I'll tell you what now, eyes in the back of my head, I need them, I know that. I know that. That's why Vince McMahon, this Monday night, is going to walk down the aisle with me and be in my corner here at the Mid-South Coliseum. Now, how you like that, boy? Huh? How you like that? Swallow you nothing but garbage. You understand that? Tell you, macho style. I'm going to beat you this Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum, yeah. And around my waist, I'm going to have that unified world championship belt. And I'm going to proclaim myself king of the year. You don't like that now, do you, boy? But that's the way it is. And there's nothing that you can do about it here. And I'm going to slap you, and I'm going to slap each and every one of you in that Mid-South Coliseum going down that aisle. Because that's just the way that it is. And I'm going to do it by giving you the big apple high side. The macho man is going to be Lawler this Monday night in Memphis for the belt. How do you like that? Promoter Eddie Myron, dig it. Savage continuing to try to rile up the Memphians here as he calls Lawler the king of the hicks down in Memphis, Tennessee. Lawler doing, or Savage even doing his best Southern impression as of late. But Randy Savage coming back for revenge, and he's going to have Vince McMahon in his corner. You would think that would have to draw a hell of a crowd. Savage with Vince in his corner versus Jerry the King Lawler for the unified title. It doesn't get any bigger than that. But Lawler... He needs someone to counteract Vince McMahon. He needs someone in his corner as well. He gets on the phone and he makes a call down to a payphone down in that trailer park in Walls, Mississippi. Who does Jerry Lawler call to be his corner man for this big match against the Macho Man? Why, none other than Downtown Bruno. You guys know him as Harvey Whippleman in the WWF. He was Downtown Bruno here first in the USWA. Let's listen to what Bruno has to say about Vince McMahon. And remember one thing, Vince McMahon, if you try to interfere in the match, I don't care who you are in the World Wrestling Federation, I don't care who you are up north, 
You're in our backyard now. So Vince McMahon, remember one thing. If you even think about, if you even get a notion to involve yourself in that match, if you even get a notion to touch a hair on the king's head, I promise you, I promise you I will hit you with so many rights, you'll be begging for a left. See, if you and me get into it, Vince McMahon, there's going to be two hits in that fight. Me hitting you and you hitting the floor. Don't talk as long as Macho Man did. No, it's just like this. If Vince McMahon wonders why about all this, just let him remember. Because it's like Mama say is. It beats that way sometimes. There you got it. Monday night, Mid-South Coliseum. Macho Man, bring it on. Bring Vince McMahon. And me and downtown Bruno are going to send you two jerks back to New York City, back to that rotten apple with your tail tucked between your legs. All right, and it bees that way sometimes. So doing a little more with Bruno here in the USWA than he is up there in the WWF right now. So it's going to be Harvey Whippleman combating Vince McMahon as managers, if you will, for this Lawler versus Savage rematch. Very intriguing, guys. But we're not done yet. One more promo on this show, and it's Vince McMahon talking about Macho Vision. Last week I told you what you could believe in. You could believe in death. You could believe in taxes. And you could believe in Randy Savage. Some of you did, for good reason. Randy Savage, last Monday night, became the unified champion. He beat Jerry Lawler, plain and simple. Then from there, Jerry Lawler, being the cheat that he is, he and Jeff Jarrett and who knows who else, what a stunt to pull on one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, the macho man Randy Savage, what a stunt, bringing that chain down to the ring, sticking underneath the macho man's arm and then pointing to the official as if the macho man had used it, shame, shame. On you, Jeff Jarrett. Shame on you, Jerry Lawler. But thank goodness that there is a little bit of justice in Tennessee. Thank goodness that after threats of litigation, that someone listened. You listened, Eddie Marlin. You did the only thing you could do. You hold the unified championship belt up. It won't be held up for long. Because come this Monday night, what you're going to see is Randy Savage returning to the Mid-South Coliseum. You're going to see Randy Savage accompanied by me, Vince McMahon. I'm going to be in his corner. It's obvious that the macho man needs eyes in the back of his head. And these eyes are going to be watching his back. For your shenanigans, Jerry Lawler. Let me just say this. That when it comes to seeing things very, very clearly, this Monday night, everyone will see Randy Savage once again crown the unified champion. And after you see that, 
you'll be seeing the macho man the same way that I do. In living macho business. So a couple of things here, and when you see the video posted, you're going to see Vince McMahon randomly pull up a pair of Macho Man shades. These heel Vince McMahon promos are absolutely amazing. It's beta version heel Vince here in Memphis, and they were so lucky to be able to enjoy this way back when this happened. But Vince mentioned something here that we hadn't heard yet on the show, that apparently his attorneys filed a complaint with the USWA, and Jerry Lawler has been stripped of the unified title. We just learned that here midway through the show from Vince McMahon, which brings out matchmaker Eddie Marlin here on the USWA show to announce that, yes, indeed, he has just been informed today, Saturday, that on Thursday, Vince McMahon's attorneys had it done. Jerry Lawler was stripped of the unified title, so the matchmaker doesn't learn until 48 hours later that the king has been stripped of the title, and then it, make, it takes him another hour on the TV program to come out and announce it after Vince McMahon announces it. Vince had time to tape this and send it in to USWA and WMC Studios to air, and Eddie Marlin wasn't privy to this until earlier today, and it still took him until midway through the show to come out and announce this and strip the king of the title. So it's a bit silly here when you, when you look at all the, all the moving pieces to this. Nevertheless, the King finds out midway through the show that he's no longer champion, and he's upset about it, as you might imagine. Jerry the King Lawler, though, with a rematch with Randy Savage, the held-up unified title on the line, upcoming here um, at the Mid-South Coliseum. Let's take a look and see what happens here. October 11th, Mid-South Coliseum. Vince McMahon in the corner of the Macho Man, former two-time WWF champion, draws 850 fans. What the hell is going on down there in Memphis? And we see the Macho Man Randy Savage with Vince in his corner defeat Jerry the King Lawler with downtown Bruno in his corner to capture the vacant unified title. Wow. The Randy, so Randy Savage, now the USWA champion, DeMeltz notes the show drew 850 fans and only $5,000 in the gate, which was a major league disappointment. That's an understatement, Meltz, and makes four straight shows with disappointing crowds, with Jerry Lawler going up against WWF headliners playing heel roles. And if you aren't coming to a match like this, you just, you just aren't coming. I don't even know what to make of this. We fast forward to the next weekend, TV, October 16th, and this is where things get a little interesting. Vince McMahon, maybe not as enamored with coming down to Memphis, did something happen backstage? Is it because we're creeping up on the steroid trial arraignment? Or did Vince go out and see 850 fans and say, I'm not doing this anymore, pal? Because on October 16th, we get no interviews from the macho man Randy Savage, who is now the champion, by the way. We get no interviews from Vince McMahon whatsoever. Instead, we get Eddie Marlin coming out with a picture of Randy Savage with the words King of the Hicks written on the picture. So the story goes, macho man sent it in to toy with Eddie Marlin and the fans of the USWA sending a picture of himself, calling himself, he's king of the Hicks now because he's the champion and he's defending the title down there where the Hicks live. Another interesting note real quick on this episode, October 16th here, we see the USWA debut of one Doomsday, a.k.a. Glenn Jacobs in a mask down there in the USWA. Listen to this. 
during this episode of USWA TV, they ended up doing a special challenge elimination match, with their call, which they're calling a Survivor Series match for obvious reasons, where Vince McMahon is supposedly sending down Coco Ware, who was already part of the USWA, and he's been out of the WWF since May. But don't let the facts get in the way of a good story here. Vince sending down Coco Beware, Doink the Clown, a.k.a. Steve Lombardi, and Shawn Michaels to take on any three men chosen by the USWA. Now, immediately, we learn two of those men are Jerry the King Lawler and Jeff Jarrett. And surprisingly, Eddie Marlin selects Brian Christopher, the heel Brian Christopher, to round out the Team USWA along with two babyfaces, Jarrett and Lawler here. Christopher then comes out and cuts a promo saying he hates the WWF. So he'll be happy to join in this three-on-three match, this Survivor Series-type match at the Mid-South Coliseum, and he tells Jarrett and Lawler not to blow it for him. So while Christopher teaming with the faces, still acting like a heel. So this Monday night, we're going to see three separate matches involving all six of these guys, and then they're going to come back at the end of the night, and we're going to get a six-man tag team elimination match. It's Lawler, Jarrett, and Christopher taking on Shawn Michaels, Coco Beware, and Doink the Clown. Well, the Brooklyn Brawler version of Doink the Clown anyway. And let's see what happens as part of that Mid-South Coliseum show October 18th. It's Jerry Lawler over Steve Lombardi, Doink the Clown. It's USWA champion, formerly the Southern title, USWA champion Jeff Jarrett over Shawn Michaels on a disqualification. And it's Brian Christopher teaming with his valet, Tony Adams, over the team of Coco Beware and Miss Texas. Should be noted after that match, Coco puts the boots to his own partner, Miss Texas. Terrible, Coco. And looks like he lays in a shoot punch to the jaw of sometimes referee, sometimes wrestler T.D. Steele. And then we go on to the main event, that Survivor Series match, Lawler, Jarrett, and Christopher taking on Michaels, Doink, and Coco Beware. Here's how it plays out. The first elimination of the match, it's Brian Christopher pinning Shawn Michaels. Shawn's not a fool. You're going to get paid whatever you're getting paid either way. So let's just do the job and get the hell out of there. Brian Christopher over HBK after Michael sustained the pile driver behind the referee's back from Jerry the King Lawler. Christopher then steals the win, pinning HBK there. Then it's Coco Beware over Jerry the King Lawler after Shawn Michaels returns ringside, distracts the king, and Coco nails Lawler with a foreign object to pick up the win. Then Doink the Clown, Steve Lombardi, pins Jeff Jarrett after Coco nails Jarrett with the foreign object as well. So it's down to Doink and Coco taking on Brian Christopher. You would have never imagined that. The first three guys out, Jarrett, Lawler, and HBK. But Brian Christopher evens the odds when he pins Doink the Clown after Coco accidentally hits his own tag team partner. And we're down to one-on-one. Brian Christopher and Coco wear it. We saw them earlier in a mixed tag. And then once again, it's Brian Christopher getting the win here over Coco Beware after Shawn Michaels returns again. And he accidentally hits his own partner where Christopher then throwing Michaels from the ring and getting the win on Coco. Post-match, though, it's HBK, Coco, and Doink all triple teaming. Brian Christopher until Jerry Lawler and Jeff Jarrett make the save for the heel Christopher. Is, is he going babyface here? We'll have to wait and see as Brian Christopher nods at Jarrett and Lawler after saving him, but no handshakes there. Christopher leaves on his own. DeMeltz reports, most speculation is that with Lawler working a regular schedule shortly for the WWF, not going to happen for other reasons, and Jeff Jarrett also going into the WWF full-time, that the USWA needs a new top babyface 
who will be there all the time. And Christopher will be that one baby face. Lawler and Jarrett will still be able to work regularly in Memphis because WWF only runs Monday nights every third week for television and is off on Mondays the other two weeks. However, they won't be able to work the weekend spot shows or TV. So an interesting month here so far in the USWA, and it just keeps going on. October 23rd TV, we see highlights of the elimination match from the 18th in the Coliseum. We also see clips of Tony Adams and Christopher over Coco and Miss Texas. We also see Coco putting the boots to Miss Texas here on TV. Men on women violence on TV here in 93. We also learn that the tag team titles are held up, and that will cause a USWA tag team title tournament to take place this Monday night at the Coliseum. One of the teams involved will be the WWF team, quote-unquote WWF team, of Coco Beware and Doink the Clown. But Coco is nowhere to be found on this episode of USWA TV, so I guess in Jerry Jarrett's mind, one guy is just as good as another. So filling in for Coco here on TV only is Reggie B. Fine as he comes out with Doink the Clown, and they talk about that tag team title tournament, even though Reggie B. Fine in a completely different team in the tournament. He's here specifically for this upcoming angle because they need two guys. And I guess Reggie B. Fine playing the part of Coco Ware, if you will, for this upcoming angle here on TV. But it is visibly clear here that the Doink the Clown on USWA TV is absolutely not Matt Bourne. You can see immediately in the face, this is absolutely the Brooklyn Brawler Steve Lombardi playing the part of Doink the Clown here on USWA TV. And all of the facials gone. No facials whatsoever from the Brooklyn Brawler. Barely any mannerisms. He does not capture the Doink the Clown character very well at all. And following a promo from those two, we see Brian Christopher in a squash match where he's attacked by Reggie B. Fine and Doink the Clown. But it's Jeff Jarrett who makes the save. And that's when we learn Jeff Jarrett, who doesn't necessarily trust Brian Christopher. Remember, Jarrett's still a baby face at this point. Christopher's still a heel. But Jeff Jarrett says he will be Brian's partner as part of the upcoming tag team title tournament. Later on in this episode, it's Doink the Clown, Steve Lombardi over the masked American Eagle. And there is a clear difference here between the Matt Bourne doink and the Steve Lombardi doink, not just in his mannerisms, but also in the ring. Completely different arsenal of moves, very boring and bland. And the Brooklyn Brawler takes as many bumps here as Doink the Clown as he does give it to this job guy, the American Eagle. Why, you may ask? Well, that's just what Brawler's used to doing, taking bumps. And Doink actually has to use a foreign object to pick up the win here over the American Eagle on TV. Unbelievable. And that concludes this episode of USWA TV with most of the teams scheduled to participate in the tag tournament in the ring brawling with one another. Let's look at the tag team title tournament as part of the October 25th Mid-South Coliseum show. In the quarterfinals, it's PG-13 over the American Eagles. It's the Moondogs over Jeff Gaylord and Mike Anthony. Jerry Lawler teaming with the Red Knight, who here on this night is portrayed by Del Rios, a.k.a. the Spellbinder. So it's Lawler and the Red Knight over Doomsday, Kane, and Reggie B. Fine, and Jeff Jarrett and Brian Christopher over Doink the Clown, and Coco Beware on a disqualification. Coco had Christopher pinned, but as he was being pinned, Christopher, the heel, wisely took a chain out of his trunks, shoved him into Coco's trunks, and then following the match, the referee found the chain hanging out of Coco's wear, if you will, and reversed the decision. 
saw this quite a bit down in the USWA, as well as the Dallas version growing up. Clever spot here, though. Christopher using his own chain, putting it on Coco, and then the referee reversing the decision, giving Jarrett and Christopher the win by disqualification. As we move on to the semis, it's Jerry Lawler and the Red Knight over the Moondogs, and Jarrett and Christopher over the team of PG-13. Don't worry, guys. They'll get enough title wins in the future. And then it's on to the finals. USWA Tag Team Title Tournament Finals. Jeff Jarrett and Brian Christopher over Jerry Lawler and the Red Knight to win the titles after Jarrett hit Lawler with a chain given to him by Brian Christopher. So it wasn't Christopher turning face. It looks like it's Jarrett going heel. And perfect timing, too, with his vignettes getting ready to air on WWF TV. Christopher and Jarrett, the new tag team champions, defeating Jerry Lawler and the Red Knight. Wow. And we move on to one final weekend of USWA TV here. The main event of TVC's Southern champion, or USWA champion as it's now being referred to, Jeff Jarrett over Doink the Clown. I'm not so sure this is Steve Lombardi. No chest hair whatsoever here. Two, it just doesn't seem like the same guy. This guy actually seems more competent in the ring, I hate to say. A little better of an entertaining wrestler is this version of Doink here this week. Now, could it be Lombardi? It's possible. It's absolutely not Matt Bourne, but I'm not really sure who this is here on October 30th TV in the USWA. The finish sees Jeff Jarrett going for the pinfall while the referee is down, but Coco Ware runs out and nails Jarrett with a steel chain, putting Doink on top to steal the title, but the referee's still down, so it's Christopher then running out with his own chain and nailing Doink the Clown and putting Jarrett back on top to steal the win. So Jeff Jarrett picks up the win here, they outsmart the other heels, Christopher and Jarrett, edgier baby faces at the very least here, outsmarting this version of Doink the Clown and Coco Beware. Jeff Jarrett retains the Southern title, and just to get it out of the way, we'll move on to Monday night at the Mid-South Coliseum. It's the new team of Coco Beware and Rex Hargrove over tag team champions Jeff Jarrett and Brian Christopher to win the titles after one week because it is Memphis. Tony Adams was at ringside for Jeff Jarrett and Brian Christopher. Remember, she's the valet of Brian Christopher here, but not any longer. She actually turns on Brian Christopher, throwing powder in his face, which caused him to get pinned. And it appears here Hargrove actually brought in to replace the advertised Shawn Michaels. So remember, Vince McMahon laid it out. No more WWF talent to the USWA. And it shows here. We go from Shawn Michaels to Rex Hargrove. Now, you have to wonder, does that mean we were going to see tag team champions Shawn Michaels and Coco Beware sign me up all day long? But instead, Coco Ware, Rex Hargrove over Jarrett and Christopher, as Shawn Michaels was announced as being injured in Calgary, of all places. The irony here, Shawn Michaels wasn't injured. Shawn Michaels wasn't even wrestling. They were nowhere near Calgary at this point on the WWF tour. And, well, it's Shawn Michaels in Calgary. Over to Smoky Mountain Wrestling and the Night of Champions series. We talked about the Steiners and Sensational Sherry being brought in for these shows for four nights of Smoky Mountain Wrestling. DeMeltz reports it set a record house for Barberville, Kentucky. A thousand and nine fans breaking the old record of 666. Yikes. I bet Corny was happy to break that record. However, that was the only night that they set a new record as the houses the other three nights no better than usual, reports to Meltz. Hazard, Kentucky drew 450 fans. Knoxville, only 1,100. And Johnson City, 969. 
The cards were said to have been above normal standard, with most of the matches being three stars or better every night. I can imagine that. And this is how it played out. We're going to look at this night tonight. Smoky Mountain in Hazard, Kentucky on October 7th. It's Brian Lee, Smoky Mountain champion, over Tracy Smothers. Now remember, every night, Brian Lee accompanied by his manager, Tammy Fitch, the future Sonny. And every night, Tracy Smothers being accompanied by the sensational Sherry. DeMeltz notes that Sherry got the biggest pop almost every night when she finally punches Brian Lee near the end of the match. However, I should note Brian Lee does retain the title, pinning Tracy Smothers every night. Also, every night we see the Steiner brothers taking on the team of the Heavenly Bodies, Jim Cornette's Heavenly Bodies. Here on night one, it's the Steiners over the bodies on disqualification. We move on to night two in Knoxville at the Civic Coliseum, October the 8th. Once again, Brian Lee over Smothers with Sherry. Then it's the Heavenly Bodies this time over the Steiner brothers on disqualification after Rick was hit with Cornette's tennis racket and then double-teamed Scott untied their dog. Remember, Arnold the dog was part of this tour. The Steiners bring Arnold their dog, their Rick Steiner's pit bull, to ringside with them every night. Arnold the dog chasing Pritchard and Del Rey around the ring after the match. Move on to Barberville on October 9th. Heavyweight champion Brian Lee over Tracy Smothers. And again, the Heavenly Bodies over the Steiners under disqualification. No doubt with the same finish. And we finish up the Smoky Mountain Tour, Night of Champions Tour. Once again, Brian Lee retaining the title over Tracy Smothers. And then it's the Steiners over the Heavenly Bodies by disqualification. It's noted that Arnold the Dog, I guess Scott Steiner's Pitbull, I said Rick, I apologize, managed the Steiners and chased Jim Cornette around the ring. During the matches, Arnold was chained to the ring post but managed to jump on the apron and legit bit Tom Pritchard as well as referee Mark Curtis over the weekend. I bet they were happy about that. All four matches ended on disqualification with the Steiners winning two and the Bodies winning two as well. All right, and with all the news out of the way, it's that time. Time for... Virgil of the Week. Oh, yeah. And as fun as Virgil of the Week has been, I encourage you guys to send in your own favorite Virgil promos from time gone by. It could be Virgil as Virgil or Virgil as Shane, Vincent. Hell, if you got a Soul Train Jones promo, send it on in. I'm, I'm willing to listen to it. And we'll try to get it on air. But here this week, it's going to be Virgil as the newest member of the West Texas Rednecks stable in the WCW. You may remember Kurt Hennig, the Wyndhams, Barry and Kendall, and Bobby Duncan Jr. Well, they added a fifth West Texas Redneck by the name of Curly Bill. Virgil is Curly Bill here in the WCW. Had to cheat a little bit this week. We are in October of 93 in the WWF. This is a Virgil promo, a Curly Bill promo heading into Halloween Havoc over in WCW, so I thought the timing was right, but I'm running low on Virgil promos, guys, so send them on in if you got them. But for right now, here's Curly Bill explaining how he became a member of the West Texas Rednecks. Explain it to him, Curly. Here's the latest member to join the troop, if you will. I don't know if he's totally redneck, but he is no Fine. other... have got a new sheriff in town. Curly Bill, welcome to WCW right. Worldwide. You are a West Texas redneck, are you not? Cold-blooded redneck, right out the closet. I always was a redneck, and now I can show all these good people what they were missing. All right, uh, you were listening to James Brown, and you were listening to all the great rappers and everything. Now, what? Right. I hate that rap crap. Look, I hate a rap. That's right, I'm a redneck. We love. Uh, Can you imagine that rap is crap on uh, this man's body? Uh, I find. Uh, get some of that food out of those pearly uh, get, whites. Yeah, I get that. 
the roku out of here. No, right. I've got to ask you a question, uh, Curly Bill. I'll listen. Uh, Ver- Vincent, whatever the candle happens. Get that happens. crew up. Uh, let's talk about uh, a right. couple of the top contenders right now as far as tag team action is concerned. That would be your colleagues, Barry and Kendall Windham. But the, the champions are indeed brothers. They are, uh, matter of fact, blood brothers. I'm talking about Booker T and Stevie Ray, tag team champions, the Harlem Heat. So they say the brothers, but the Windhams, Henning, Curly Burl, we're all brothers. They cut me with a blade. They cut themselves. We mix blood. We homeboys now. You know something, Curly Bill? I thank you very much. He truly is a West Texas redneck. Howdy. All right, and I, I don't really know what to say to any of that. <laughs> Mean Gene having a little fun, and he certainly uh, made the conversation a little more lively. Harlem Heat are brothers, but I guess Virgil Blood Brothers with the West Texas Rednecks. Uh, he talks about them getting a blade and cutting his hand. Yes, I, I get the whole idea of the Blood Brother thing, but it was just funny listening to Virgil nonchalantly talking about getting the blade and cutting the hand and swapping blood. Sounds like Hepatitis City to me. But it was nice to hear from old Curly Bill here in 1993. And we go on to WWF TV. It's WWF Superstars for October 2nd. Tape back August 31st, Grand Rapids, Michigan at the Grand Center. Last week on Challenge, we go back in time to see Doink soak the head of Jerry the King Lawler, dump the bucket on his head. And as we kick off superstars here, it's Vince McMahon, the Macho Man, and Jerry the King Lawler. Vince McMahon having a laugh at the expense of the King. And the Macho Man seeing how many times he can refer to Lawler as Old Buckethead. <laughs> Vince McMahon laughs away at the King forcing Jerry Lawler to walk away from the pair. As we kick things off, it's the Steiner brothers taking out the team of Chad Miller and Tom Bennett. Now, remember, the Steiners lost the belt September 13th, but this was taped back on August 31st, and even then, the day after SummerSlam, the Steiners on their way out with no titles around their waist. So they were clearly told, likely, the day of this taping, you guys are losing the belts. You failed a drug test, you're losing the belt. So I wouldn't want to be Miller or Bennett heading into this one. As the match gets going, Jerry Lawler, humiliated still from Doink, returns to commentary. And as the match gets going, Bennett, not very good at all here. Scott, with an overhead belly-to-belly, launches Bennett. Bennett doesn't really know how to take the bump. And holy shit! Lands on the top of his head. His head folds underneath his shoulders upside down. Talk about Jif City. This is going to have to make it to social media, guys. Scott Steiner dumps this guy on the top of his head and I'm not blaming Scotty for the entire ordeal. Scott, though, tags to brother Rick. Rick Steiner, the legal man now as they nail the doomsday bulldog on Miller. Rick Steiner, the legal man, but it's Scotty who makes the cover. And the Steiners pick up the win, 3 minutes, 47 seconds. They do that all the time. Go back and check that out. Over on the Royal Magistrator, we see a picture of the Steiners as Jerry Lawler draws suspenders on Scotty. Why? Well, he lost his belt. And then Lawler's still fuming from Doink the Clown in the water incident last week. He draws a Doink face on Rick Steiner simply because he's a clown. I won't argue that. As we go on to update, we talk about a new intercontinental champion to be crowned. With Shawn Michaels suspended, we learn this Monday on Raw, there will be a 20-man battle royal. The final two men will go on to the next week to challenge and see who will be the next intercontinental champion. Back to the ring, it's Ludwig Borga. Taking on Sonny Rogers. Randy Savage gets a voiceover at the beginning of the match to put himself over as a participant in that battle royal. But in the ring, Ludwig Borga attacks a long delayed suplex by Ludwig, and then somehow, at some point, 
Borga has split himself open right on the forehead, right at the top of the dome. Borga split wide open, blood pouring down his head. And the hard camera actually zooms in and shoots it for multiple seconds. And remember in the WWF, they try to hide it the best they can, especially during this time period. But here, just for about five, six seconds, they zoom in on it. And commentary points it out as well. You can't really hide it. But I'm, I'm actually shocked that this made air. Borga bleeds for the rest of the match. He even misses a charge in the corner. Sonny Rogers tries a comeback. He tries a clothesline, which Borga just walks through. Ludwig then catches a crossbody attempt and turns it into a power slam as he hooks Sonny Rogers up in a torture rack. I wrote bleeding torture rack. So cool, Borga facing the hard camera. He's got Sonny Rogers in the torture rack and bleeding down his head at the same time. Really cool look here. Borga gets the win in three minutes. And over on the Magistrator, we see Ludwig Borga have Sonny Rogers up in that torture rack. And once again, the king still fuming at Doink the Clown as he draws yet another Doink face on the head of Sonny Rogers here. As we're off to face-to-face and Joe Fowler over on the Peacock, he talks to Jim Cornette and Yokozuna, as well as The Undertaker and Paul Bear about their upcoming matches. We've been getting a lot of calls. Who's next for the World Wrestling Federation champion Yokozuna? Well, I'll tell you who is next. It's The Undertaker. We have both of our principals and their entourage right now. The champion Yokozuna with their manager, Mr. Fuji and Jim Cornette. And of course, in the darkness, The Undertaker. I see Paul Bearer and The Urn have returned. This is going to be a major battle. Mr. Cornette, it's a fact, though. The Undertaker is unaffected by pain. Let me just say this. It's a fact that The Undertaker has been unaffected by anybody else's pain they've dished out, but not the pain dished out by Yokozuna. Paul Bearer's been hiding somewhere for all these past months. Maybe he was the, the new centerfold in Famous Monsters of Filmland. Yeah, I see you, you pasty-faced little weasel. Let me tell you something, Gomez Adams. You bring that ashtray. You bring it to ringside. You're not going to have any effect on my man Yokozuna. Mr. Fuji will be there to keep an eye on you. And as for The Undertaker, those brittle bones that have been rotting ever since you passed away, whoever knows how long ago, can still be broken just like anybody else's. And the pain that you can feel down deep inside can only be brought out by the bonsai drop of the great Yokozuna. So when you get in there and you attempt a challenge for this man's gold belt, you just remember one thing, Undertaker. I don't know whether you're human down deep, but I guarantee you, Yokozuna can make you feel some human emotions and some human pain. You say you don't feel pain? Well, this man doesn't feel fear. So you try to scare him, he'll try to hurt you. Oh, what a fatal mistake Yokozuna has made. Having Jim Cornette and Mr. Fuji handle his affairs. What they've actually done is signed his death warrant. In Japan, they use cremation to bury the dead. Oh, what a bonfire Yokozuna will make. And that death will be all ours. Yokozuna, it's time that you realize I'm the most powerful entity in the World Wrestling Federation. I'll take that belt, but more important, I'll take your soul. Rest in peace. And you can never go wrong with a Jim Cornette promo. As we move on to more face-to-face, New York and the Nassau Coliseum, October 29th, it's Brett the Hitman Hart and Jerry the King Lawler. I have with me now the combatants and perhaps the most heated rivalry the WWF has ever seen. The undisputed king of the WWF, Jerry Lawler, and former triple title holder, Brett the Hitman Hart. 
Now, I said undisputed king of the WWF, Jerry Lawler, but Hitman, I know you have a dispute with him, and I know people are still talking about SummerSlam. You're sure right about that. I'd like to know who he's beaten. Who is this guy beaten actually call himself the king? I know one thing. They stretched you out of the SummerSlam, Jerry Lawler. They stretched you out after I just about snapped you in half. And I don't mind telling you right here, right now to your face that I hate your guts. I look forward to a rematch. I look forward to a rematch. And if anybody deserves to have a grudge match with you, it's me, because I got a grudge against you. And I look forward to doing it in Nassau Coliseum. I am going to obliterate you. I am going to wipe you out. I am going to destroy you, Jerry Lawler. You're nothing but scum. Well, I'm sorry if I don't look scared, but it's because I'm not. You will be. Let me tell you something, Bret Hart. You want to talk about hate? If hate was written on every grain of sand in the Sahara Desert, that wouldn't equal the hate I have for you and your whole stinking family. I want you to bring them all down to the Nassau Coliseum. Your feeble old man and your wrinkled up old mother and all of those illiterate brothers and sisters and sit them at ringside because I want them to be right there with all the rest of the peons in the Nassau Coliseum when they see who is the one and only undisputed king of the World Wrestling Federation. Bret Hart promising to obliterate the scum. Lousy hyena, stinking lousy hyena, Jerry Lawler. Just promise me one thing, Brett, no schmozzes here. When you take on the king, as we go back to the ring, IRS taking on Gary Jackson. Jackson gets in his token offense early, but IRS uses his momentum to fling him through the ropes. Nice bump to the floor by Gary Jackson. Then back inside, IRS using the ropes for leverage while applying a toehold for the duration of the match. And then it's the write-off. I wrote, as in, Put me to sleep. The match goes three minutes and 40 seconds. Yuck. And yet another new Undertaker vignette, and we've heard him say this in the past, guys, but here he is to remind you again. Take it away, Taker. If you're using drugs, you're digging your own grave. There's no hope with dope. No hope with dope, says The Undertaker. Back to the ring, more action. Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna Vachon in his corner taking on Rod Bell. And most of the commentary for this match is actually spent discussing the recent issues between the Macho Man Randy Savage and Crush via their telephone conversations on Raw. During the match on commentary, Vince McMahon refers to Luna Vachon. He says, she'll give you the willies. To which Macho Man replies, no thank you. In the match, it's Bam Bam Bigelow busting out the Ghetto Blaster, bad news style, and the diving headbutt gets the win one minute and 42 seconds. And we move on to our next match. It's Doink the Clown, scheduled to take on, I wrote question mark here, but I may have figured out the identity of this job guy, and we'll get to that later on in this episode of The Grenade. But right now, it's Doink the Clown, scheduled for a squash match. And all of a sudden, as he's coming out, and it's still the heel Doink music, by the way, Macho Man goes, I like this music. I wrote, what the fuck? When did all of a sudden Doink the Clown, just overnight, the character becomes a babyface, and we just love everything about him? The pranks he was doing before, they're funny now. And speaking of pranks, Doink the Clown passes Bam Bam and Luna in the aisleway. Boy, we've seen a lot of that lately, haven't we? And Doink teases Bam Bam Bigelow with one of the buckets, finally tossing confetti on Bigelow. Bammer gets in his face, sticks his finger in Doink's face, and warns him not to do it again. 
But as Bigelow walks away, Luna's not done with the clown just yet. Now she's got a thing or two to say to Doink. But the clown having none of it, and he takes his second bucket and dumps the bucket of water over the head of Luna Vachon. And when the bucket comes up, Luna down on her knees. Amazing, tremendous facials here by Vachon selling the water. Almost trembling and humiliated and angry all at the same time. Great sell job here by Luna, who is now drenched in water on her knees in the aisle. Doink all the way to the ring now, getting a big kick out of what he's just done to Vachon, laughing at her expense. But Bam Bam Bigelow turns around and realizes what has happened. He comes over and consoles his main squeeze Luna to find out what happened, and he returns to the ring. Bam Bam Bigelow is hot. And he and Luna storm the ring going after Doink the Clown, who wisely jumps out of the ring. And when Bigelow turns around, Doink grabs him by his ankles, trips up Bigelow, who lands smack dab on his face. I wrote LOL, great bump there by Bigelow. Bigelow then out to the floor to chase Doink around ringside. Doink, though, crawls underneath the ring and disappears. And as Bam Bam Bigelow is looking for him on the outside, underneath the ring, inside this job guy is tending to Luna Vachon. He's concerned. He's checking on her. But Luna wants none of that. She keeps shoving the job guy away. You should have listened the first time. As this poor enhancement talent continues to attempt to console Luna, Bam Bam Bigelow gets wind of it, and nobody talks to his main squeeze. Bigelow rolls in the ring and proceeds to beat the living crap out of this poor job guy. Meanwhile, he doesn't realize that Doink has emerged from under the ring and begins tying a wire from one side of the guardrail in the aisle to the other. Doink then back in the ring with a broom Nails it across the back of Bam Bam Bigelow, merely to get his attention. It doesn't seem to phase Bigelow whatsoever, other than to anger him further. Doink then runs out and up the aisle and plops down onto his ass as he continues to point and laugh at Bigelow in the ring, who has had enough of it. Bigelow's on the chase now. Bammer jumps out of the ring and begins to chase Doink up the aisle, but trips over the wire. <laughs> Bam Bam trips over the wire and Doink having a big laugh at his expense. Wouldn't want to make that guy mad. And this one pretty much sealed the deal for me. Remember I talked about I needed a little more proof that Doink was going completely babyface. It started with Lawler criticizing Doink on commentary. It went on to Doink throwing the bucket of water on Bobby Heenan, dumping the bucket of water over the king's head. Now these guys are announcers and part-time announcers. So I was rationalizing in my own head, trying to believe that Doink wasn't completely a face just yet. Well, this pretty much seals the deal right here. And it's good to note that this is taped way back on August 31st. This is Matt Bourne doing a phenomenal job as the baby face in this role. As of right now, I will admit that Matt Bourne making the Doink the Clown babyface character work. And as silly as reading this on paper or reading this on my screen and re repeating this on, on the show may sound, Doink the Clown, hits him with the broom, Doink the Clown, ties a wire. It all worked. As silly as this sounds on paper, it all worked. And of course, Vince McMahon throwing in his uh, oversold laugh. Ha ha ha! Fucking hilarious. Good shit, pal. Vince McMahon enjoying the antics of one Doink the Clown. It wasn't funny, Vince, when he ripped his heart right out of his socket and beat Crush, but here, with Bam Bam Bigelow, that's okay. More action in the ring? Holy shit, the new rockers explode. Three years early, 
as Marty Jannetty takes on Steve Moore, or you may know him better as Al Snow. Jannetty versus Al Snow here, and Snow getting in a shit ton of offense for some odd reason. Vince McMahon not even bothering to learn the job guy's name here, referring to Steve Moore as Eric Moore. Snow works the back of Jannetty for most of the match before Jannetty makes the comeback. The spinning elbow and the rocker dropper gets the win three minutes and 90 seconds. We're treated, I use that term loosely, to a Mr. Nanny commercial, and it's back to the ring. Heavenly Bodies with Jim Cornette taking on Reno Riggins and John Paul. Reno looking really good early here, even flipped out of a powerbomb. You can't powerbomb, Riggins. That's somebody else's gimmick. Reno escapes the powerbomb and turns it into an inside cradle, gets a near fall on Del Rey. Tom Pritchard even has to come in to try to break up the count there. But in the end, it's Jimmy Del Rey with a super kick and a moonsault body press. On Riggins gets the win three minutes and 39 seconds as we go back to face-to-face. And the Peacock, as the Quebecers and Johnny Polo, they're not the Mounties, by the way. We'll hear from them, and we'll also hear from Razor Ramon as he talks about IRS. A lot of callers, especially from the Midwest, uh, disappointed, perturbed, concerned about the Steiner brothers losing their tag team title to the Quebecers. Well, we have the Quebecers with us right now with their manager, Johnny Polo. I might add that some people are astounded that this happened. You guys want the scoop? We'll give you the scoop. You ready, guys? Yes. We're not the Mounties. We're handsome. We're brave. And they're strong. <laughs> Let me tell you something. I searched the world over, and I found the most phenomenal tag team in the sport of wrestling, and that is why. Yes! That is why the World Wrestling Federation Tag Team Champions. Those little Steiner brothers, they're a bunch of crybabies. They're crying. They they cheated. They didn't win fair and square. Well, we did win fair and square, and we'll do it again. Tell them, Pierre. Hey, hey, les Steiners. Vous avez peut-être été à l'Université du Michigan, mais quand on s'est rencontrés dans l'arène, ça paraissait you bunch of cry baby americans you didn't like the world series you didn't like the stanley cup and in, in hockey and you ain't gonna like what's coming up with us for the next two years to come boys there is another issue in the wwf that has really reached somewhat of a, a dirty and ugly level and it might be because a dirty and ugly job was offered to one Razor Ramon. Let's bring Razor in right now on Face to Face. Razor, Erwin R. Scheister, IRS, offered you what he called a domestic job. I think he glorified it. What we were talking about here was toilet cleaning. You know, Joe, the tax man, he talk about working with your hands, hard work, like that's something bad. I know a lot of people out there work hard every day. The bad guy, he done a lot of work with his hands. I done some bad things with my hands. And tax man, when you step into the ring and look across and see Razor Ramon standing there, Chico, I'm going to do some work with these hands. I'm going to use these hands, Chico, to carve you that is a match a lot of people want to see right here on the wwf good stuff there and did you catch the quebecers talking about being champions for the next two years so there's a two-year plan in place here wonder what jacques planned to do in 95 
And it's more face-to-face. WWF headed back to the Nassau Coliseum, New York, on October 29th. And we're going to hear from Lex Luger and Ludwig Borga. I have two truly gifted athletes joining me right now, an American original, Lex Luger, and Helsinki's own Ludwig Borga. Can the Nassau Coliseum hold these two all in one night? You guys are going to just blow the roof off the place. But I do want to say one thing. I've got to congratulate you, Lex Luger. This is our first face-to-face in SummerSlam. Congratulations. You captured the spirit of America. A gallant effort that night. Thank you very much. I'm really looking forward to coming back to the Nassau Coliseum. And as far as SummerSlam goes, it was a great feeling. It was a great victory. It victory. was an honor Hold and a on. privilege. What to... victory, Lex Luger? You lost. Like, that's the whole thing about America. It's full with loser. So how can you congratulate him about anything? Well, the whole America is crumbling. And that's Lex Luger. I see you as the backbone of America. At Nassau, I'm going to break your back. Well, Mr. Borg, again, exercising his freedom of speech, I think the uh, fans at Nassau Coliseum on the 29th will do the same, Lex. What's well, one of the things this great nation of ours is founded on, Mr. Borga? Freedom of speech. That's what allows you to spew all that garbage that seems to be coming out of your mouth. There's another thing this country was founded on, and that's competition. The best against the best right here in the World Wrestling Federation. And that's what they're going to get in the Nassau Coliseum. So I welcome the opportunity to step in with you right there in the ring in Nassau and show you what Made in America is all about. Defend my country, defend Lex Luger, and what show you what Made in the U.S. of A. is all about. All right, and I'm not sure when this one was recorded, but Ludwig Borger there, you could see that split in his head from when he got his head split open. Uh, Lex Luger, I thought it was a mistake, but he does this quite often. Instead of the word spew, he always says spoo. You spoo that garbage. We'll hear that uh, several times more here from Mr. Made in the USA. And uh, that's the end of Superstars this week. A little bit of everything here on commentary. Lawler spent several segments healing it up on Doink. The Macho Man spent most of the one segment talking about his issues with Crush. Bigelow moved into a new feud now with Doink the Clown. We'll have to see where Tatanka goes next. They sold Radio WWF throughout the show. And of course, throughout the entire episode, Randy Savage trying to get over the, the term book it hid for Jerry Lawler. As we move on to WWF Mania for October 2nd, it's Todd Pettengill here. And Mania exclusive is the macho man Randy Savage at a ballpark walking around talking to Lex Luger. Lex puts over Ludwig Borga as an athlete, but he's not a fan of Ludwig Borga and his feelings on America. Lex also says he still plans some way, somehow, to get back in that WWF title picture. And this interview here with Lex Luger, it does him no favors. It's very much like the Vince McMahon interview. It's much like some of the interviews heading in to the SummerSlam pay-per-view. Just a humble, quiet, normal conversation. Not a wrestling conversation, just a normal, humble man or at least Lex portraying a humble man, everything's just ho-hum. As we move on to Wrestling Challenge, October 3rd, tape back September 1st in Saginaw, Michigan at the Civic Center. It's Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan on commentary. We go straight to the ring. Mr. Perfect taking on Brian Costello, and it's perfect with most of the usual. Costello with brief offense here. He even goes to the top rope, but Hennig slams him off to the mat, and it's the running knee lift, a rolling neck snap, and You can't backdrop Mr. Perfect. Perfect Plex gets the win. Three minutes, 13 seconds. We get special report from Alfred Hayes. Alfred Hayes talks about Shawn Michaels being stripped of the title. The Battle Royal upcoming on Monday Night Raw. Well, let's let Alfred talk about it. He puts it ever so eloquently. Tell us about it, your lordship. 
everyone. This is Special Report. The breathtaking news coming from Jack Tunney's office this week has the World Wrestling Federation spinning back on its heels in awe and anticipation. Shawn Michaels has been officially relieved of the Intercontinental title. Here is President Tunney's authoritative proclamation. Shawn Michaels has failed to appear for a number of intercontinental title defenses and has refused to fulfill his contractual obligations. Therefore, the World Wrestling Federation had no alternative but to suspend Mr. Michaels and strip him of the intercontinental championship. As a result of these actions, I have declared that this Monday night, a 20-man over-the-top rope battle royal will take place on Monday Night Raw. 20 men will battle it out until only two remain. Those two will meet the following Monday night on Monday Night Raw in single competition to determine the new Intercontinental Champion. Now, with that positive declaration in mind, here is a list of the 20 superstars who will be battling in this unique tour de force. Firstly, we have the two-time former Intercontinental Champion, Mr. Perfect, and then, the one, two, three kid, Adam Bob, Bam Bam Bigelow, Bastion Booger, former WWF champion Bob Backlund, bodyguard Diesel, nearly eight foot tall Giant Gonzalez, Erwin R. Scheister, Jacques of the Quebecers, former intercontinental champion Marty Gennetti, a newcomer to the WWF, the rugged MVP, Owen Hart, Reza Ramon, Pierre of the Quebecers, Returning especially for this important battle royal, the model Rick Martel, Superfly Jimmy Snooker, Mabel of Men on a Mission, the Native American Tataka, and finally, the former two-time WWF champion, the incomparable Macho Man Randy Savage. With this highly talented list of superstars vying for the much-coveted Intercontinental Championship, this battle royal will be a fiercely contested and explosive eruption. It all takes place this Monday night on Monday Night Raw. For the World Wrestling Federation, this has been Special Report. And we've already heard Gorilla talk about it and Joe Fowler, but I thought, thought it's been a while since we heard from Alfred Hayes, and there's no better time than the present to get some more Alfred in our life. As we move on, more action in the ring. Hoo-hoo. The Head Shrinkers taking on the team of Red, Tyler, and Virgil. And for some odd reason, we get a long close-up of Mike McGurk seated at ringside and I don't, I don't know if that's so you can kiss her goodbye because Mike McGurk going to be gone by the end of the month. In the ring, Virgil turns his back on Fatu to start, though he does make the comeback on both Samoans until he tries a double knock and knocker on the head shrinkers. Stupid. The Samoans then lay Virgil out. And Virgil leaps for his life to tag out, and in comes Red Tyler. Red surprisingly immediately with a double clothesline drops the Samoans. And he goes to the top rope, a top rope cross body block by Red Tyler on both Samu and Fatu, but they catch him in midair. And as they're standing there, Virgil off the top rope with a drop kick. He drop kicks his partner, Red Tyler, onto the top of the Samoans. Red Tyler, a two count, a near fall on one of the head shrinkers. Unbelievable here. But it all comes to an abrupt halt as Virgil eats a double thrust kick by the head shrinkers, and he is knocked out cold. For the remainder of the match, Virgil out of this one. But Red Tyler hanging around longer than you'd expect, hanging around longer than Virgil. However, from here, the head shrinkers pick him apart. In fact, they destroy poor Red Tyler. They even hit the old shaker height spike across the top rope. Oh, what a hot shot. 
And I think it's at this point, Red Tyler's mouth is busted open as Fatu gets the win with the diving splash. Four minutes, 51 seconds. And then following the match, the head shrinkers roll Tyler out of the ring and shove his face up in front of the camera. They want to show off the damage they did. Red Tyler bleeding from the mouth as we go to face to face. It's more talk about the Nassau Coliseum on October 29th. Here we hear from Bret Hart and the Burger King. It doesn't get any hotter than this. What a rivalry. We spoke to them yesterday on Superstars. We have them back. The undisputed king of the World Wrestling Federation, Jerry Lawler, and former triple title holder, Bret the Hitman Hart, undisputed king of the WWF, Jerry Lawler. Well, I know the Hitman disputes, and I know that there are plenty of fans out there who watch SummerSlam who agree. Hitman? How can this guy actually stand in front of the world and actually call himself a king? A king of what? You've never beaten anybody, Jerry Lawler, and you've never, ever beaten me. I beat three guys in the King of the Ring tournament to be called the King of the Ring. And when I was in the SummerSlam with you, well, I just about broke you in half. I'm actually surprised that you can stand there. But you know what? I hate your guts. And I got a, I got a perfect way to solve it. A grudge match. You know what a grudge match is? That's where two guys let out their aggression because they've got a grudge. And that's exactly what I'm going to do with you. And Nassau Coliseum, I am going to wipe you out. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Well, I'm right. surprised that you're still here after what I told you yesterday. I thought you would have got out of town by now. Because Wrong. you're just like your old man, and you're just like your mother, and you're just like all of your brothers and sisters. You're a coward, Bret Hart. You come from a long line of stinking cowards. And I'm going to prove it to you and all of your stinking fans here in the Big Apple. I hate each and every one of you. It's the rotten apple as far as I'm concerned. And I am the only undisputed king, and I'm going to prove it to you. What a hot feud this was. Unfortunately, he gets a bucket of ice water dumped out of here before too long, and I don't mean Doink's bucket either. Another new unbelievable promo as we hear Air Force One's flight will be delayed as the president is too busy at home watching Raw. We move on with more action. One, two, three, kid taken on Tom Stone. On commentary, Bobby Heenan sells that the kid could even win the Battle Royal because he's just been so lucky as of late. Bobby Heenan even talks about the time that he snuck underneath the ring and came back out at the very last moment to eliminate the final two combatants and win a battle royal in the past. JR tries to imply that Bobby Heenan is very old. He asks him, Bobby, was that the 50s or the 60s? To which Heenan replies, he doesn't know what the temperature was. Tom Stone getting in a bunch of offense here on the kid, even a backbreaker and a suplex sends the kid down. Lengthy, generic offense by Tom Stone former jobber extraordinaire, and the kid, no shocker, sells it tremendously. At one point, Stone even sending Kid out of the ring and out to the floor, but the kid back inside with an enziguri to the face, those educated feet, by God, and then a spinning heel kick, another spinning heel kick into the corner, always looks so awesome, and the kid picking up the win, three minutes and 20 seconds with a moonsault body block. And it's time for King's Court, and his guest this week, the undefeated Ludwig Borga. Borga speaks Finnish to begin things, but Lawler has to remind him that here in America, everybody's a moron, and we only speak one language. Borga says he has no respect for Lex Luger or this stinking country. Lex is the rivers that run through this nation, polluted. Lex stands for the schools in America. This is the only country you can graduate from high school without actually knowing how to read or write. Borga says he will tear Lex apart just like this country is crumbling. Piece by piece. 
because lazy workers won't do anything. I love Borga's delivery, I'm not going to lie. Lawler sets Borga up with a softball pitch here as he says, Lex Luger proclaims he's the backbone of America. To which Borga says, if Luger is the backbone of America, then he will break it. Pretty typical promo here. Actually, I'm a bigger fan of Ludwig Borga's vignettes, more so than his live interviews. But it's back to more action with Adam Bomb, Johnny Polo in his corner, taking on Todd Becker. Here, Bomb says carnage, destruction, and ruin. Make up your damn mind on your catchphrase already, will you, Bomb? It's the Adam Smasher gets the win. Two minutes, 13 seconds. We go back in time to last week's superstars, The Undertaker challenging Yokozuna, and it's to the ring with Well Done taking on the team of Kevin Kruger and Mitch Bishop. But there's a third member of Well Done this week. It's Harvey Whippleman. Harvey Whippleman now gifted the team of Well Done. The new manager of Well Done is Harvey Whippleman. A lot of good that'll do him. So he loses Mr. Hughes and the Giant Gonzalez, and he gets Well Done instead. Sounds like an even trade, no? And of course, well done, as you'd expect. No crowd response here. Dead crowd, as both guys have must have been told backstage to begin doing the Rick Rude swivel pose, as both guys put their hands behind their heads and do a little Rick Rude swivel of the hips here. Not getting over at all. The finish sees Timothy Well whip Stephen Dunn into Kruger with a flying forearm. The only problem is Kruger was about two feet away from the Irish whip. Looked absolutely terrible. And then well done, stand over top of poor Kevin Kruger after that shitty-looking forearm and offer each other the cover. You make the cover. No, 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 I insist you make the cover. Jim Ross says what I said last month on the grenade, last week on the grenade, how about the legal man make the cover? No shit, right, JR? Well done, pick up the win, two minutes and 52 seconds. Another Mr. Nanny commercial airs as we go back to the ring. Razor Ramon taking on Rock Werner. Fun little Easter egg here on commentary. Bobby Heenan asks if Rock Werner is Rock Rogowski a.k.a. Ole Anderson. This match ends as quickly as it starts. Razor Ramon immediately with his back suplex and a razor's edge. Ramon picks up the win in only one minute and five seconds. And it's more face-to-face at the Nassau Coliseum. October 29th, Johnny Polo talks about his Quebecers taking on the smoking guns. Joining us now, well, could this be the same Johnny Polo we spoke to last week? You're awfully cool and calm today. Last time we talked, you were nervous, edgy. You had a dilemma with the Quebecers. Now, I'm not even going to talk about what you and your Quebecers did at Madison Square Garden. Hey, look, they retained the belts. Adam Bomb's happy with me. The Quebecers are happy with me. There are no Bruce Jones. Everything just worked out great. See, I knew there was nothing to worry about. That's why I wasn't even upset, Joe. Uh, You retained the belts, but don't you think you lost some of the respect of the fans? Oh, Joe, who cares about the fans? Let, Let me tell you something, pal. I'll tell you what, Nassau Coliseum, Friday night, October 29th, is what I want to talk about. Because I want to talk about the smoking guns. Now, I don't know why we got to wrestle them, because this is their first title shot. And everyone knows that's how my Quebecers won the belt on their first title shot. So, yeah, I'm a little apprehensive. But I figure like this. The last time I seen those two guys getting a good fight, they got beat up by John Travolta and Urban Cowboy. So I don't really think I'm that worried about it, Joe. What do you think? I don't remember that at all. But let me tell you something else. Because it's their first, isn't there that factor, that that hunger that they happen yeah, to have? that's the part I'm worried about. That's how my Quebecers did it. They had that drive and determination. And I'll tell you what, I don't care what I got to do. The Quebecers are keeping the belts against those stupid smoking guns. Always a fan of a Johnny Polo promo as we move on to the WWF on TSN up in Canada, October 3rd. More face-to-face goodness. Heading to the Maple Leaf Gardens October 31st. It's more Lex Luger and Ludwig Borga. 
Two truly gifted athletes join me now on Face to Face, an American original, Lex Luger, and Helsinki's own Ludwig Borga. This is a battle that this city definitely has been looking forward to, especially Lex Luger, since your gallant effort on SummerSlam. I congratulate you. You've captured the spirit of this country. Well, thank you very much. It was a great feeling. I look forward to coming back to this city. It's one of my favorite places to wrestle. And as far as SummerSlam goes, it was an honor and a privilege wrestling for the World Wrestling Federation title. It was a great victory. victory. I really enjoyed it. Hey, hold on. What are you talking about a victory? You are a loser. Your name should be Next Loser, because that's what you're going to be when you step in the ring with me, Ludwig Borga. And I'm going to break you in half like this country is crumbling. And you tell him you are the backbone of America? Well, I'm going to beat you in this stinking town. Well, Mr. Borga, obviously spending a lot of energy again, bashing Lex Luger. And in essence, Lex, he's bashing America. Well, you know, that's what this great nation is founded on, Mr. Borga. That's called freedom of speech. That's what allows you to spew all that garbage that's been coming out of your mouth. But let me tell you something else. This great nation of ours was also founded on competition and the best of competition is where you're at right here in the world wrestling federation when i come to this city and we step in the ring i welcome the opportunity to show you exactly what made and the us of a is all about and that was another one of those this city promos not really referencing what town they're in but i did love ludwig borga here instead of his name being lex luger it should be next loser i love it Good stuff there by Ludwig Borga. Also here on TSN, they're destined for upcoming cage matches. We're going to hear from Brett the Hitman Hart and Jerry the King Lawler. I know as he's declared himself the king and he's wearing a crown, courtesy of Jack Tunney. But I know one thing. I hate your guts, Jerry Lawler. And the best way for me to settle it is in a 15-foot-high steel cage. This is the place. This is the match. And you're the guy. You're the guy I'm looking for, Jerry yeah, well, Lawler. I'm easy to find. Let me tell you something, Bret Hart. You're right. This is the place. And I am glad it's right here in the city because I know this city is full of your stinking fans, Bret Hart. And I want them all to be at ringside. Be just there. like your old man. Just like your feeble old daddy, I guarantee you they're going to have to jumpstart his pacemaker when I get through with you. And I want your wrinkled up old mother sitting there too. And all of your brothers and sisters because I want to see the looks on their face when I do what I got in store for you inside that cage. We're talking about a steel cage, Bret Hart. Look at that pretty little face of yours. I'm going to rearrange it up against that cage where your own mother won't recognize you. I got news for you. I hate you. I hate your family. I hate all of you peons out there because I am the undisputed king of the World Wrestling Federation. All right, good stuff there from both. As we go to All-American October 3rd, it's Bobby Heenan and Joe Fowler. And this week's All-American exclusive, the model Rick Martell taking on the 1-2-3 kid from Portland, Maine. Taped September 29th. This match only taped four days ago. Wow, as Rick Martell winds up picking up the win over the kid with the Boston Crab. Match went seven minutes, 15 seconds. Good little match there that'll wind up on our YouTube account very soon. And we move on to WWF Monday Night Raw for October 4th. Taped back last week, September 27th in New Haven, Connecticut at the Coliseum. And it's Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan on the call. No Macho Man this week because... He is part of the upcoming Battle Royal. That's right. We kick things off right away. We see half the guys in the ring already. It's the Intercontinental title 20-man Battle Royal. The ring half full already. It's IRS, Diesel, Bastion, Booger, Bam Bam, Bigelow, 
123 Kid, Mr. Perfect Mabel. From Men on a Mission, Marty Jannetty. And hey, there's that MVP guy. We hear the theme of Tatanka play as Tatanka makes his way to the ring, followed by Adam Baum, Razor, Ramon, tag team champions, the Quebecers, as we go into commercial break. And during the break, we miss the entrances of Owen Hart, Bob Backlund, bummer there, and the returning Rick Martell, as well as Superfly Jimmy Snuka. I wrote, really? The model just returns for the full-time gig, Superfly, returning just for this TV tape. We can't even get their entrances? But when we do come back, it's number 19, the Giant Gonzalez, and last but certainly not least, the Macho Man, Randy Savage. All 20 participants now at ringside. And before we get going, just a really quick, fun, real-life story about this episode of Raw. I remember this one fondly. Must not have been a very good game on Monday Night Football this week because my grandfather wandered into the living room. For those who don't know, more often than not, my grandparents who did not watch wrestling, and my grandfather seemed to vehemently dislike at least what wrestling it became. He would tell me stories of wrestling from the 50s and maybe even the 60s, but he was no fan of the modern-day product here in 93. But he would leave the room. Murder, she wrote, would go off. Vince McMahon would say, ah, 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 don't touch that dial. Up next, Monday night. Raw, or we get one of those type of deals. And then my grandfather would stand up and like the same thing every week. He would say, old raw ass. That was just his thing. It was his way of saying, I hate this shit. He would get up and he would leave the room in disgust and go in another room and continue to watch Monday Night Football or whatever he was watching. But for some odd reason here this week, he wanders back into the living room at the beginning of Raw and sees 20 men from the looks of the one, two, three kid all the way to Bastion, Booger, and Mabel. And it seemed to pique his interest. What the hell is this? So he actually asked me, what the hell's going on here? And I, I do a, a brief explanation. I say, well, you know, I, I'm pretty sure he knew what a battle royal was. So I just said, well, these guys fight until there's one guy left. You go over the top rope and you're out and, and blah, 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 blah. So he seemed interested enough that he stuck around for this match. I was kind of, it was, and it was kind of nice, even though I knew that he wasn't a fan of wrestling. For some reason, something had captivated him enough, or at least maybe he was bored and had nothing else to do. So he sits down on the couch and begins watching this battle royal as it unfolds, and I'll have a little more story about this at the end of the Battle Royal, but it was just kind of cool to know that I at least watched one match in my lifetime with my grandfather. Now, there were others, and those stories I'll save for another time. I know my brother can relate to a Saba Simba match that (laughs) we still talk about to this day, the comments my grandpa made about that one. And other great stories I have, too. Sometimes he'd pop in for a match on primetime and things like that. But I'll save those memories for another time, and we'll get back to this intercontinental Battle Royal right here. As Bobby Heenan wisely picks Booger to win the match. The match gets going. Randy Savage immediately doesn't even enter the ring. Goes straight to the top rope and off the top with a double axe handle. Not once, but twice onto the Giant Gonzalez. Staggers the Giant Gonzalez up onto the ropes. In which half of the roster reaches over, grabs Gonzalez. They lift him up and dump the Giant Gonzalez. Merely seconds into the match, the Giant Gonzalez, the biggest threat, perhaps the biggest threat. And the entire match is eliminated. Unbelievable. I was wondering how they were going to get him out. And then all it took was a few shots from the Macho Man, and everybody gings up and dumps him out right away. The Giant Gonzalez out immediately. And that's the last time we'll see the Giant Gonzalez wrestle here in the WWF. But I remember thinking all the way back then when this was happening live on my TV, why is the Macho Man going after the Giant Gonzalez? He just turned babyface. That's not a way to get a guy over as a babyface. I know it's every man for himself, but it just didn't seem right. But of course, we'll see Gonzalez make one more appearance on TV, and he's out. So it makes a little more sense here. So Gonzalez gets dumped early, and then another five minutes goes by before we get our second elimination. 
when Diesel dumps Mabel. So now the two biggest guys in the entire match, they're out first and second. Anybody can win this thing. Diesel single-handedly dumps Mabel. And as the match continues on, Razor Ramon sends IRS out of the match. Of course, the two are feuding. So Razor dumping IRS early on. The fourth man out, normally a kid will fling a booger. But in this case, it's a booger flinging a kid. The one, two, three kid getting tossed by Bastion Booger. And as we head into our first commercial break, it's Mr. Perfect ducking his head and dumping Diesel out. That's five guys eliminated before our first commercial break. And a quarter of the field have been eliminated here, including the seven-foot Diesel, the nearly seven-foot Mabel, and the seven-foot, seven-inch Giant Gonzalez. All already gone as we go into commercial break. When we come back, only 20 to 30 seconds have elapsed. We haven't missed much of anything. But as soon as we return, the model eliminates former WWF champion Bob Backlund. And just a few moments later, Rick Martell also eliminating Superfly Jimmy Snuka. So if this were 1982, Rick Martell eliminating an entire MSG main event. The show continues on. Bam Bam Bigelow flings Mr. Perfect out, runs him all the way across the ring, and throws Mr. Perfect all the way out of the ring. I wrote, what the fuck? Only because I was channeling my inner 1993 out of nowhere. Just grabs Kurt Hennig early in the match and sends him flying out like a bitch. And my favorite to win the whole thing already out. Needless to say, back here in 1993, I was very disappointed. But the action doesn't stop. Adam Baum backdrops Marty Jannetty out of the ring. Bam Bam Bigelow, a little more revenge on Tatanka here. He lowers the ropes as Tatanka charges, and Tatanka goes flying out. And now we're halfway through the field. Ten guys eliminated. Ten down, ten to go as the Macho Man tosses Bastion Booger out. Bam Bam Bigelow sends Razor Ramon out of the ring, but through the ropes, not over the top, so Razor's still in this one. Ramon re-enters the ring and clotheslines Bam Bam. Nice bump here. Bam Bam Bigelow clotheslined out the other side. Bam Bam Bigelow eliminated as 12 men out as we head into our second commercial break. Again, we only miss another 20 seconds or so of action. And when we come back, Owen Hart eliminates MVP with a dropkick. So long to the most valuable player, Brooklyn Brawler doing the MVP gimmick. The first and only time we see him as MVP in the ring. Jacques of the Quebecers then eliminates Owen Hart. And we're down to the final six as the heels huddle. It's the Quebecers and Rick Martel, along with Adam Baum. Four heels to two baby faces, Savage and Razor in the other corner. The Quebecers on Razor Ramon, the model and Baum on the Macho Man. Jacques backdrops Pierre in a senton onto Razor Ramon. Adam Baum, though, accidentally nails the model, sends him to the mat, and gives Macho Man enough time to dump Adam Baum. Baum, not happy with the elimination, he reaches up and grabs Randy Savage, and the Quebecers and Martel from behind assist, and all four heels eliminate Randy Savage. Savage dumped to the floor as it's down to three on one. Four guys remain, all three French Canadians. It's the model, Jacques Rougeau, and Pierre taking on Razor Ramon. Things don't look good here as the heels triple team and beat down Razor Ramon. They go for a triple drop kick. Great sight there, but Razor Ramon holds the ropes. All three men miss the drop kick. What a great spot. Razor makes the comeback, albeit brief on all three, but it catches up to him. The numbers game catches up to him, and it's another beat down by the heels. They're taking turns holding Razor up while the third man slaps him around. Jacques Rougeau finally holding Razor Ramon, but Ramon moves, and Pierre clotheslines Jacques out of the match. And while Pierre is stunned, looking down at his tag team partner on the floor, Razor Ramon from behind pitches Pierre out as well. And it's going to be Razor Ramon and the model Rick Martel, the final two remaining in this battle royal. They're going to go one-on-one. 
next week for the Intercontinental title. 24 minutes, 19 seconds shown of a 25-minute battle royal. Unbelievable. What fun action. What a fucking great match for TV. Say what you will about the battle royal. And a lot of people have negative thoughts. This was probably up to this point, for battle royal standards, the best one they put on TV here in the WWF. Giving it 25 minutes loaded with big names and taking the time to get every elimination on TV and to try to keep every single second of the match on the television program. The only things edited out were the 20-second windows you needed to move away from the elimination we would see before going into the commercial breaks. 25 minutes, wow. The only problem here, yes, we know the last two guys in the match are going to wrestle next week for the Intercontinental title, but they never made it clear that the match ends at that point, that there is no winner of the Battle Royal, that the fight doesn't continue just to see who would win the Battle Royal. Would make perfect sense here. You can give Razor the win at the Battle Royal, overcoming all the odds, giving him that big push into the title match next week, or this is where the odds catch up to Razor. He took out two of them, but he couldn't take out Martell, and given what we know is going to happen next week, it would make all the sense in the world to give Martell the heat here and have him dump the bad guy. Instead, both guys just face off here with referees hitting the ring to hold them back to keep them separated until next week. So I was confused. It was never made clear to me that the match would end with only two guys left. So when this happened, I was very upset that I wasn't getting a finish to this excellent Battle Royal match. But this is where I go back to my grandfather who was sitting there, sitting there spending more time than he probably spent collectively over the past, say, 25 years at this point watching wrestling. He spent 25, 30 minutes counting commercials watching this episode of Raw, watching this Battle Royal just to see who is going to win and then nobody wins. And he doesn't get it. And I get it, but I didn't, I wasn't aware this is what was going to happen. So it falls flat. And now you feel awful because here's a non wrestling fan watching this with you. And you know that you've been disappointed. And he's been disappointed. And he asks me, he turns and he goes, What the hell just happened? Who won? And I had to explain to him, Well, I think Razor Ramon won. I didn't explain why. I didn't say, I just said, I think he won. Yeah, that's it. He won. And uh, needless to say, he got back up and he left the room, never to return never to return for the remainder of the night, at least until Raw came to an end. But yeah, a really fun, action-packed first half hour of Raw. You really can't go wrong here. Well, other than the whole uh, no finish. But just really great stuff here with this episode of Monday Night Raw. But oh, ho, ho, we're not done yet. Another unbelievable promo as we see a fat slob laying in his bed, refusing to have sex with his hot wife with the big hooters until she says, come on, honey, it's only 9 o'clock. 9 o'clock, Mondays, he's got to turn it on Raw. Get the fuck out of here. Unbelievable is right. Back to the ring. It's the Heavenly Bodies with Jim Cornette taking on Mark Thomas and Scott Taylor. Tom Pritchard fools Thomas to get going, the quote-unquote musclehead job guy, according to the Meltzer Mark Thomas. Pritchard tells Thomas, hey, I can put you in a full Nelson, and you'll never be able to break it. Thomas, the fool, turns around, raises his arms, allows Pritchard to put him in the full Nelson, but Tom was never going to do that all along. Tom Pritchard instead with a chop block. I had to pop for that one. As we learn on commentary, the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky and Robert, are headed to the WWF. They're going to make their debut next week. On All-American, they'll be taking on the team of Well Done. Lots of double-team moves here by the bodies. Tom Pritchard with an assisted atomic drop. He picks Del Rey up an atomic drop and throws him over his head backwards. Sort of an assisted moonsault by Tom Pritchard and Del Rey. We also see the old fun Heart Foundation spot. Tom Pritchard slingshots Del Rey into the ring with a clothesline. Tom Pritchard even busts out a middle rope spine buster here. Good stuff. 
and the bodies with a double super kick on Mark Thomas. Tom Pritchard then clotheslines his own partner, Jimmy Del Rey, while he has Taylor hooked in a front face lock. Of course, Pritchard's momentum into Del Rey drives him down into a DDT on Taylor, and the Heavenly Bodies pick up the win in 3 minutes, 39 seconds. And we move on to recap from this following weekend's superstars. Doink the Clown making a fool of Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon, and then it's off to Doink the Clown in the ring to take on Corey Student. And remember, this was taped last week, September 27th, but it's okay because Doink the Clown still Matt Bourne here as of September 27th and as of October 3rd here on TV. Matt Watch continues on. Doink the Clown out with a little red wagon, some balloons, and a garbage bag of concessions, which he throws to the fans. Doink also with a bucket early on, teases throwing it on Bobby Heenan forever. Great sell job here by Bobby Heenan as well prior to the match. And Heenan does get doused with a bucket filled with popcorn. Take that, Bobby. In the ring, it's a standing dropkick, belly-to-belly suplex, and the whoopee cushion gets the win for Matt Bourne doing the clown. One minute and 57 seconds. Post-match, Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon are out for some revenge, but they have to be held back. Trouble is, we must be light on agents this week because the only guys out to break this up are Rene Goulet, Tony Gurria, and Dave Hebner. The trouble is, Hebner and Gurria don't even want to get in the fucking ring. Rene Goulet gets in the ring trying to separate the two, the other two agents too lazy to even get in the ring. You actually see at one point Rene Goulet looking down at Tony Gurria and, and motioning to him to get the fuck in the ring. Gurria never does. So since Bam Bam has to pretend he's being held back by big bad Rene Goulet, instead of getting the doink, Bam Bam picks up his wagon, destroys the little red wagon of Doink the Clown, punches it into pieces. And the quick-thinking Bobby Heenan on commentary to get Bam Bam over points out that Bigelow had to have been warned before he came to ringside about putting his hands on Doink the Clown because that's the only way he was kept off Doink here by Rene Goulet alone. So Heenan realizing how ludicrous it looked that this 300, 400-pound beast was being held back by one agent from Doink the Clown, Bobby Heenan ad-libs here brilliantly, he is the brain, and says Bam Bam had to have been warned before he came out here. That's the only reason he's not putting his hands on Doink the Clown. And as this episode of Raw concludes, we see the end of the Battle Royal once again with new commentary from Vince and Bobby Heenan hyping up next week's match between Razor Ramon and the model Rick Martel. As Vince McMahon ponders what happens when Machismo meets Magnifique. Next week on Raw, it's Razor Ramon and the model Rick Martel for the Intercontinental title. On behalf of the Wrestling Memory Grenade and the WrestleCopia brand, we are proud to announce our very own Patreon account. We encourage everyone to stop on over to patreon.com slash WrestleCopia and check out an amazing 14 tiers. And depending on your budget, we have everything from as little as a $1 tier to as much as a $100 tier. Get you all sorts of exciting offers. It really all depends on what offer you value the most. You can do anything from join Steve and I right here as co-host for an episode of The Grenade, all the way down to unedited versions of the show, early access to upcoming episodes, beat everyone else to the punch, see what we're saying before everyone else gets to hear it, plus my insanely detailed show notes, which I value ever so dearly. You can even pick the flick. And what that means is, if you subscribe to one of our You Pick the Flick tiers, you'll tell us, me and Steve, what show it is you want us to review. It can be a watch-along on the WWE Network, YouTube, Daily Motion. It could even be a live review of a rare show from my personal archive vault of videos at home. No promotion, no territory, no era is off limits. 
you can request anything from your favorite WrestleMania to an episode of 1982 World Class to the 60-minute classic between Jack Briscoe and Dory Funk Jr. from 1970s All Japan. Hell, if you want to put us through the misery, we'll even pull a mystery science theater over here and watch Hell Comes to Frogtown starring Roddy Piper. You tell us what you want us to review, and we'll do our own little watch-along and do our best to entertain you guys and give you guys insight in the process. And it doesn't end there. There's a $5 tier, the all-access tier. Not only do you gain access to everything on every lower tier, but you'll also have complete access to our entire full library of random show reviews and watch-alongs we've done and continue to do as a side project. We review everything from the Flare Steamboat 2 out of 3 fall match from Class 6 all the way down to the Halloween 1985 edition of Saturday Night's Main Event. It's a proverbial hodgepodge of randomness, as you never know what we'll review next. And it's exclusive to the all-access tier or any of the higher tiers over at patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. Check it out now. That address again is patreon.com slash wrestlecopia. That's wrestle, C-O-P-I-A. And all right, guys, welcome back to the show. And I'm going to break the fourth wall here for a moment, or is that really the term I want to use here? I guess I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to break kayfabe with you here for a moment, guys. And everything you heard up until this point, the first two and a half hours of this show, was recorded yesterday, and I planned to finish up the show today. And when, I, when I woke up this morning, I had realized that the cold one of my kids brought home a couple of days ago has traveled through the rest of the house. and. I, too, am susceptible to the common cold, apparently. Woke up this morning with a little bit of a sore throat and a runny nose, for those who care to know those type of things. And I thought to myself, I said, Self, do I really want to finish the show today when I'm not 100% vocally? But then I realized the show must go on. We have a deadline to meet. There's that word again, guys. The show must go on. No excuses here on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. As long as I'm here, guys, we're going to power through each and every episode and make sure we get it out in a respectable amount of time. But nevertheless, we continue to roll on WWF Superstars October 9th, taped back on August 31st in Grand Rapids, Michigan. It is Vince McMahon, Jerry the King Lawler, and the Macho Man Randy Savage. It's also Columbus Day weekend. Can you have a day be the weekend, Columbus Day weekend? Well, either way, it is Columbus Day weekend, and Vince McMahon asks the Macho Man and the King what is the significance of their Columbus Day? Here's what Savage and Jerry Lawler had to say. And yes, here in the United States, we are celebrating the founding. We are celebrating the discovery of America. Macho Man, I wonder if you could give us a quick history lesson. The significance of Columbus Day to you. Well, uh, history wasn't the best subject, but uh, in 1492, Columbus uh, sailed the ocean blue. And we were real, real, real proud of him, and so we named the town after him. I see, and um, the significance of Columbus Day to you, please, uh, I'm going to tell you what it means. If the Indians had had a little stricter immigration laws, people like you and you and the rest of these idiots wouldn't even be in this country to begin with. Shut up! Ah, good old Jerry Lawler. (laughs) Speaking the truth out there is the king as we go to the ring. It's men on a mission with Oscar in their corner, taking on the team of Anthony Green, I do believe. His partner, Damian Demento. And it's no intro for the new and improved Damian Demento, complete with red strings now in his gear and also a streak of red in his hair, stealing Tatanka's gimmick, but not really. Demento attacks Uncle Mo, but it doesn't work. Unky Mo comes back with a suplex on Demento, and then he makes the tag to the big man. And in comes Mabel, 
Demento, no fool, neither is whoever he talks to up in the sky. They inform Demento, hey, it's a good idea to maybe tag out of the match. Demento walks over, tags in his partner. Demento then grabs his partner by the hair and yanks him over the top rope into the ring and throws him into Mabel. The action continues on. Mabel with a very impressive arm drag here and a double drop kick from Min on a mission, followed by the hip-hop double elbow drop. As the fans begin to chant, whoop, there it is, even Vince and Savage chime in, whoop, there it is, whoop, there it is. Mabel lands an assisted avalanche splash in the corner, followed by a DDT from the big man. Men on a mission set their opponent up for the rocket launcher. As Moe goes to the top rope, Mabel launches him off in a big splash, but I knew immediately this was not going to connect because the job guy was three quarters of the way across the ring and Moe is, well, He's Uncle Mo. And Mabel does launch Mo across, and Mo kind of connects just a little bit. Jerry sags like, and he just kind of lands on him like a blob. No grace there. Definitely not the Fantastics. However, Mo does slightly connect, and it's plenty enough to get the win here. Men on a mission pick up the win in just over three minutes. And then post match, that asshole Damian Demento comes into the ring trying to get his heat back, if you will, stomping his partner and tossing him out of the ring before Mabel runs him off. The camera does its best not to focus on Demento beating up said job guy because it's irrelevant to the match. However, Demento's still trying to get his heat back. And though Demento has actually been gone since September 6th of this year, this right here, this match, this tag team match where he teams with the job guy, this will be Damian Demento's final WWF appearance. No more Damian Demento, I promise. And I gotta be honest with you guys, I don't know if this is just a personality trait of mine, but Sometimes you see someone that just isn't cut out for this business or, or whatever business. And at first, it can be funny. It can be sad. It can be annoying, that's for sure. And it can even insult you to the point where you want them fired. You want them off your TV screen. You want them gone. But then finally, when that time comes, when you know they're on their way out, you almost kind of, a little bit, I said almost kind of, feel bad for the guy. Because maybe they did give it their all. Maybe this was all Damien Demento could do. Now, that said, either way, the fact that Demento lasted essentially a year here, more power to him. I don't know how he got through this without getting released far before now, but uh, I think it's safe to say it was absolutely necessary to put him out of his misery here and put us out of the misery that is Damian Demento as well. As we continue on with Update and Gorilla Monsoon, he covers the ongoing Bret Hart versus Jerry Lawler feud. And then when we come back from break, Jerry Lawler on commentary, he says in honor of Columbus Day, he found out the Hart family were some of the original settlers here when they first founded America. But when the first war started, they all ran up to Canada. The Hart family are the original draft dodgers. Oh my. Back to the ring, more action. It's Adam Baum with Johnny Polo taking on Mitch Bishop. Polo out to the ring this week in a bathrobe and a swimming cap. He's got goggles, a towel. Shower shoes, and it's Polo Fever. Catch it as Adam Bomb in the ring with a standing dropkick sends Bishop backwards out of the ring and onto the floor by Johnny Polo, who tries to snap his towel at Mitch Bishop. Fun little spot there. Back in the ring, it's Bomb's slingshot clothesline that picks up the win in just a minute and 42 seconds. Post match, Johnny Polo wants to see more destruction as Adam Bomb levels Bishop with the Adam Smasher, and Polo then makes another three count on poor Mitch Bishop. Uh, lots of focus on Johnny Polo during this match. The manager, not necessarily the wrestler. Adam Baum seems to just be there. 
Maybe a change of scenery for Bomb is needed. We'll have to see about that pretty soon. We go on to face to face with Joe Fowler. First, he talks to IRS and Razor Ramon. They have a feud ongoing. We're going to hear what they have to say on the Peacock. Recently, IRS, you were involved in a match that you flat out should have won. It was on Monday Night Raw. Everyone saw it. Razor Ramon comes up to the ring, outside the ring. You seemed so preoccupied. You lost your concentration and you lost your match. This obviously does not sit well with you. Well, you're laughing real loud right now, aren't you, Razor Ramon? Hey, it's funny, man. But that's not going to last for long. Let's state the facts here, Joe. Let's tell everybody exactly what happened. All right. First of all, Razor Ramon, you didn't have the guts to come down to the ring and face me like a man one-on-one when I called you out. No. You waited until I was in the middle of a match with some idiot and distracted me, which caused me to lose on worldwide television. And you're going to find something out, Razor Ramon. Nobody, I mean nobody, embarrasses Erwin R. Scheister and gets away with it, and you're going to be no exception to that. Well, some things we know for sure, Chico, that on Monday Night Raw, anything can happen. I know that for sure. (laughs) And now, Taxman, you know it. Hey, the bad guy made P.J. Walker famous he beat irs in front of the whole world hey you call me out man timing is everything i picked the right time out i come you lose just like you're gonna lose when you face the bad guy man to man Yeah, you picked the right time, Razor Ramon. Just like a tax cheat or a thief picks a time to steal. And nobody gets away with stealing from Erwin R. Scheister. You stole a victory from me, and nobody messes with my business and doesn't pay the price. You're going to find out. Don't interrupt me. It seems to me that this has been a psychological, mental warfare that needs to be settled inside the ring. Hey, Joe, it's going to go from mental to physical. Nothing I like better than a good fight, man. I don't take you lightly at tax, man. I know you can go, but you know what else? So can Razor Ramon. Well, you haven't seen anything yet, Ramon. Prove it. And you just turn Razor Ramon babyface. He comes off that big match with Ted DiBiase. He pins one of the big-time names over the last five, six years in the company. And the million-dollar man Ted DiBiase on his way out And how do you continue the heat going? How do you build up that heat for Razor Ramon? You shove him in a feud, a several months long feud with Erwin R. Scheister. But there's more face-to-face, so we can't dwell on that. We go to New York in the Nassau Coliseum for October 29th. It's Ludwig Borga and Lex Luger talking about their big match coming there. Joining us now, two incredible athletes, two superstars, but I might add two opposites. Lex Luger, who continues to gain in popularity in this country, and especially in the New York City area, and Ludwig Borga, who continues to attack this country. Lex Luger, let's start with you. You have great support from the fans. Now, we may not agree with Ludwig Borga's viewpoint, and I know we don't, (laughs) not at all, but I think we do agree that you have to respect his wrestling ability. 
Well, despite the rhetoric, the anti-American rhetoric that comes out of his mouth, he has run up a very impressive record here in the Royal Wrestling Federation to date. But now you climb the ladder, Mr. Borga, into the top level of competition here in the Royal Wrestling Federation where it doesn't get any keener, it doesn't get any stiffer, and you're going to find out, and I'm just first in line, and I'm so happy that I'm first in line, right there in the Nassau Coliseum to give you a big old USA New York welcome to World Wrestling Federation show you what competition is really all about here in the United States of America. Yes, Lex Luger, and I'm going to give you a big old European farewell for your career. If this is the top of the ladder here in America, I am not impressed. Like I'm not impressed with you, Lex Luger, and I sure not impressed with this bum-filled country of your so-called America. USA, that's all you can chant in all these matches. Well, in my country, we spell USA, you stink awful, like you, Lex Luger. So when I'm going to be pinning you, you're going to stay down. All right, we heard from those two last episode of The Grenade. And I'm pretty sure we'll hear from them again and maybe even again before this episode of The Grenade ends. As we go back to Raw and highlights of the Intercontinental Battle Royal, Jim Ross does the voiceover as we see it comes down to Razor Ramon and the model Rick Martel. They'll compete for the Intercontinental title this Monday night on Raw. They are doing everything they can to build up this upcoming title match on Raw. Back to the ring, it is Mr. Perfect taking on Red Tyler, one of my favorite job guys of the time. Hennig immediately with a drop kick to the floor and follows Tyler to the outside and lays in some nasty chops. Then as he tosses Tyler back in the ring, the ultimate wedgie begins to form in the buttocks of Mr. Red Tyler. Hennig kind of pulls the trunks up into Tyler's ass as he rolls him back in the ring and it continues to get worse from there. Tyler does get a little bit of offense in, even places Hennig in the corner and unloads a tornado punch. Red Tyler with the old Texas tornado punch on Kurt Hennig. Though he doesn't sell it like he sold it for Kerry Von Erich, I assure you. Tyler whips Hennig across the ring but runs into a boot. And this is where Mr. Perfect begins to have fun with Red Tyler and his trunks. Hennig turns that wedgie of Red Tyler's neon green tights into a neon green thong of sorts here. Mr. Perfect has tons of fun, as do the commentators. Imagine that, and I would suggest to you that, uh, oh my goodness, looks like Mr. Tyler's having a problem with his tights. I would suggest to you that you don't use too many wisecracks with Mr. Perfect, or you could wind up wearing tights just like Red Tyler. Look at this. I think Red Tyler at least needs to turn the other cheek. And Red Tyler off the rope reversal. There comes Perfect flying off, and Tyler's been over. Tyler's going to get hooked up. Tyler's going to go for the ride. Mr. Perfect with Red Tyler. Red Tyler over, and the Perfect Flex, and the three count. I don't know. I'm a little disappointed with this match. Why is that? Just wasn't all it was cracked up to be. Mr. Perfect, unquestionably, on his way to the Survivor Series. Cheeks, cracks, you can count the puns there. And as you heard, it was Mr. Perfect with the knee lift, the rolling neck snap, and a backdrop by Red Tyler. You can't backdrop, Mr. Perfect Plex. Gets the win, 2 minutes and 38 seconds there. We go on to Bonnie Blackstone as she interviews Bam Bam Bigelow and Luna Vachon. A lot of people think what Doink did to Bam Bam Bigelow last week was funny, says Bonnie Blackstone. Bammer says, there was nothing funny about it. And Lawler was right all along about Doink the Clown. Bigelow goes back in time, nearly a year here, to when Doink first threw confetti on him 
early on in Doink's inception. Bam Bam said he let him get away with it then. And then just last week, he dumps garbage, as Bammer calls it. Of course, confetti again on top of the head of Bam Bam Bigelow. And Bigelow let him get away with it again. But the third time, oh no, no, my friend, he dumped a bucket of water on the head of Luna Vachon, his main squeeze. As Vachon stands next to Bigelow up on the platform, selling it, selling the effects of the bucket as if it just happened again this week. Bam Bam promises that Doink will pay for the confetti. He will pay for the tripwire. But most of all, he will pay dearly for the water over the head of his main squeeze. Bigelow says when he's done with Doink the Clown, Doink will be wishing he was back in the circus, up on the tightrope. I wrote, this was very generic. Uh, Honestly, the delivery in the lines felt very much like a script, a Saturday night's main event script, or a modern day 2022 script as well. Not good at all here. Very short and to the point, though. Bam Bam Bigelow obviously looking for Doink the Clown as we go back to the ring. It is well done. Taking on the team of Jerry Fox and Virgil. Virgil back here teaming with Jerry Fox against the team of Well Done. Timothy Well and Stephen Dunn. But wait a minute. There's a, there's a third member of Well Done. It's their new manager. Harvey Whippleman debuts as the manager of Well Done. Harvey gives up the giant Gonzalez and Mr. Hughes for the likes of Well Done here. Virgil, already in the ring, I should note as well during the introduction, so a longtime favorite is Virgil, says Vince McMahon. If two years is a long time, then so be it. On commentary, Lawler calls Harvey Whippleman a genius for acquiring Well Done. Vince McMahon replies, I believe we've had a genius before here in the WWF. Referencing Lanny Poffo, of course, Randy Savage on commentary. I'm sure you got a kick out of that one. Dunn and Virgil go into a battle of hip toss reversals until Virgil wins by hip tossing Dunn over the top rope and out to the floor. Virgil then brings Dunn back in the hard way and tries a headlock takeover, but as he uses his feet to climb up the ropes to get the leverage for the headlock takeover, Virgil just, ugh, terrible job here. Awful, awful headlock takeover by Virgil. So what happens? Jerry Fox, you know, Virgil's partner, the job guy, comes in does the same exact run-up-the-ropes headlock takeover, only he executes it correctly. So Jerry Fox already showing up Virgil here. Fox's problems start when he tries the same headlock takeover again, but he does it in the heel corner. And he's caught by Rex King, a.k.a. Timothy Well. On the outside, he grabs Fox by his ankles to hold him in place so that Stephen Dunn can deliver a back suplex. Good move there by Well Dunn. Well Dunn take over on Fox. Knock Virgil off the apron, and they nail the assisted flying forearm as Timothy Well whips Stephen Dunn into Fox with the flying forearm. Dunn and Well argue, well, they don't actually argue. They offer one another the cover. You take the cover. No, 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 you take the cover. And once again, the legal man finally drops down to make the cover. Well done, picks up the win, 3 minutes, 33 seconds. And it's kind of funny here because by the time this airs here on October 9th, Harvey Whippleman here debuts as the manager of Well Done, but like 11 or 12 days later in real time, Well Done or Done. So Harvey Whippleman, as far as from TV to their injury, is their manager for a total of less than two weeks. Of course, until they they return much later on in 1994. Go back to the ring, a rare appearance by The Undertaker with Paul Bear in his corner, taking on Rod Bell in a simple choke slam. We'll get the win this week. Undertaker picks up the win. One minute, 51 seconds. On the Royal Magistrator, Jerry Lawler draws a picture of Yokozuna, Banzai dropping Paul Bearer. 
A reminder that The Undertaker is the next challenger in line for Yoko's WWF title there. More ring action, it's the head triggers with Alpha taking on Steve Nixon and Tony Bathera, I do believe. And it's Samu with a nasty, nasty brain buster early on. Kills Nixon, drags him to his corner to bring Bathera in. And it's his turn to eat the mat. Fatu off the top rope with the splash. Head triggers pick up the win in just three minutes. As we head back to face-to-face on the Peacock, Joe Fowler teaches us the origin of the smoking guns. Are a couple of guys I want to introduce you to right now. In fact, we're meeting them for the first time here. Hey, Billy and Bart Gunn, the smoking guns. How you doing? Good. How are you? All right. Now, first question: Which was Billy and who's Bart? I'm Bart, and I'm Billy. All right, Bart, <laughs> Billy, guys. Uh, obviously, I detect a Texas slang there, so I'm going to guess you're from the Texas. Great Lone Star State. You got it. What, what city? It. Austin. Austin. Hey, they speak it's like stereo. I'm hearing you both. <laughs> well, now, what made you get involved in wrestling? I mean, do you have an athletic background prior to uh, wrestling? Oh, yes, sir. We used to ride in a rodeo. Is that right? Yes, sir. Where'd you go to college? Sam Houston State University. It's in Huntsville, Texas. And did you play football, wrestle, or what? We rodeoed. You rodeoed in college? We went yes, on sir. a rodeo scholarship. He um, was a bulldogger, and I went riding bulls. No way! There's yes. such a thing as a rodeo scholarship. Just <laughs> <Yes> way. <laughs> wow. Well, bulldogger and riding bulls. I mean, this has got to prepare you for the WWF, if anything does. Exactly. Gives you a good start. I'll bet it does. What do you think? What would be your advantage with that kind of background in rodeo, with that athletic skill? When you guys team up, what advantage do you have? What do you bring to the table? Well, one good thing is that, of course, we're brothers. So growing up, uh, we used to beat on each other a lot. So each one of us knows what we're thinking. So that, that helps a whole lot. I could see it now, a fight for the last piece of meat on the table. <laughs> yeah. Well, I guess knowing each other and growing up together is definitely an advantage. I mean, that would be the ultimate tag team, which you guys are in this exactly. point. But you know you got a lot to prove. I mean, you just don't enter the WWF and go for the title. The Quebecers are the champions. What team do you think you're going to have to face in order to get to the Quebecers? I think the uh, Head Shrinkers. They're uh, a very brutal team, as you, as everyone's been watching. They've yeah. been leaving pe- – pe- uh, whoa, <laughs> this TV stuff. I don't get on TV ah. much. But uh, they just leave uh, opponents laying in the mat. Well, they're also very large – and I suspect you guys have speed and agility. And listen, don't change. Stay the same. You guys are very natural. Stay yourselves. <laughs> Thank, Thank you very you. much. All right, Thank the you smoking for guns, everybody. I appreciate it. Wow, did you hear Bart completely screw up the promo there? And they kept this in, guys. They put a lot of time into these face-to-face segments, I'll tell you that. And speaking of face-to-face, yep, there's more. WWF headed back to New York at the Nassau Coliseum. Speaking of the smoking guns, They'll be taking on the Quebecers for the WWF Tag Team titles. So we're going to hear from the Smoking Guns yet again, but we're also going to hear from Jacques, Pierre, and manager Johnny Polo. Our TV screen is full of tag team superstars. Look at them, the champs, the Quebecers, Jacques and Pierre with their manager, Johnny Polo. You mean they're half full. And the one of the new talented tag teams, Billy and Bart Gunn, the Smoking Guns. Okay, Quebecers, since you started in already, we'll start with you. We don't know much about these smoking guns. That might be to their advantage against you. You know, they're pretty rugged competitors. They're cowboys from the Old West. What do you think, Jock? Well, hello there, Pilgrims. <laughs> Ain't that a great Bruce Wayne? <laughs> That's a great Bruce Wayne impression. That's not much, really. If you ask us what we think about them, not much. All right, well, let's make it clear. It's John Wayne, 
All right? Not, oh, not yeah. Bruce Wayne. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Can, can we, That's right. Good. Okay, let's get to the smoking guns. Guys, you can vault right over the ladder with the victory against the Quebecers. I That's mean, you've right. been moving up that ladder. Gentlemen, y'all do a lot of talking, but we do our talking in the ring. Nassau Coliseum, remember, Quebecers, your first shot, you were champions. Our first shot will be champions. Now, now wait a minute. Uh, the only thing I remember about you guys is... <laughs> Jokers. <laughs> you see, you guys are climbing the ladder. We are the top of the ladder. Long Island, Nassau Coliseum. You come on down, boys, and bring because the Quebecers are wearing the belts. We're coming in with them. We're going out with them. And that's the way it's going to be. Viva la Quebec! How about it, Joe something? Uh, no, it's Joe Fowler, and we will watch this one very closely, I assure you. Jacques never fails to entertain. Well, hello there, Pilgrim. <laughs> Great John. I'm sorry, Bruce Wayne. As Jacques Rougeau referred to him as there. John Wayne, of course. The Quebecers and Johnny Polo, just a tremendous unit. I thought that was a perfect pairing, Johnny Polo, and specifically Jacques Rougeau. Very similar comedic personalities when it comes to delivering promos. And I think it just works really well together. And we close out this edition of Superstars. It's closing comments from the two guys challenging one another this Monday night for the Intercontinental title. Here's Razor Ramon and the model Rick Martel. And next week, ladies and gentlemen, we shall show you highlights of this Monday night's Intercontinental Championship matchup. Right now, let's pick up these pre-recorded comments from Razor Ramon and the model Rick Martel. <laughs> this Monday night, I will be wrestling Razor Ramon for the Intercontinental Championship. And of course, I will be the winner. <laughs> because you see, Razor, <laughs> when it comes to you and me, in the ring <laughs> you just don't cut it everybody listen to me this monday night the bad guy meets the model for the intercontinental championship y'all martel razor ramon is leaving with all the gold it's razor against Martel for the Intercontinental Championship this Monday night. All right, both guys looking for some singles gold here in just 48 hours' time. We continue on WWF Mania for October 9th. Todd Pettengill and the Macho Man, no exclusives here, so we move right along to Wrestling Challenge October 10th, taped September 1st, Saginaw, Michigan. It's Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan, and we go to the ring with the smoking guns. Lots of smoking guns in the last few segments here, taking on the team of Brian Costello and Steve Moore, a.k.a. Al Snow. And Snow, again, like we saw with Marty Jannetty, lots of offense early on. Snow here on Billy Gunn. Al Snow even has a little fun with Billy shooting his fingers as if they were guns at the smoking guns. But Billy comes back and he clears Snow from the ring. Then it's Costello's turn for a moment. He eats the double Russian leg sweeper. Actually, let's boycott the word Russian. Let's the double Ukrainian leg sweep this week by the smoking guns. And then it's the revolver pile driver on Al Snow. The guns get the win three minutes and 11 seconds. And it's time for special report with Lord Alfred Hayes. He talks about the, the recent issues between Bam Bam Bigelow and the Harlequin. Doink the Clown. You know, Doink, you think everything's funny because you're a clown. Well, I got something for you. What you did to me and what you did to my main screen ain't funny. You crossed the line. You touched. You laid your hand on my main squeeze, Doink, and you are going to pay. (laughs) 
Bam Bam Bigelow. Did I get under your skin? <laughs> What's wrong with a little confetti? Everybody likes confetti. <laughs> and for as far as your main squeeze, Luna, whew, I thought she needed her hair washed. <laughs> and then you have the gall to say that I crossed the line? Well, you tripped over it. And I'm going to pay. I'm scared. <laughs> I had to look up the word Harlequin. Sorry, guys. It kind of made sense immediately when I heard it and I said it to myself a couple of times. But I had to Google it. And by the time I got to the definition, I was right. I'd already formed my own opinion of what it meant. It's similar to a clown. I'm not going to get into a whole definition or description here. But let's just say a Harlequin is very close to clown-like. And Alfred Hayes makes everything sound more eloquent than it really needs to be. So the Harlequin, doink the clown. And then it all made more sense as I started thinking Harlequin, Harley Quinn. Well, she's kind of a jester-esque, clown-esque type character, right, guys? So, yeah, there we go. Now it all makes sense. And I got to thank Lord Alfred Hayes for teaching me yet another new word to add to my vocabulary. Back to the ring, it's IRS taking on Kevin Kruger. We see Rotunda's double underhook suplex, a former finisher of his over in the NWA. Also, IRS works an abdominal stretch by using the ropes for leverage because he needs to do that in these squash matches. The write-off clothesline gets the win three minutes and ten seconds, about three minutes too long, and we're off to -to face-to-face in the Nassau Coliseum October 29th. It's more Lex Luger and Ludwig Borga. In less than three weeks, New York, we will see Lex Luger, an American original, and the Helsinki Wrecking Machine, Ludwig Borga, not in two boxes on face-to-face, but right smack dab in the middle of the ring, and I know everybody's anticipating it. We talked to both of you yesterday on Superstars. Now, today I want to ask you, Lex Luger, uh, you got another earful in our discussion yesterday from Mr. Borg. He definitely likes to rip America, but let's not forget he's making a pretty good living off of the United States of America right now. That's exactly right. You know, he likes to knock where he's making his living, but more than anything, he's knocking not only America, but the competition here in the World Wrestling Federation as well. And I just relish the opportunity to welcome Mr. Borga to the Wrestling Federation right there in New York in Nassau Coliseum and show him exactly how good the competition here in the World Wrestling Federation really is. It's about time you had a little attitude adjustment, Mr. Borga, and I'm the man to give it to you right there in Nassau Coliseum. Keep on dreaming, Lex Luger. You see, that's what all Americans are doing. They are dreaming, dreaming, dreaming. All these people before me in World Wrestling Federation has been a warm-up for me. And when I get my hands on you, I'm just not going to think about you, Lex Luger. I'm going to think about every stinking American. When I pin you, I'm going to be pinning America. And when I pin you, it's going to be for the last time for you, Lex Luger. Your career is over. Well, talk's cheap, Mr. Borg. We'll find out in Nassau Coliseum how much you're really made of. And Lex Luger going to relish when he defeats Ludwig Borga there at the Nassau Coliseum. And it's time for yet another WWF unbelievable vignette. This time, once again, it's Yokozuna. Or is it Godzilla? What's this? A strange object appearing on my radar screen. Ladies and gentlemen, there have been confirmed sightings of a dangerous giant monster approaching our steed. Look, it's Charles Brock. 
broccoli? No, no, it's ketchup from Spielberg movie. No, it's even bigger than that. It's Yokozuna. Oh, Yokozuna! Oh my gosh, guys, if you think the audio is bad, just wait until I add the video. Unbelievable, indeed. Back to the ring, it's Tatanka taking on Tom Bennett. I'm sorry, the undefeated Native American Tatanka taking on Tom Bennett. Not sure Bennett is mocking Tatanka here early in the match or Adolf Hitler. He's putting his hand to his chest and then reaching out into the sky. Very similar mannerisms that I never really noticed until just now. But it is the Papoose to go that gets the win, 2 minutes, 26 seconds. Another recap from Raw of the Intercontinental Battle Royal, and we hear from Razor Ramon and Rick Martel one more time. Razor Ramon will meet the model Rick Martel. A new Intercontinental Champion will be crowned Monday night. This Monday night, everybody will find out why the model is back to the World Wrestling Federation, <laughs> and that is to become the new Intercontinental Champion. <laughs> It's going to be at your expense, Razor Ramon, because nobody can wear that belt with class and dignity like the model Rick Martel. Hey, everybody knows the bad guy, he likes gold. Well, this Monday night, Razor Ramon going to meet the model for the big gold, the Intercontinental title. And y'all, Martel, Razor, gonna carve you up. All right, we know in just one day's time, either the model or Razor Ramon are going to be crowned the next Intercontinental Champion. As Shawn Michaels remains suspended indefinitely from the WWF. Back to the ring, though, it's Bastion Booger taking on Sonny Rogers, and we see the Karachi crunch into the ring post on the floor. Back inside, it's the power slam and a trip to the bat cave. It's not sunny for Rogers here. See what I did there? As Bastion Booger picks up the win, 2 minutes, 26 seconds. Post-match, Booger steals the timekeeper's hot dog and smashes it all over his face because he's a fat slob. You see, you get it? He's just grotesque. He makes me want to puke. And so while Mike Shaw remains Vince McMahon's favorite bit of comic relief here in the WWF in 1993, Booger himself, Mike Shaw himself, actually starting to move around a little better, getting around the ring a little more now that he's getting a lot more work. But the gimmick, eesh. It's off to the No Hope with Dope vignette with The Undertaker and back to the ring. Marty Jannetty taking on Jack Reno. And Reno sucks early on so much that Marty actually has to grab him in a front face lock and settle him down. Reno, though, comes back with a side slam, but he doesn't know how to hit the ropes from there. He doesn't really seem to know which way to go, what to do, as he gets Marty down on the mat. Jim Ross calls him confused here. I had to write LOL. He's confused, folks. And finally, Reno misses an elbow drop. Marty on the comeback with a spinning elbow, the super kick, and the rocker dropper. Gets the win, 2 minutes, 59 seconds. Commentary here during the match would suggest Marty Jannetty has been Moved down the card just a little bit. He's looking for a match at the Survivor Series pay-per-view. Though they do mention Marty as a former IC champion. We go on to King's Court. Jerry Lawler's guest this week is Mr. Perfect. 
Lawler laughs at Hennig failing to three-peat. As he had promised at SummerSlam, Lawler says he doesn't see a belt around Mr. Perfect's waist, to which Hennig responds, I don't see a belt around your waist either. Hennig says Diesel is the one who cost them the Intercontinental title at SummerSlam, not Shawn Michaels, because HBK can't do anything by himself. Perfect then calls out Diesel for a fight, to which the King says he thinks Mr. Perfect is crazy to pick a fight with a guy the size of Diesel. Hennig says he has a 21-inch neck, and Diesel, try to wrap your hands around that. Perfect closes things up with a little advice for Diesel. He tells the future Big Daddy Cool that it's a lot easier to jump on than it is to jump off. Hennig then tosses his towel into the face of Jerry the King Lawler as he walks off the segment. So very evident at this point that we have moved on to a Mr. Perfect and Diesel feud. As we head back to the ring, more wrestling action. Ludwig Borga taking on Gary Jackson as Borga just clobbers Jackson on his way into the ring. Blasts him with one punch before the bell that just drops him. Hey, that's Diesel's gimmick. And typically we see Gary Jackson giving a little bit of offense in his matches because he's, he's a talented enhancement guy. But as you'd imagine here, no offense here from Gary Jackson as Borga just dominates him with kidney shots, a side suplex, which Borga says is for the USA. A spine buster, a Samoan drop. Hey, that's Tatanka's move. And a torture rack gets the submission win. Two minutes, 42 seconds. As we conclude this episode of Wrestling Challenge, they announce next week we'll learn both Survivor Series main events. So a double main event headed to the Survivor Series. We'll hear about them both next week. Oh, but we're not done yet, guys. One final face-to-face for Wrestling Challenge. Nassau Coliseum, October 29th. The Smoking Guns getting ready to challenge the Quebecers for the tag team titles. The problem with this one is there's no Johnny Polo or Quebecers to save them. Let's hear from the Smoking Guns. Yesterday on Superstars, we had the Quebecers and the Smoking Guns on face-to-face. Hey, guys, I had to bring the Smoking Guns back today on Challenge because, quite frankly, Billy and Bart Gunn, uh, the Quebecers didn't let you talk very much. So I thought, hey, bring it back today and let you have a word or two. I guess the Quebecers can be a little bit imposing, not only in the ring, but just outside of it. It's true. I mean, they want to do. They can do all the talking that they want. You know, we're we're not um, kind of guys that are just going to get all upset because we don't have time to talk on the on the TV or whatever. You know, because we're not really used to being in front of cameras and everything like that. But um, they can talk all they want, and we'll do our talking in the ring. Well, for the fans here in the tri-state area, let me fill everyone in. These are a couple of good old boys from Texas. Uh, grew up in Austin. Went to uh, Sam Houston State University. Yes, sir. And you guys are involved in rodeo. Yes, sir. That's terrific. How do you bring that skill to the ring? Well, it's like you bring a lot of power. You know, you have to have a lot of skill, a lot of knowledge. It's uh, about 90 to 10 percent, you know, so you, you just bring a lot of thinking and uh, our speed will uh, do our talking for us. All right. You got the big one against the Quebecers. It doesn't get any bigger than that. Good luck to the smoking guns. Thank, Thank you, you very much. OK, guys, we'll move on to WWF on TSN up in Canada for October 10th. It's another face to face with Ludwig Borga and Lex Luger. All right, joining us now, two of the greatest WWF superstars, Lex Luger and the Helsinki Wrecking Machine, Ludwig Borga. Lex, your popularity here in Canada is at an all-time high. On the other hand, I don't think the fans really appreciate you, Ludwig Borga. Now, Lex, I know you don't like Borga's attitude, but you have to respect his wrestling ability. 
Oh, there's no doubt about it. He's been very impressive. He's run a very impressive record here in the World Wrestling Federation to date, Raymond. But now as he climbs the ladder, he gets up against a higher caliber athlete here in the World Wrestling Federation. As a matter of fact, here in the World Wrestling Federation, there are no better athletes anywhere in the world. And Mr. Borger, there's a word missing in your repertoire here in the World Wrestling Federation. And it's a word called respect. And you're going to learn some respect. I just happen to be first in line. I can't come wait to come to Canada and show you exactly what the talent here in the World Wrestling Federation is capable of. Yes, but Lex Luger, you're gonna earn respect. You can't demand it. And you haven't earned anything in your life. And I'm gonna climb the ladder all the way to the top. And I'm gonna show all these so-called Canadians who are wannabe Americans what Ludwig Borga is all about. And I'm going to beat you in this stinking town. And I'm going to be thinking about all these wannabe Americans. When I pin you, I'm going to be pinning them at the same time. Talk is cheap. And Borga continues to, quote unquote, spoo more untruths about the United States of America. Lex Luger coming to our aid, however. And there's more face-to-face, guys. This time, it's Jim Cornette and Yokozuna. And on the other side, The Undertaker and Paul Bear. Joining us right now, Yokozuna's manager, Mr. Fuji, and his American spokesperson, Jim Cornette. And from the dark side, The Undertaker, who is accompanied by Paul Bear. Now, Jim Cornette, I'd like to start with you. When The Undertaker issued a challenge to Yokozuna, we all thought Yokozuna was fearless. But correct me if I'm wrong, I saw fear in Yokozuna's eyes. Well, you are wrong, Rougeau, just like all the rest of these Canadians, and I am correcting you. You didn't see any fear in Yokozuna's eyes. You saw surprise that a guy like The Undertaker, a guy like Paul Bear, would be out of his mind enough to challenge the great Yokozuna, a man who's 600 pounds. He's so big he can't even get in a studio door to come in here and talk today. So let me just say something to you, Undertaker, and you, you pasty-faced Gomez Adams look like Paul Bear. Bring that glorified ashtray on down, because I got news for you. Right here in Canada, World Wrestling Federation title on the line. Undertaker, you're going to get your chance. And right here, you're going to rest in pieces, brother. What you need to realize is that the World Wrestling Federation title would be nice around the waist of my undertaker, but what would be far much better would be that big Yokozuna's Oriental Cortis laying at my undertaker's feet. When the ground erupts on this mortal night... Spewed from the ashes of the dark side comes the reaper. And I shall not return to that darkness until I have the soul of Yokozuna in my hand. Rest in peace. Good stuff as always from both sides. Undertaker now feels once again complete. He has Paul Bearer back in the corner. He has the urn back in the corner. And on the other side, Cornette, just Cornette, doing a great job selling for WWF champion Yokozuna here on Face to Face. This episode of TSN also has a tag team match on it that I wanted to mention here because it also aired on All-American Wrestling, but it, but it airs here again in Canada, and it's the Heavenly Bodies over the Smoking Guns. And I realized the last time I commented on this match, I didn't explain the finish as well as I should have. And I thought I should do it a little bit of justice here, so close your eyes and imagine here along with me. We know the Smoking Guns finisher is the revolver, right? They shoot whomever into the ropes. Billy Gunn with a backdrop sends the opponent into the air 
landing between the legs, supposedly they're supposed to land between the legs of Bart Gunn into a pile driver. So it's a backdrop into a pile driver. Keep that in mind here. As Tom Pritchard has the attention of the referees, the smoking guns go for the revolver on Jimmy Del Rey. Billy Gunn begins to backdrop Jimmy Del Rey into the air, but in from behind is Jim Cornette with the tennis racket, blasts it across the back of Bart Gunn. Bart takes a bump, and Billy winds up backdropping Jimmy Del Rey on top of Bart Gunn. And Del Rey steals the win there with an unintentional splash on top of Bart Gunn, all thanks to Jim Cornette. And you just have to know, based on that convoluted finish, that was all Jim Cornette there. Great finish there by the Heavenly Bodies, picking up the win in just six and a half minutes. So even the bodies going over on the smoking guns at this point. As we go on to All-American with Bobby Heenan and Joe Fowler, it's the WWF TV debut, the WWF debut of Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, the Rock and Roll Express. This was taped actually September 29th in Portland, Maine. Their opponents, well done, along with Harvey Whippleman in their corner. And I'm sad to say in the Rock and Roll Express's debut match on All-American of all places, it is well done defeating the team, the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champions, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, albeit on a countout. Twelve and a half minutes this match went. Jim Cornette had lured Robert Gibson away from the ring and down the aisle, allowing the Heavenly Bodies to rush out and attack Robert Gibson in the aisle while Ricky Morton was doing the fighting in the ring. The Bodies held Gibson in the aisle while Jim Cornette wailed away on him with the tennis racket, all behind the back of referee Bill Alfonso. Finally, Ricky Morton rushes from the ring to go make the save in the aisle way for Robert Gibson. Of course, Jim Cornette and the body's long gone by then, and the Express wind up getting counted out after this entire fiasco. I wrote, blah, finish. And Gorilla Monsoon, as he often did on these C shows, if you will, shooting once again. The Express lose to Well Done in their debut. Gorilla Monsoon simply replies, what a debut. A very snarky Gorilla Monsoon here in the latter half of 1993 as we move on to WWF Monday Night Raw, October 11th, 1993, taped September 27th from the New Haven, Connecticut Coliseum. And it is Columbus Day as we see Vince McMahon, the Macho Man, and Bobby the Brain Heenan all ready for action here. And we kick things off right away. It's for the vacant Intercontinental title. It's Razor Ramon taking on the model Rick Martell. And Vince McMahon right away trying to get over some nonsense. Christopher Columbus was a hero. Macho Man says, he has a city named after him. And Vince then lumping Razor Ramon and Columbus into the same bag by saying that Columbus was Hispanic, just like Razor Ramon. I don't know how many wrongs we've had so far in the first couple of lines of commentary here. I think many would argue that Columbus isn't necessarily a hero in today's history anyway. Also acknowledging Columbus's ties to Razor Ramon because they're both quote-unquote Hispanic. Anywho, the match gets going. Rick Martell right away slaps the face of the bad guy and with a drop toll takes him down to the mat, slaps him across the back of the head as well, and Martell up for some jumping jacks, taunting the bad guy early on. The model continues on the offense, but he's caught in a crossbody attempt and Razor Ramon with a fallaway slam as Rick Martell bails to the floor. Finally, back inside, it's back and forth action with Ramon working the arm of the model into a commercial break. Back from break, though, Rick Martell now on top. He's beating down on Razor Ramon on the outside of the ring, even slams him outside on the floor. Back inside, the model works the back of Ramon with a back suplex. Martell makes the cover, but he's caught with his feet on the ropes, and the match continues. 
Martel there with a high knee into the back of Ramon, sends him into the corner. And then he locks it on. It's his finisher. Rick Martel locks in the Boston Crab and Razor Ramon in some trouble here. But he finally makes his way to the ropes for a break. But Martel, like an attack dog, staying on top, nails the bad guy with a side slam. And it's right back to his finisher. Boston Crab number two. Can the bad guy escape twice? This time, Razor cannot manage to reach the ropes. So instead, he musters everything up he has and he powers out of the hold. Flipping Martel over and Razor landing on top, getting a near fall. Martel, though, right back on top with a sunset flip for two and a drop kick by the model. Gets another near fall. Razor Ramon, though, makes the big comeback and places Rick Martel in the top buckle. He's looking for his back superplex, but Martel sends Razor off the middle rope back to the mat. Martel off the top rope with a high cross body, but Razor rolls through. One, two, no, the model manages to kick out. And Rick Martel cuts Razor off with a clothesline for yet another two count, but the model telegraphs a backdrop, eats a knee lift to the face, and Razor Ramon powers Martel up into the Razor's Edge, and it connects Razor Ramon, the new Intercontinental Champion. Ten minutes and 48 seconds. Shown here on TV, match probably went something like 12 minutes total. Ramon puts the belt on, turns it around to face the camera, say hello to the new Intercontinental Champion, thus beginning Razor's first title run here, as he now has gold around his neck, gold around his fingers, and gold around his waist, something he promised to do last year. When he first came into the company, Razor Ramon makes it a reality here in 1993, and it's all in the family as the click rules, baby. It goes from Shawn Michaels to the bad guy. As for the match, it was pretty fun. It was okay. It's not going to be one of your classics, but back and forth, a little bit of heat for Rick Martel there. Got to use his finisher twice. Not too bad. The announcers, however, they, they did their damnedest to oversell this. Macho Man, Bobby Heenan, Vince all Well, Vince always, but even Savage and Heenan making this sound like an instant classic. And even though maybe it wasn't an instant classic, they did an excellent job as far as getting over the rarity of an opportunity like this. We'd never seen anything like this before for the Intercontinental title. It was also important here to get over Razor Ramon to that next level here, not to mention getting Martel over as a credible participant in this match. It didn't seem like anyone was really sold on the fact that Rick Martel might win this match, besides maybe me. I, maybe I was in the back of my head back in 1993. Martel, one of my favorites. Maybe I was hoping. I'm probably a bigger fan of Razor in 1993, admittedly, but... I was probably hoping, hey, man, you know what? Let's, get, let's throw Rick Martell a bone. Razor can win the belt later. But honestly, you can't go wrong with either guy here in my mind. Of course, Razor Ramon far more over than the returning Rick Martell, though Razor Ramon picking up the win here with his finisher. Definitively, the Razor's Edge will get Razor Ramon the Intercontinental title, but the action doesn't stop there. It's the Head Shrinkers to the ring with Off on their corner, taking on what Vince refers to as Tommy Morrison and Sid Carrison. Now, if you go online, they say it's Tommy Morrison and Sid Curtis. Definitely not Sid Curtis. I can, I can assure you that. Unfortunately, we never get the Chiron to show these job guys' names. The announcer's talking over the introductions. It's very hard to hear their names. To be honest with you, I don't hear Tommy Morrison or Sid Carrison. And Vince McMahon has been known to make mistakes in the past. However, for all intents and purposes, we're going to go with Tommy Morrison based on Vince McMahon and Sid Carrison as well. It's not Sid Curtis, I assure you that. So everybody online has it wrong. 
That's what happens when one person writes something down and everybody else just copies it without double-checking. We fact-checked here on The Grenade, guys. It's another thing we do. We give everybody their just desserts, the respect they deserve. And while I can't find these guys who these guys actually are, I can assure you, no Sig Curtis here. Maybe not a big deal to you guys, but probably a big deal to Sid Carrison or whomever this guy is. And the Head Shrinkers double face buster and Fatu splash off the top rope on the Morrison. Shrinkers pick up the win, 3 minutes, 48 seconds. Action goes on with the Rocket Owen Hart taking on Scott King. We've seen a lot of Owen since SummerSlam now that he's involved in this upcoming storyline with Jerry Lawler and Brett the Hitman Hart. Owen Hart with a middle rope macho man elbow drop. Then it's the belly-to-belly suplex, a missile dropkick. Owen even hooks the leg in the process of the bridging Northern Lights and picks up the win 3 minutes and 37 seconds. As Vince McMahon enters the ring next, he's up to interview Ludwig Borga. As we hear the chants of USA, Borga says that in his country, USA stands for, You stink a lot. I wrote silly, but I still LOL'd anyway. Borga then accuses the crowd of being illiterate and stupid and says he has no idea why Lex Luger stands up for all of them. Borga takes a quick survey. All those working, employed right now, stand up. Thank you. Excellent delivery there by Ludwig Borga as he doesn't even give them the opportunity to stand up. Vince says that he has news for Mr. Borga. Lex Luger is here in the building tonight. If it wasn't for the pre-match stipulation, At SummerSlam, Lex Luger would have already had his rematch, and Lex Luger would be the new WWF champion right here today. But Borges says Lex had his chance, and he lost. And he's a loser, like all Americans are losers. These lines are so basic, but I I still get a laugh out of them. Lex Luger finally has heard enough. It is Lex Luger to the ring. Complete in stars and stripes Zubas pants. I wonder if that's where Sandman got him. Anyway, Lex Luger, though, interrupts Ludwig Borga in the ring, and he stands face-to-face, finally, on TV. We haven't seen this since the locker room incident. After the match at SummerSlam, Lex says that Borga can say all he wants about Luger, because Luger can take it. But he speaks for everyone here when he says he's sick and tired of Ludwig Borga spewing. Not spewing, spewing this anti-American garbage out of his mouth when he's collecting American paychecks. Amen, brother. Luger says he's going to learn respect in the USA and the WWF, but Ludwig says that in his country, you have to earn respect, not learn it. Luger says there's an old saying in America, love it or leave it. And Lex pulls his shirt off and tells Borga he'll volunteer to help him leave it right now. Borga responds, calling Lex Luger a typical hot-headed American, full of steam, and says they will fight when Borga says, where Borga says. As Ludwig Borga leaves the ring, Lex Luger posing and playing up to the crowd, finally, we get some form of an angle to try and heat this back up to some degree after Luger being off TV for basically most of all of September for the most part. And even though we got that confrontation at the end of SummerSlam, it meant a little more here. There's a lot more verbiage going back and forth, and it was in front of fans, so it played up a little better here for me. And without going back and checking, and maybe I'm wrong here, but I'm pretty sure this was Lex's first time in a WWF ring on free TV, 
since the fucking contract signing several weeks before SummerSlam. I could be wrong, but that's the way I remember it. And I don't even remember the last time Lex Luger's wrestled on TV. Could it, could it really be all the way back on July 4th, the weekend of the USS Intrepid when he was still the narcissist? I don't think we've seen this made-in-the-USA type Lex Luger wrestle yet on WWF TV. Jeez, if that's true, I can't believe it. I know it was a rarity to see Hulk Hogan in the ring on free TV, but this is a different era and a different guy. You need to get this guy over before you take him off or take him out of the ring on your television programming. Either way, at least they're trying to do something with Borga and Luger on TV because neither guy is as over as they need them to be right now, especially in a main event slot. But it's back to the ring with more action. We see Russ Greenberg standing in the ring. or His, his name has been changed to Ross Greenberg. So it's Ross Greenberg standing in the ring, awaiting to take on his opponent, Adam Baum. And, of course, Baum accompanied the ring by Johnny Polo. No, that's not Johnny Polo. No, no, no. Adam Baum led to the ring by his new manager, Harvey Whippleman. Wow, Harvey, congratulations. In one weekend, Harvey Whippleman has acquired Well Done and Adam Baum. And according to Vince McMahon, Johnny Polo has sold Adam Baum because you can just do that. A transaction has clearly taken place. A transfer of assets, if you will. Lots of Vince-isms there in the commentary. Bomb in the ring, though. It's the same old slingshot clothesline. And Adam Smasher gets the win. Two minutes and 33 seconds. So Adam Bomb under new management, but it's the same Adam Bomb. No difference in any other aspect. However, on commentary, they were trying to rebrand Adam Bomb here. Maybe give his character the boost it needed. As they stated, with Harvey Whippleman now as his manager, who knows where Harvey will take Adam Bomb. So maybe we see maybe a push coming up for Adam Bomb finally in the company. We'll have to see what transpires there. It was also during this Adam Bomb squash that we learn next week it will be the Macho Man and Crush Summit. The Savage Crush Summit scheduled for next week on commentary. Randy Savage calls Bobby Heenan an agitator as Heenan continues to attempt to verbally sway Crush away from friendship with the Macho Man. Savage, again on commentary, says they're friends, and they can verbally iron it out next week, right in front of the crowd, right here on Raw. And I don't know about you, but I smell an angle. As we close out this week's episode of Raw, it's Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champions, Ricky and Robert, the Rock and Roll Express, taking on the team of Dwayne Gill and Barry Hardy. I wrote, holy shit, what promotion are we in? What year? Is this on the grenade? Do my eyes deceive me? The Rock and Roll Express, it was one thing to be on All-American. But are they on Monday Night Raw? You can chalk this up to an absolute first. It's also probably the first time I saw them as well in the WWF. I doubt I was watching that All-American when it first aired. Vince, though, makes it clear that this is a non-sanctioned match here in the WWF, so the Smoky Mountain title's not on the line. But they, they couldn't have selected a better enhancement team than Dwayne Gill and Barry. Well, maybe Reno Riggins and Barry Horowitz, but that's another story. Gill and Hardy make a great job guide team here to work against the Rock and Roll Express. And we get Rock and Roll Chance, surprisingly, up here in Connecticut. As Gibson busts out an enziguri on Barry Hardy and Ricky Morton with a nice running knee lift, the Rock and Rolls even bust out the old Heart Foundation heart attack maneuver on Dwayne Gill. But Hardy comes in to break up the count on that one. It appears Dwayne Gill has wisely scouted the Rock and Rolls over the years as he blocks one of their signature moves, but they fake him out and nail him off the apron anyway. 
The Rock and Rolls then turn around into a double dropkick on Barry Hardy. Rock and Roll Express pick up the quick win to close out this episode of Raw. Two minutes and 18 seconds. Very much an afterthought. They squeezed them in at the end of the show and weren't really selling the match all too much rather than the upcoming Savage Crush Summit and some of the other things ongoing here in the WWF. But I thought Ricky and Robert did a great job of utilizing every second they were given here on WWF TV to showcase themselves, even if it's just for the Smoky Mountain Market. Job well done by the Rock and Roll Express there as we move on to WWF Superstars October 16th, taped September 28th, and Wooster Mass at the Memorial Auditorium. We see a clip of Razor Ramon beating the model for the Intercontinental titles. We kick off the show. It's Vince McMahon, the Macho Man, and Jerry the King Lawler all on commentaries. We go to the ring. Tatanka taking on Mike Bell to kick things off. Lots of undefeated streak talk throughout this match as Tatanka picks up the win with the Papoose to go. Three minutes and 14 seconds. We go back in time to Monday Night Raw once again. This time we see the Luger and Ludwig Borga confrontation as Luger seemingly can't be bothered to appear here on Superstars. And we go to an update from Gorilla Monsoon as he announces one of the main events for the upcoming Survivor Series. It's going to be the team of the All-Americans, headed by Lex Luger. He'll have with him the Native American Tatanka and the Steiner Brothers. What a team. Taking on the team of the Foreign Fanatics. That'll be captained by Yokozuna, along with Ludwig Borga and the Quebecers. Ooh, that's a dangerous team right there. So the All-Americans versus the Foreign Fanatics. As we head into a break, on the way back from break, we learn there was a confrontation over the commercial timeout, and we go back and see a clip of said confrontation backstage. The Native American Tatanka walking back through the curtains, headed back to the locker room, but he passes by Ludwig Borga, who was on his way to the ring for action. The two stop and exchange some words. Borga trash-talking Tatanka. Tatanka offers to do it right here, right now, or go get in the ring. Tatanka calling out Ludwig Borga, but officials there to separate the two before anything can happen. And it is Ludwig Borga out to the ring to take on Tony Roy as he nails the old delayed suplex, then tosses Tony Roy up into the air and on the way down, nails him with a rib punch, an uppercut right to the ribs. Great stuff there by Ludwig Borga. Always love that spot. And it is the torture rack gets the win. Two minutes, 51 seconds. As we're off to face-to-face on Peacock. And he's going to have to learn to cut promos all on his own. Let's hear from Diesel. What kind of a wrestler is Diesel? I don't think I'm going to answer that. I'm going to bring Diesel on right now, face-to-face. Uh, and we, we even bring this issue up, Diesel, because next week here on WWF Superstars, you're going to make your debut. This is it. You alone in the ring with an opponent. What can we expect from you? You know, Joe, to me, wrestling is just a man trying to find a way to beat an opponent. When you go at a man full speed and put him down with one hand, skill's not what you need. This is all I need. Any man that gets in Diesel's way will find out about a fight, not about wrestling skills. Well now, wrestling, there's an art to wrestling. Uh, You're sounding more like you're gonna talk about brawling, uh, street fighting. There's a difference. Inflicting pain. All right. When a man has you in a hammer hold, it's kind of hard to think about his next move when he's wondering about the teeth juggling around in the back of his neck. No. When you get in the ring with Diesel, you feel pain. You have no time to think. Not about wrestling. Well, there's no denying that with his size and with that right hand or hammer, many people call it, 
He's probably going to be very successful. You'll be seeing him soon. Now, another opportunity right now here on WWF Superstars to say hi to and congratulate the Intercontinental Champion, that guy. Razor Ramon, the bad yes, guy. Gracias, man. Gracias. You got a lot of gold around you now these days. You know, I want to say to all the people who said Razor Ramon would never make it, look at me now. From the gutter to the mountaintop. And Chico, now I got all mm -hmm. the gold. There is a demand out there, Razor Ramon, to see you and Erwin R. Scheister one-on-one. -on -one. Yeah. The reason why I bring this up was everyone who saw the Battle Royal, you had to go through 19 wrestlers to get that title. Right. One of those 19 that you threw right over the top was IRS. You know, IRS, man, you're supposed to be a grown man. Why are you whining? You blaming the bad guy because you got beat at Monday Night Raw. You had your shot in the Battle Royal. The bad guy tossed you out. Strike two. You want some of Razor Ramon? You want my new gold? Don't sing it, Chico. Bring it. We are looking forward to that matchup. Woof. That was, uh, that was, that was a little rough. What the fuck is a hammer hold? Really, Nash? You, you don't even know what a hammer lock is. A hammer hold. So from that promo, we learned Diesel's not a wrestler. He's a fighter and king of the knockout punch as well. We also heard from new Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon, IRS. Supposed to be a grown man, Chico. And it's more face-to-face -face with some of the same subjects. We head back to New York in the Nassau Coliseum. We're going to hear from the teams of IRS and Diesel, as well as their opponents for the Nassau Coliseum, Mr. Perfect and Razor Ramon. Hey, the WWF has saved the best tag team matches for New York as usual. Here they are, Mr. Perfect, teaming with Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon to take on Diesel and Erwin R. Scheister, IRS. You know... Gentlemen, this is, this is more than a match. This involves personal vendettas that have to be settled. We'll start with you, Razor. Last time you were in Nassau, it was a flat-out mess. You know, Joe, you want to go tight on the bad guy, you can see the scar that Diesel left on me right here in Nassau. 18 stitches, blood to my waist. Mr. Perfect comes out to clean house. You cheap shot him, and yeah, you left us both lame. But Chico, this time, it's going to be different. <laughs> what do you think, Diesel? You think it's going to be any different? Don't ask time? Diesel to think, first of all. <laughs> hey, oh. I don't have to think. I'll let this big, big right hand do the talking, perfect. <laughs> okay, big man, you want to talk? You want your fist to do your talking? I've seen guys like you come and go for years in the World Wrestling Federation. Now I'm standing next to the bad guy, the Intercontinental Champion of the World. Now you're going to look at him, you're going to look at me, and IRS, I know you got your deal with Razor, but Diesel, you're the man I want. From what you did with the one, two, three kid in Nassau, you're going to find Hattie, out why I'm That's perfect. enough of you running your mouth. You got the wrong people on your back, and you're going to pay for it, and that's we'll see. All right, guys, and earlier today, we see the return of one half of the Orient Express. Pat Tanaka is back, at least briefly here in the WWF, and we see him backstage with former manager Mr. Fuji. Remember, Fuji was the manager 
of the Orient Express. Tanaka backstage pays honor to WWF champion Yokozuna, bows to the WWF champion. As we go to the ring for more action, oh, this is going to be a fun one. The one, two, three kid taking on Pat Tanaka. This should be good. To kick things off, the kid wants a handshake, but Tanaka kicks it away. I had to laugh at that. The two then begin trading kicks to the thighs before the kid goes high. He tries to kick Tanaka's head off, but Pat too smart and sweeps the leg out. Really nice sweep. Really nice leg sweep here by Pat Tanaka on the 1-2-3 kid. And we get some karate stances from both guys before Tanaka launches the kid into the air. But the kid rotates, turns it into a drop kick. But Tanaka not going to stay down, nails a crescent kick. Shout out to Gorilla Monsoon. Crescent kick to the face of the kid takes him to the mat. But the kid, never to be outdone, comes back with a spinning heel kick. And then, holy shit, sunset powerbomb to the floor by the 1-2-3 kid. And though the camera angle kind of sucked, it was kind of from behind of the move. Unbelievable. The kid slingshots over Tanaka, who's on the apron, out to the floor in a sunset flip powerbomb all the way to the outside. Just holy shit here for 1993. Oh, but the kid's not done yet. If that wasn't enough, he's back in the ring and the suicide dive by the kid takes Tanaka back down on the floor as we head into a commercial break. When we come back, Tanaka now in control. But the kid channeling his inner Stan Hansen. The 1-2-3 kid busts out a lariat that turns Tanaka inside out. And the kid from there, those educated feet in the corner, and a moonsault body block. But the kid seems to hurt his groin on the way down to the mat, and he can't make the cover. Tanaka takes over once again. He whips the kid into the corner, but rushes into a spin kick as the kid comes out. And then the kid up into a victory roll, and it is the 1-2-3 by the kid that gets the win. About five and a half minutes shown here. Match probably went about six and a half minutes. Really fun match. Give me this as an opener any night on the house shows. Give me this as a competitive match any day on WWF TV during this time period. Tanaka and the Kid, great stuff there. But we roll on with the Survivor Series report. It's our very first Survivor Series report. Remember when these things were done with great organization? Now we don't even know half the card. Hell, they don't even know half the card until the day of the show. But it is the Survivor Series report, and the first one here with Gorilla Monsoon. We already heard about the All-Americans taking on the Foreign Fanatics. Well, there's another match, the other half of the double main event announced here, as it is being called the Family Feud Match, as the Hart family, the team of Brett and his brothers, Owen, Bruce, and Keith Hart, will all team up to do battle with Jerry the King Lawler and his knights. That's the Black Knight, the Red Knight, and the Blue Knight. Lawler and his knights versus the Hart family. The Family Feud match, and it couldn't be called the Family Feud without Ray Combs. Yes, the host of Family Feud back in that time. Ray Combs going to be part of the Survivor Series as well as Gorilla announces the Hart family, the brothers that will be involved in the match. All we see is a picture of Bret Hart and three black silhouettes. Now I get, well, maybe they didn't have pictures of Keith and Bruce just yet, but you can't tell me you didn't have a a picture of Owen to put in that picture. So just silly stuff here by the WWF. And we continue on, and it is Brother Owen in the ring taking on Scott Taylor. Jerry Lawler on commentary says he is excited for the match at the Survivor Series because he can eliminate the entire Hart family in one single night. And just like King Arthur had his Knights of the Round Table, Jerry Lawler will have his Knights of the Squared Circle, but he won't divulge their identities. As Owen continues on in the match, Lawler digs into all the hearts throughout the entire match, especially Helen here. As the king reaffirms his knights will be red, 
black, and blue, though the identities, well, we don't quite know at this point. And maybe neither does the WWF. Back to the match, Owen Hart taking on Scotty Too Hotty. It's Owen with the slingshot plancha, a.k.a. Pescado to some. Owen nails the Pescado out to the floor, a bulldog, belly-to-belly suplex, missile dropkick, and a northern light suplex gets the win. Three minutes and 52 seconds post-match on the Royal Magistrator as Owen Hart is up in the air, mid-air with a leg drop. Jerry Lawler draws a toilet seat underneath Owen Hart. It talks about Helen having to potty train a dozen little Hart kids. The King continues to bash the entire Hart family. And now, guys, it's time for the debut. Are you guys ready for a new debut here? It's the debut, vignette number one. From the Country Music Hall of Fame, it's Double J, Jeff Jarrett. Hello, folks. Jeff Jarrett here. That's Double J. J-E-double-F-J-A-double-R-E-double-T. That's Double J. You're going to hear a lot of that name coming up. We're at the Country Music Hall of Fame. I'm going to tell you, folks, just in a second exactly why we're here. You see... I was born into a wrestling family. It was predetermined. I was destined to become the greatest wrestler of all time. And quite frankly, I've become that. Everybody here in the South knows that. And shortly, everybody in the WWF will. But I'm coming to the WWF for a couple of reasons. You know, my true love, it's not what comes second nature to me. It's not, it's not what I'm the greatest at. It's not wrestling. It's what's in my heart. <laughs> and that's country music, the country music business. You know, I've got more singing talent, more dancing talent, more stage presence, more charisma than any of all the other country music stars put together. But I can't get my break. Maybe it's because uh, I'm a local boy, a Music City native, or maybe it's because the corrupt politics in the business, in the country music industry. Well, take, for example, that fat boy Garth Brooks. He's a transplanted Oklahoman. He comes in here to Music City, and they try to make him the greatest thing since sliced bread. It just makes me sick to my stomach. He ought to be the Pillsbury Doughboy instead of a country music star. He's making more babies than he is hits. Oh, it makes me sick to my stomach. Yep, but what I'm going to do is I'm going to use the WWF. I'm going to use you, Randy Savage. And I'm going to use you, Lex Luger, and you, Bret Hart, and the list goes on and on. Because old Double J, when he gets done proving he's the greatest wrestler of all time, (laughs) the country music business is going to come begging. Going to come on their hands and knees crawling, kissing my feet, begging me to sign a contract. And then when after that's all over, I'm going to come back here to the Hall of Fame. This old sign here, (laughs) they're going to tear down. They're going to build a life-size statue, and they're going to make it double-J, gold-plated, life-size. And then old Country Music Hall of Fame, they're going to rename that. It's going to be the Double-J Hall of Fame. And I'm going to have gold records, and I'm going to have life-size portraits in there. (laughs) Don't you forget that. Double-J. That's J-E-double-F-J-A-double-R-E-double-T. That's Double-J, Jeff Jarrett. Oh, ain't he great, guys. Double J. And I wrote some of my thoughts here back when this first aired. I wrote, Jarrett as a heel? Question mark? Now, remember, up until now, I'd only seen Jeff Jarrett as that babyface character in the USWA in Dallas on ESPN. I'd seen Jeff Jarrett as a 
babyface in the aftermaths for years. All I knew was Jeff Jarrett was just a stand-up, great guy, and here he is playing the character of Double J, and he's going to use the WWF. I always loved when they'd call out names, when the guys were coming into the company and they'd already start calling out names of guys they want to get in the ring with. You could picture that. And it made you believe they were going to be a top-tier star depending on the names they were calling out. It also told you maybe if they were either a heel or a face, though. No doubting here based on the comments made by Jeff Jarrett. A heel all the way. As Jerry Lawler even quips after the vignette that all of the greatest wrestlers come from Tennessee. Show goes on. It's the Quebecers with Johnny Polo in their corner. Tag Team Champion Quebecers taking on the team of Mike Davis and Jerry Seavey. And so while Johnny Polo sold Adam Bomb, it doesn't appear he's getting rid of the Quebecers here. Wise move there. And the Quebecers' total domination on CV early on. Several pinfall attempts, but the Quebecers keep pulling CV up. They're dominating poor CV so badly. Davis never tags in. In fact, they're beating the crap out of this poor job guy so much that Jacques tags Pierre after Pierre gets in the ring to the point where Macho Man on commentary says, they just do whatever they want to do. But Pierre pulls CV up once too many times, and the referee disqualifies the Quebecers. The tag team champions have been disqualified. Mike Davis and Jerry CV will get a DQ win here over the tag champion Quebecers. Two minutes and five seconds. The jobbers win. Or do they really win here as the Quebecers go to town, beat the living crap out of CV? Polo tosses CV flying over the top rope to the floor, and then, oh, poor Mike Davis, he wishes he had tagged in because post-match, Mike Davis eats all three of the Quebecers' finishers. First, Le Bomb de Rougeau from Jacques, the flying ass bomb off the top rope. Then it's the Alabama slam into the Boston Crab, followed by Pierre's leg drop from the middle rope. And finally, yes, the somersault senton off the top, the Tower of Quebec by Pierre, as they just slaughter poor Mike Davis and really both guys here. The Quebecers lose the match, but now they look like badasses heading into the Survivor Series as we close out superstars. It's face-to-face on the Peacock, Jim Cornette, and the Heavenly Bodies. Let's listen to Dr. Tom, Gigolo Jimmy, and Corny. Welcome back. Uh, Hey, listen, we'll get you right back to the action in just a second. Now, we got a little break here, but I don't want you to relax. In fact, you're not going to have a chance to relax because we have none other than a human lightning rod, Jim Cornette and his heavenly bodies with us. There's nothing relaxing about this gang. Jim Cornette, before we talk about your heavenly bodies, and I see, yeah, you are behind them there. I want to talk about... Yeah, I wish I could have a harder time as as, uh, seeing you as you're seeing me, Fowler. Get to the point. The point is the Survivor Series, November 24th, and Boston at the Garden. You've got the foreign fanatics against the American team. Now, you've aligned yourself with the foreign fanatics. You've certainly bitten off an awful lot there. No, I haven't bitten off anything. I've aligned myself with all the champions, the world tag team champions, the Quebecers, Ludwig Borger, the most powerful man in the world, the World Wrestling Federation champion, the great Yokozuna. I've aligned myself with them simply because they're the winning team. And isn't that what being an American is being all about? Being on the winning team, well, they're going to beat Luger's losers once and for all at the Survivor Series. But I tell you what, I'm a little bit upset. I'm a little bit shocked. I'm a little bit dismayed that these two goofballs, the Rock and Roll Express, Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson, have decided to follow us to the World Wrestling Federation. You see, I feel like that I am innocent Dr. Richard Kimball, persecuted, maligned, followed, dogged every step of the way 
by a couple of overzealous Lieutenant Gerards like Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson. Well, you see, just like Dr. Richard Kimball was innocent of any wrongdoing, so am I, so are the heavenly bodies, but the Rock and Roll Express don't see it that way. Place to place, time after time, year after year, every time Jim Cornette's tag team gets a foothold anywhere, then the Rock and Roll Express have to come along because of jealousy and try to ruin things. Now they're the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team Champions, but they couldn't stay there. They gotta follow us to the World Wrestling Federation. Well, I got news for you. Whether it be in Smoky Mountain Wrestling, whether it be the World Wrestling Federation, whether it be in the parking lot at the 7-Eleven, the heavenly bodies have got news for the Rock and Roll Express. Never beat us, never will. Right, Tom? That's right. If you want to follow us to the WWF, come on, because we've already made our mark. It's Smoky Mountain Wrestling. We came to prove to everybody in the world that we are the greatest tag team. And my cousin Jimmy Del Rey, along with Jim Cornette, are going to prove it to you, rock and roll, wherever you want to follow us. Yeah. And let me just say this. Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson, I know you better than anybody. I know your strengths. I know your weaknesses. And I know exactly what makes you tick, and I know how to get right in here. So the heavenly bodies, wherever the Rock and Roll Express want to make it, will slap them around and prove once again that we are the greatest tag team, not just in the World Wrestling Federation, but in the entire world of wrestling. And Survivor Series, the foreign fanatics, will be fanatical about winning over the All-Americans. All right, and lots of fun stuff there as Cornette messes with Joe Fowler early on. They talk about the Survivor Series main event a little bit with the Foreign Fanatics. Of course, Jim Cornette managing Yokozuna in that one. The bodies feuding with the Rock and Roll Express down in Smoky Mountain and maybe soon here in the WWF as well. Corny even gets to slide in a couple of nice fugitive references here. It was the hot movie of the time in 1993. And one final face-to-face to close out superstars for the Nassau Coliseum in New York. Jerry Lawler taking on Brett the Hitman Hart. We're going to hear from both sides. We are less than two weeks away from seeing these two in the ring at the Nassau Coliseum. I'm talking about Brett the Hitman Hart and Jerry Lawler, the undisputed king of the WWF. Hitman, we start with you. This is a grudge match. I don't know. This kind of sounds like an understatement. It's well beyond that. Grudge match? A grudge match against this scum? Let me tell you something. You talk about undisputed king. I think I can dispute that. Jerry Lawler, you're no king. You never beat anybody. You never even had the guts to enter into the King of the Ring tournament. And in the SummerSlam, as I recall, I didn't lose anything. You got stretched out of there, buddy. And I can only promise you one thing. In Nassau Coliseum, you are going to pay. You are going to pay forever. Ever saying anything about my family, forever jumping me, my brother, everything. You are going to pay. I can promise you one thing, Jerry Lawler. You are no king. And when you step in the ring with me, you're going to find out that you're no king. Oh, is that right? Yeah, well, you're that's le- right. You're letting your mouth make promises that your body can't keep. Because I'm going to tell you this. It is so appropriate that this match is going to be at the Nassau Coliseum. Because that's where all the losers congregate. That's where all the chokers are. The, who, what are the, the Jets? Huh? And the Yankees and all of the oh all of these New Yorkers are a bunch of losers just like you, Bret Hart. And this match is going to be held pretty close to Halloween, which is the only night of the year your old lady can go out of the house and look normal. So have her there to see you get beat. All right, and we continue on WWF Mania, October sixteenth. Pettengill, no Macho Man. So Macho Man has been co-host since at least July, at least July. 
without any pomp and circumstance, but then they finally film a vignette in September, naming Macho Man as the full-time co-host of Top Pettengill, and now all of a sudden he's nowhere to be found almost every single week. Makes a lot of sense here. It may not be the showdown at the OK Corral, but it was the WWF versus WCW, Raw versus Nitro, the Monday Night War, the Ratings War, the NWO, the Attitude Era. While everyone discusses who won the war, it's truly the battles within the war that made this weekly episodic rivalry so exciting. We break it all down, from episode reviews to backstage news to those ever-important TV ratings. It's Monday Warfare, The Battles Within, exclusively as part of the WrestleCopia brand, available on WrestleCopia.com and all of your favorite podcast streaming apps. And that's about it for Mania as we move on to Wrestling Challenge October 17th, taped September 29th, Portland, Maine, at the Expo Center. It's Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan on the call. And the first two segments of Wrestling Challenge is the Razor Ramon versus Rick Martel Intercontinental title match from Raw. So we move straight in to face-to-face in the Nassau Coliseum. It's more Bret Hart and Jerry the King Lawler. We had him on face-to-face yesterday during WWF Superstars, and we've got him back today. Bret the Hitman Hart and Jerry Lawler, the undisputed king of the WWF. They will be facing each other at the Nassau Coliseum October 29th. Hitman, we're going to start with you. There's a lot of rage you have, a lot of anger you have towards Lawler. It's going to all happen soon. Well, you know, people got to wonder, why do I hate this guy's guts so much? You know, I'm used to stepping in the ring with people. I'm used to fighting guys face up. But you know, Jerry Lawler, all the, the horrible things that you can say about my mother and my father makes me sick. That remark he made yesterday, well, let me promise one thing. You are going to pay for that. You are going to pay for every single thing that you've ever said or done to myself or my family. I look forward. When I step in the ring in Nassau Coliseum, when I see all those fans backing me up 100%, I can promise each and every one of them that I am going to pound you from one end of the ring to the other. I am going to obliterate you, and I'm going to show everybody that Jerry Lawler, in fact, is no king. But he's nothing but a dirty, low-life scumball, and he deserves every beating that he's going to get, especially from me. <laughs> is that right? Yeah. You know, this match is pretty close to Halloween, like I said yesterday. By the way, how much did your mother charge to haunt a house, huh? Have her there at ringside. I'll show you and her who the real king of the World Wrestling Federation is. I'll rearrange your face where even she won't recognize you. All right, Joe Fowler has been struggling here in face-to-face, but ooh, this was, this was a rough one. Uh, it's it's clear Fowler may have a part somewhere in the company, given enough time, but face-to-face is not it. It's also, by this point, I've noticed face-to-face has also been short. Mean Jeans used to run about three minutes in length. Some of these are cut down to two and a half, sometimes even two minutes, these new face-to-faces with Joe Fowler, and probably for the best. Back to the ring, it's the Heavenly Bodies, accompanied by Jim Cornette, taking on the team of Ray Roy and Tom McNeeny. I believe that's Tim McNeeny. During the match, we see a poor man's version of the double goozle here, and an assisted standing moonsault Pritchard aids Del Rey in taking the backflip over onto Roy. 
Del Rey with a running somersault plancha off the apron onto Roy on the floor as well. And back in the ring, McNeeny leapfrogs over Tom Pritchard, but when he lands, boom, smack dab into a super kick from Jimmy Del Rey. Great spot there by the Heavenly Bodies. From there, Del Rey with the doctor bomb on McNeeny. Then from there, Pritchard clotheslines Del Rey as he has McNeeny hooked in a front face lock, causing the DDT. We've seen that from the bodies a few times at this point. Also, Dr. Tom Pritchard, single-arm DDT before the double flapjack by the Heavenly Bodies and Jimmy Del Rey off the top rope with the moonsault body block. Heavenly Bodies get the win three minutes, two seconds. We move on to special report with Alfred Hayes as he talks the upcoming Survivor Series pay-per-view. He, too, mentions the All-Americans taking on the foreign fanatics. We go back in time to Monday Night Raw and see clips of the Ludwig Borga and Lex Luger showdown. Before we go back to the ring, and it's Doink the Clown, that's Matt Bourne Doink the Clown. I'm happy to say as he takes on Chris Duffy here, and Doink makes his way down to the ring on a tricycle, riding on the back of a trike, all the way to ringside, and yes, no mistaking that face, that is absolutely Matt Bourne, so Matt Watch will continue. And while we still have the original Doink in the ring, I'm sad to say the heel music, the infamous Doink the Clown heel music, is no more. It is gone. Instead now, the song has been changed to the typical entry of the Gladiators, the typical circus music, if you will, and Doink the Clown continuing to go full-fledged babyface here. But as the match gets going, this is fun. Chris Duffy leaves the ring. He goes outside, takes one look at the tricycle on the floor, and kicks it over. Chris Duffy having no fun here with Doink the Clown, but that only pisses the clown off. It's, holy fuck! Doink the Clown over the top rope suicide dive! He just cleared the top rope! No hands! The old Undertaker dive by Doink the Clown! Holy shit! Doink there with that running plancha cleared the top rope. Unbelievable. Don't fuck with Doink's trike. Man, I'd hate to see what he'd do if he touched his unicycle. Back in the ring, Doink rides Duffy, even slaps his ass like he's riding a horse. And then from there, Matt Bourne with a nasty pile driver and Doink the whoopee cushion. Picks up the win, 2 minutes, 39 seconds. And I don't know the legs that a baby-faced Doink, portrayed by Matt Bourne, mind you, would have on it. I don't know how long the timetable could work here as a baby-faced Doink. But Matt Bourne, so far, I can't believe I'm saying this, he's making this work. Of course, we know that won't last much longer, but great stuff here by Doink the Clown again this week. A dive over the top rope. Holy shit. I don't ever remember seeing that before. And it's once again Double J. Jeff Jarrett, vignette number one as we go back to the ring. It's Diesel making his in-ring debut for the WWF here on TV. Now, we know Diesel has worked some house shows. He's done some teaming with Shawn Michaels. A few singles matches and yes he's had several characters over in wcw over the last few years but here is diesel this is his very first appearance on wwf tv as he takes on pj walker 
and Diesel complete with the truck revving and horn engines as his quote-unquote theme music here. And a nice tire track singlet top that would do the Repo Man proud. As the match gets going, it's Diesel with a short arm clothesline, turns Walker inside out, then a gut wrench throw, very reminiscent to the jackknife, to be honest with you. And then it's the big knockout punch. Diesel picks up the win in 2 minutes, 48 seconds, and the announcers during the match get over that he's not a wrestler, he's a fighter and a brawler. Whatever gets the job done, hey, Big Daddy Cool, or the future Big Daddy Cool, Diesel picks up the win here this week on Wrestling Challenge. As it's time for the Survivor Series report, once again, we learn of the double main event, so we go back to the ring one more time. The Steiner Brothers taking on the team of Ricky Rich, or Richie Rich, take your pick, and Arn Armstrong. Though on the Chiron, it reads Flex Armstrong. I also have to question the irony of a job guy named Arn Armstrong. And while still suspended on the house shows, the Steiner Brothers right back into the swing of things here on TV. And they'll be part of that Survivor Series main event along with Lex Luger and Tatanka. Scott Steiner early on with a dragon suplex. And then from there, the double underhook powerbomb as well. Rick Steiner in with a belly-to-belly superplex off the top rope on Rich. And it's the Doomsday Bulldog on Arn Armstrong. Rick was tagged in for the spot, but of course, Scotty gets the cover, gets the win for the Steiner brothers in just 2 minutes, 22 seconds. And we're off to one final face-to-face here this week. It's once again the Nassau Coliseum, October 29th. This one, once more, we're going to hear from Ludwig Borga and Lex Luger. You'll see him October 29th at the Nassau Coliseum, but we've got him right now on Face to Face, an American original Lex Luger and the Helsinki Wrecking Machine, Ludwig Borga. Now, you see that picture right there tells a lot. Lex Luger, you're smiling, you seem at ease, you seem excited. I don't believe I've ever seen Borga, Mr. Borga, smile at all. And he won't be smiling after I get done with him right there in the Nassau Coliseum because let me tell you, I've been looking forward to this match for a long, long time. You've run a lot of talk here in the World Wrestling Federation, but Mr. Borga, now it's time to put your talk into action right there in Nassau Coliseum, and I just can't wait because the first time I knock you in your keister, it's welcome to New York. The second time, it's welcome to WWF, and the third time I put you down, it's welcome to the United States of America, big boy. Yeah, keep talking, but my record's gonna stay the same when I meet you, Lex Luger, because when I meet you and when I destroy you, you're gonna be the next loser, right in Nassau, the stinking town I've been once and I never wanna go back there again. And when those people who look up to you at that arena, they're gonna leave home as losers, like all Americans, they are losers with the day they were born. Well, it's about time you learn some respect, Mr. Borga for the Rural Wrestling Federation, for our country, and the caliber competition here and the Rural Wrestling Federation. So you've had a big mouth, you spewed out of garbage, but now it's time to put your mouth into action and find out what Made in the U.S. of A. is all about. All right, so these guys making a go of the face-to-face every week now, it seems, every episode of TV here, at least in syndication. And we move on to WWF on TSN. For October 17th, and the WWF returning to the Maple Leaf Gardens here October 31st. One of the matches on the card, Razor Ramon, scheduled to take on Diesel up in Toronto. 
and let's listen to those guys. All right, joining us now face-to-face, both combatants in this Intercontinental Championship match. On one hand, the champion, Razor Ramon. On the other side, the near seven-foot, 330-pound diesel. All right, congratulations are in order, Razor Ramon. Gracias, right? Gracias. All right. Now you must face possibly your most dangerous opponent yet in your career. Yo, hey, big man, I know you know what this belt means, Chico. You carried it around. You polished it for that other guy. But look at me now, oozing machismo and Chico. I got all the gold. You know, Rays, you might want to take a picture of that because when you get in the ring with me in Ontario, it might be the last time you see it that close. You no, wait a minute. Diesel, are you underestimating Razor Ramon's wrestling ability? I underestimate no man. That's one of my strong points. He matches up physically probably better than any man in the World Wrestling Federation. I'm prepared for a fight, but he has something I want, something I'm fond of. Razor, get ready for the fight of your life. Great, Chico. Right here, Ontario, man. You want to fight? The bad guy, he never walk away from a fight, man. There's nothing I like better. You want to get it on? Come on! Bring it! Ontario, man. Razor Ramon coming to Ontario to take on Shawn Michaels' former bodyguard, and maybe soon again. Oh, but the face-to-faces, they just keep rolling on here on TSN. It's the Quebecers and Johnny Polo. They talk about their upcoming match in Peterborough against the Smoking Guns, and hey, the Smoking Guns are here to rebut. Joining us now, WWF Tag Team Holder Jacques and Pierre, the Quebecers, of course, accompanied by Johnny Polo. On the other hand, you have the challengers for this matchup, Billy and Bart Smoking Gun. Now, Jacques and Pierre, we're just two weeks away from this all-important matchup right here in Peterborough. Now, it seems to me that you are taking the challenge of Smoking Guns a little lightly. Look, they're climbing up the ladder trying to make a name for themselves, and we're sitting on top of the ladder. Plus... <laughs> We're coming home to Canada! <laughs> All right, Billy and Bart, seems to me that they're having a good time. Yes, sir. See, they're having fun, laughing, joking. We'll see how excited they are when they get in the ring, because it's going to be a whole different story. You guys are at the very top of the ladder, but it's a long fall down to the bottom. Billy and Bart, you know, the fans here in Peterborough just love you guys. And they would ask for anything more than for you to become tag team champions. I know that you, Jacques and Pierre, don't appreciate that. Let me ask you something, Ray and Bart and Billy. When we go to the ring, I mean, we're going to have Johnny. But what I want to know, are you going to take your horse with you? <laughs> you know, it I might be surprising. I you, Bart and Billy. <laughs> That's probably one of the reasons we don't bring horses down there, because you couldn't distinguish the three. All right, thank you very much. All right, and it's a trifecta here this week on TSM. We have one more face-to-face. This one may be one of the more unique ones of the time. On one side, we have Bret Hart, but he's coming to Canada to take on Adam Bomb. So Bret Hart here on Face to Face, he's going to have a word with Johnny Polo. And I decided to do it right here on Brett the Hitman Hart's home turf, Canada. And what we're going to do is we're going to show you a little physics lesson there, Brett Hart. Because once he puts you in the Atom Smasher, up you'll go and down you'll stay. 
It's nice to see you got so much confidence. You know, what do I look like? Some kind of slouch, some kind of rookie? You know, because let me tell you something. I know Adam Baum's a big, powerful uh, individual, but the fact is, He's going to go down just like all the rest of them have gone down. Now, wait a minute. Have wait, that you can't even get your legs in him to put the sharpshooter on ability. him. Yeah, he's going to go in the sharpshooter whether he likes it or not. And the fact is, when I got all those screaming Canadians backing me up 100%, well, they're going to be just give me that little extra incentive to wipe out this supposed unbeaten record. And I can promise one thing. He will be beaten. Well, folks, fresh out of time here this week on TSN. So long, everybody. Well, that was definitely unique and fun hearing Bret Hart and Johnny Polo go at it there for just a moment. But we continue on with All-American for October 17th. It's Bobby Heenan and Joe Fowler still here with the company. And we've seen this before. It's always fun. It's an All-American exclusive. This week, Marty Jannetty pins Pat Tanaka with a tombstone pile driver. I think I've seen that finish before, too, between the two. At around the seven-minute mark, this was taped back September 29th in Portland, Maine. Marty Jannetty with a nice, fun TV match over Pat Tanaka. So at least they used Tanaka wisely. First with the kid, and now here with Marty Jannetty, who the Orient Express, well, hell, you can go back to Bad Company. You can go back to Memphis. Tanaka working with Shawn Michaels and Marty Jannetty. They know each other very well. Really good stuff there between the two as we move on to Monday Night Raw, October 18th. Poughkeepsie, New York at the Mid-Hudson Civic Center. Hey, we've been here before, and we are live! pal and we kick things off right away with one of those over-the-top vince mcmahon narrated vignettes and yes there have been a lot of summits throughout the history of the united states there was kennedy and khrushchev nixon and brezhnev reagan and gorbachev but tonight live on monday night raw perhaps the most significant summit in wwf history will take place after months of speculation and accusation the Macho Man, Randy Savage, will finally meet his longtime friend, Crush, face-to-face. Will these two volatile superpowers be able to end their Cold War? Or will their dispute prove irreconcilable and trigger a declaration of war? Unbelievable as Vince McMahon sells the hype here for the Savage Crush Summit coming tonight on Monday Night Raw. Can't wait to get there. But before we do, we kick things off. It is Vince McMahon, Bobby Heenan, and yes, even the Macho Man on commentary as they await the arrival of Crush. Savage says Crush is his friend and he hopes to talk sense into him. Bobby Heenan, though, has a camera crew waiting at the back door for the return of Crush, brother. So we'll see what happens there later in the show. But first, it's the Steiner brothers taking on the team of P.J. Walker and Tony DeVito. But for some odd reason throughout the entire match, Vince McMahon refers to P.J. Walker as Corey Student. So first, P.J. Walker pins IRS. Then we saw him do a pretty quick job to Diesel over in syndication. So you start a question about the future of P.J. Walker here. Maybe not exactly the one, two, three kid. But now, now... After Vince watched P.J. Walker just a matter of weeks ago pin IRS in the middle of the ring, 
Now Vince doesn't even know who he is, referring to him as Corey's student for the entire match. A message to PJ Walker here. Don't expect to push anytime soon, buddy. Scott Steiner with the full Nelson Dragon suplex on Tony DeVito. Rick Steiner, Buzz Sawyer power slam on PJ and a Steiner lighter of death. Damn near knocks Walker out of his boots. And then Scott Steiner tagged in. He grabs PJ Walker. He hooks him, picks him up for a suplex. But no, he looks over. He says, this one's for you, macho man, buddy. And here it is, Steiner screwdriver. Holy shit, poor PJ Walker. We know he lives to fight another day, but holy shit, every time I see this move, the Steiner screwdriver, for those who don't know what it is, first of all, go look it up. Go YouTube that move. And for those who don't, the best way I can describe it also, it's a suplex that you turn into a sit-out tombstone pile driver. Remember the move Owen Hart did that broke Stone Cold's neck? Yeah, that move, but out of a suplex. Nasty, nasty stuff. But the Steiners aren't done yet. It's the Doomsday Bulldog on DeVito that gets to win three minutes, seven seconds. And absolutely no mention that the Quebecers had promised a title shot after Scott beat Pierre here. They just hope the Steiners get another title shot in the near future. Unbelievable. From here, Vince McMahon acknowledges that Jack Tunney has suspended Shawn Michaels, so we get a new 900-number vote line. Yes, send the WWF your money, guys. Because you, you at home, get to vote yes or no if you want to see Shawn Michaels' suspension lifted. And at this point, we get pre-recorded comments from both Diesel, who invites you to vote yes, reinstate the heartbreak kid, and on the other end, it's Mr. Perfect, who asks you to vote no. Let's, let's listen to this nonsense. Hey, vote yes to bring him back. Nobody ever beat him. Vote no, Diesel, because I would have beaten him if it wouldn't have been for you. The man doesn't deserve to be back in the World Wrestling Federation. Hey, he's the most talented wrestler in the WWF. The guy deserves to be back. I don't care how great Shawn Michaels was. He did not fulfill his contracts as the Intercontinental Champion. He had the that- flu. He had a 108-degree temperature. Oh, he was sick? Is that what you're trying to say? Vote no! He wasn't sick. You're just as sick as he is, Diesel. Vote no! Hey, he paid me a good salary. For doing what? Interfering in other people's matches? Hey, he's the champ! Shawn Michaels does not deserve to come back! Vote yes! Vote yes or vote no, but go ahead and vote! (laughs) And those two just yelling back and forth, a bunch of silliness there between the two. We'll learn at the end of the show... Which way the fans voted? Will Shawn Michaels return? Will he not? We'll, we'll find out at the end of the program. But for now, it's back to the ring. IRS taking on Scott Taylor and ooh, Raw Girl Themis Clarities in a nice short white top is the best thing about this match because it's an IRS match. Scott Taylor near fall with a sunset flip as Vince says the kid beat IRS again. Ooh, double diss on PJ Walker this week. First, he doesn't know who he is, and now Vince remembers it being the kid who pinned IRS, but he's quickly corrected on commentary. Oh, no, it wasn't. It was P.J. Walker. He doesn't even know who beat IRS. That's where Vince McMahon is. That's where his head is right now. And throughout the duration of the match, it's a very long IRS chin lock, followed by an abdominal stretch while he uses the ropes for leverage. And finally, we're put out of our misery with the write-off clothesline. IRS gets to win three minutes and 28 seconds. Once again, it's the Double J. That's J-E-double-F-J-A-double-R-E-double-T. Vignette number one airs here on Raw. And back to the ring, the Native American, the undefeated Native American Tatanka, taking on Iron Mike Sharp. This past weekend, we go back to superstars 
and see that confrontation backstage between Tatanka and Ludwig Borga. But back to the action, it's all the basics from the Native American, and the Papoose to go picks up the win on Iron Mike in just three minutes. But this match really all a backdrop for the commentary, which references Radio WWF, and more specifically, the Macho Man's shoot comments on his one-time friend, Hulk Hogan. Now, Savage does add a little work to his shoot here as he says he doesn't want his friendship with Crush to end the way his friendship with Hulk Hogan did. But, well, let's listen to what Randy Savage had to say about Hulk Hogan. Savage, you've been sitting here for the last half hour quiet. You haven't said a word. What's wrong? You were certainly vocal the other night, Saturday night, on WWF radio. You're not talking too much now. I'm just getting ready for a possible face-to-face talk with my buddy Crush. I don't want my friendship with him to go down the drain like it has one time in the past with somebody else, namely Hulk Hogan, like I told everybody on Radio WWF, because, uh, and I'm telling Hogan right now, too, sitting and watching the TV, if he wants to come over here and do it face-to-face right here on Raw, come on down, because I think Hogan's a prima donna, a backstabber, and he's a liar, and he thinks he's the Messiah walking around the face of the earth, and there's only one power, and that's up above, brother, and that's the way that it is. I told everybody on Radio WWF, and I'm just sitting back. Hopefully, I can talk some sense in the crush. Well, hopefully, uh, you can do just that. There has been a great deal of speculation as to what is going to happen with Crusher. Well, I'm worried that Crush has been talking to Hogan, and Hogan's ego is bigger than he is. Well, I'll admit I have talked to Crush. I'll admit I've talked to Crush, and he's not a he's not a happy volcano. I see. Wow, and all right, right here on Raw, they acknowledge Hulk Hogan. He bashes him. Vince McMahon on commentary, so he clearly got the okay to do this. And they're live. Also selling the controversy that Radio WWF might create as well. But the Macho Man laying it straight with with Hulk Hogan, and he just hopes the same thing doesn't happen with his buddy Crush. And it's time once again for the Survivor Series report. This time, Joe Fowler takes over. He once again announces the double main event. But Fowler is interrupted by the arrival of Crush. Crush has arrived to the building. Crush meets Heenan at the back door, and he's clearly rocking a new look. Crush coming in, looking evil, looking mean. He's got that heel goatee going. That can't be good for the Macho Man, those heel goatees. But Crush is here, so the Savage Crush Summit will take place before the end of Raw tonight. But back to the ring first, it's Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna Vachon taking on Dennis Diamond. This week, it's the Slingshot Splash by Bam Bam Bigelow from the apron back into the ring. Gets the win in just three minutes. Bigelow continues a random arsenal of moves to put away his opponents in recent weeks, showing he can put you away ten different ways if he wants to. He's just that bad. Once again, Vince McMahon asks the question, should Shawn Michaels' suspension be lifted? You can vote yes or no now, but you got to pay to vote, guys. That's the catch here. And once again, we get a Diesel promo, a very corny Diesel promos, Kevin Nash channels his inner comedian as he asks you to vote yes to lift the suspension of Shawn Michaels or to vote no to prevent Shawn Michaels from returning. But Diesel gives the same number for both yes and no, both being lift the suspension. Slick move there by Diesel. We go back to the ring. Bobby Heenan standing in the ring with microphone in hand and he brings him out. He calls him out, brother. It is time for the Savage Crush Summit and Crush to the ring. But he's not alone. Oh, shit. He has Mr. Fuji 
by his side. And as Crush gets in the ring, he begins to speak. He says, at one time, Randy Savage was Crush's best friend, brother. Brother. Macho's word was like gold. As Crush and Savage rode up and down the roads together, Crush did everything, inside and outside the ring, Savage told him to do. But when the student surpassed the teacher, brother, and became his superior, Randy couldn't handle that. Bobby Heenan on the mic instigates and agrees with Crush, and Crush thinks Bobby Heenan and not Mr. Fuji, but Master Fuji. Remember, throwback to Demolition Crush, Master Fuji. Crush thanks Heenan and Fuji for helping him see the light. Crush claims that Randy Savage told him to challenge Yokozuna, knowing full well that Crush had a bad back after that body slam challenge on the Intrepid. Supposedly, Savage told Crush not to worry that Savage had Crush's back to prevent outside interference, but what did Macho Man do? He sat there on his butt and watched as Crush took four bonsai drops before finally pulling him out of the ring. Bobby Heenan continues to instigate. He asks, why didn't Savage pull you up after one or two bonsai drops? Why four? That could have ended any other man's career. A normal man couldn't have handled four bonsai drops like Crush did. Crush says there's only one answer, brother. Savage wanted Crush out of the WWF. The Macho Man even made sure Crush went back home to Hawaii, followed him all the way to the airport just to make sure he left. Savage only called Crush twice, says the big man, just to make sure he wasn't coming back to the WWF. But then Crush says that Master Fuji made a call and made a little more sense to him. In fact, it made all the sense in the world. So Crush puts the Macho Man on notice. He warns Macho Man to stay out of his way, stay out of his life, and stay out of his business. Finally, and I was wondering, why is Savage sitting at the announce desk? This was supposed to be a summit. It turned into a Crush promo, but finally, Savage has heard enough. He's up from the announce desk and into the ring. And the Macho Man tells Crush he's making a big mistake, brother. Savage openly admits that he himself has made a million mistakes in his lifetime, but Crush is making a big one here, aligning himself with the likes of Mr. Fuji. Savage tosses his glasses off his face and tells Crush to look me in the eyes. He calls Bobby Heenan an agitator, Fuji a parasite, and together they're nothing but garbage. Savage says that he and Crush are friends, and they can hash this out in private. They can get away from the trash in the ring and go talk this out backstage. They can make things happen. The Macho Man merely asks for a chance to talk to Crush, and if he's wrong, he'll admit that he's wrong. Savage asks Crush man-to-man to shake his hand and go somewhere and let's talk this out. Crush says, no way, brother, it's just too late. Nobody cares anymore. The people don't care about Crush anymore. But Savage says he's wrong. These people love Crush. Just shake my hand. Macho Man looking for a Mega Powers handshake perhaps here? Lots of evil heel Crush faces as he thinks this thing over. Heenan telling Crush not to do it, but Crush tells Heenan to shut up, brother. And he shoves Bobby away. Crush thinks and thinks and thinks a little more. And finally... Yes, yes, he shakes the hand of the Macho Man. So Crush shakes the hand of the Macho Man, but I've seen this before. I've seen this type of situation before. Savage, though, raises Crush's hand, and Bobby Heenan and Fuji exit the ring as the Macho Man holds the ropes open 
for Crush to exit, and holy shit, Crush leaves the ring calmly. He didn't turn. I wrote, what the fuck? That was what was going through my mind back in 1993. That seemed like a a surefire turn. He was going to shake his hand and clobber him. He was going to raise his hand and clobber him. He was going to attack the Macho Man as he exited the ring. But no, Crush leaves calmly with the Macho Man. I thought to myself all those years ago, why did they even bother to bring Mr. Fuji into this? But then I calmed down. Well, that's, that's kind of cool that two grown men could just go backstage and talk things out. And Oh, wait, what is this, Crush? Short clothesline savage in the aisle way. Beats him down to the ground and then presses him up in the air, drops the macho man, throat first across the guardrail, and Savage legit shoot, bites his tongue, lacerates his tongue on the bump as he's dropped down chin first across the top of the guardrail. So for anyone curious, where did all that blood come from? Was that capsule blood? No, that was the macho man actually biting down on his tongue, lacerating his tongue, and then from there, well, you saw the damage that that did. And oh shit, out come the troops, a shit-eating grin Jim Cornette, followed by Yokozuna behind him. And as Yoko gets to ringside, he and Crush bow to one another, and then both men bow to Mr. Fuji. This was all a setup. As Crush, once again, more beat down on Randy Savage on the floor, sends him into the ring post, and then presses him into the ring. Once inside the ring, Crush with a thrust kick drops the Macho Man and drags him to the corner for the Bonsai Drop! Yokozuna Bonsai Drop on the Macho Man. Yoko tries for a second Bonsai, but we have more than a half a dozen officials out there to pull Savage out of the ring. Hey, where were these officials when Crush was getting four Bonsais? I have to wonder. But that's neither here nor there right now. Crush has made the ultimate heel turn on his best friend, the Macho Man. So big angle here, but I got to play devil's advocate just for a minute. So the angle itself tonight, well done by all involved. Even Crush, which is saying a lot. And I thought it was a brilliant idea to have Bobby Heenan basically play the speaking part for Mr. Fuji in instigating and agitating the situation while in the ring. And I love that they didn't do the turn in the ring. It made you second guess everything you knew about wrestling turns when they waited until they got halfway up the aisle. I kept waiting for Crush to do the turn way back in 93. I've already pointed that out. When Savage opened the ropes, no, he still didn't turn. When they first started up the aisle, still didn't turn. I said, well, this is it. Wow, this is really weird, but it doesn't look like he's turning, at least this week. I was almost ready to believe, holy shit, Savage's promo actually worked, at least for the short term, and boom! The turn at the last split second. Really good stuff. Really good delivery here from everyone involved. However... My biggest issue with this entire thing then, and it may be forgotten over time, so I absolutely want to stress this here. Savage and Crush were never acknowledged as friends until this angle went down. And then all of a sudden, they were best friends forever, uh uh-huh, BFFs. And now, this was true. Savage, this has been documented. Savage and Crush were friends in real life. The WWF actually wanted to do something with Crush. He wasn't getting over as the babyface like they had hoped, so they wanted to turn him heel and have him work a big program to get him over as a top heel, and I'm sure largely because of his size. And that's when the Macho Man stepped in, volunteered in order to help his friend get over. Savage volunteered to work a program with Crush here, but maybe also the Macho Man did it to get himself back in the action, back in the ring as well. Now, the only long-term issue here moving forward is, let's be honest, it's Crush 
And not the most charismatic guy in the world, nor the greatest worker or seller in the ring. So let's remember, and then the bell ring. But for now, job well done, great angle. The only thing that really caused me to question anything at this point was this random out of nowhere, best friends forever friendship between the Macho Man and Crush, which again was never acknowledged until the night of the Raw and the Bonsai Drops. Maybe not even after, maybe they didn't even stress how deep the friendship went until after the incident with Yokozuna and Crush. I'm not really sure, but another question I had at this point in time right here when this happened was, why is Crush against Macho Man, but now he aligns himself with Yokozuna, the man who tried to take Crush out of professional wrestling? That's another question you got to ask, but again, we go back to it's professional wrestling and why ask why, but nevertheless, at the end of the day, Crush, the newest man to turn heel here in the WWF, we'll have to see how that works at least for the next couple months here in 1993. And we close out Raw. It's the results of the Shawn Michaels 900 number. And it appears only 36% of the fans voted yes, that Shawn Michaels should be reinstated. The other 64% voted no. So as of now, Shawn Michaels will not return to the ring. However, should he ever return to the WWF ring, I bet anyone who paid money for this 900 line was pissed off. And to break kayfabe for you guys who don't know, Shawn Michaels already on the books to return to the WWF. As we move on to WWF Superstars, October 23rd, taped September 28th, Worcester, Massachusetts. It's Vince McMahon and Jerry Lawler, but no macho man this week. He's selling the attack from Crush on Raw, which Lawler has a big laugh at the expense of the macho man. He even moves over to the right side of Vince McMahon, usually where the macho man stands, and says, oh yeah, you want a Slim Jim? Kind of funny there by Jerry the King Lawler as he mocks the Macho Man in his absence here this week on Superstars. We go to the ring, and it's Doink the Clown. That's Matt Bourne, Doink the Clown, taking on Barry Horowitz. Once again, Doink on his trike. Might have been a scooter there. I missed it. As the entry of the Gladiator Circus music once again plays, Doink to the ring, and he takes a little bow, but Barry Horowitz grabs Doink by his jacket and shoves the jacket over the top ahead of Doink, blinding the clown. But as Horowitz throws punches, Doink keeps ducking them. Horowitz misses every single punch while Doink is blinded by his own coat. Great stuff there. As Vince McMahon claims he has X-ray vision. Doink takes over on Horowitz. Excellent mat wrestling, as you might imagine. Belly-to-belly suplex and the whoopee cushion. Gets the win three minutes and 27 seconds. And still an evil smile at the end of the match. During his exit, it's still inside, guys. Doink the Clown. He may be a baby face, but there's still something, something down there deep, and I love it. And while this episode aired October 23rd, this was taped September 28th, Matt Watch with Matt Bourne will continue. And as of right now, hey, October 23rd, Matt Bourne has made it. He's one week away, one week shy of his debut in the crowd here in the WWF. He debuted way back on Halloween, October 31st on Superstars 1992. We go back. To update with Gorilla Monsoon, he talks about the All-Americans versus the Foreign Fanatics once again this week. This time he also speaks of the Family Feud match and announces that Ray Combs will be part of the Survivor Series festivities when the Hart Brothers take on Jerry Lawler and his Knights. And as part of this update segment, we get a heel promo from Jim Cornette and his crew of Foreign Fanatics. Ludwig Borga, he doesn't care about the Steiners or Tatanka. He just wants next loser. Lex Luger, says Ludwig Borga. 
And before we end the update segment, it's Bret Hart talking about his matchup in the Survivor Series. Jerry Lawler, you're going to bring some knights to the Survivor Series, and you're actually going to have the guts to step in the ring with myself and three of my brothers in what's going to be called the Family Feud. Jerry Lawler, I hate your guts. My brothers hate your guts, and you are going to pay dearly in the Survivor Series for every single thing you've ever said about my family. We're going to give whole new meaning to the word heart attack. Excellent stuff by the hitman there. Never lets me down. It's back to the ring as Bastion Booger taking on Raymond Roy, or is that Roy Raymond, or is it Ray Roy? Whatever the case may be, Booger already in the ring with food smashed all over his face. He nails the Karachi Crunch on the outside into the post a power slam, and a trip to the back cave. Booger with a quick win, 1 minute and 57 seconds, as we're off to face-to-face. And over on the Peacock, it's the Quebecers and Johnny Polo talking face-to-face with one of their upcoming challengers, the Smoking Guns. The Smoking Guns! That's right, they are definitely a factor. We're going to bring in right now the Smoking Guns and our WWF Tag Team Champions, the Quebecers, Jacques Pierre, and their manager, Johnny Polo. And you guys have to be, you have to have an eye on the smoking guns. Look, They're- I got to admit, there's a lot of great tag teams out there. I mean, from medium rare to men in submission, the Weiner <laughs> brothers who we beat for the titles. And yeah, the smoking guns, they're tough, they're rugged, they look like a Marlboro ad, but still, they're rugged cowpokes. I'll tell you what, when we come to the ring, we're ready to jock and roll. And remember, these guys are P- uh, Pierre to draw it. Too. <laughs> uh, You're too much. Okay, well, you know, Billy and Bart, they're, they're obviously having a little fun at your expense, but that's, that's quite all right. A lot of people don't know a lot about you, and that might be to your advantage. Exactly. You know, they, you go ahead, guys. Sit there and laugh and joke and take it real lightly. But remember, when you meet us in the squared circle, it won't be under Quebec rules. It'll be under American rules. And remember, when you got your first shot at the WWF titles, you won them. And when we get our shot at the WWF titles, lightning might strike twice. Uh, You're telling me that uh, you're going to have that nice smile on your face after the match? Exactly. Maybe you'll be missing a few teeth, though. (laughs) That's okay, though. Hey, let me tell you something. Is that Billy or Bart Bart Billy? Billy? (laughs) Anyway, listen to me, guys. I'm going to tell you something. There's a morale where we come from, and it goes like this. There is men like us that are in the parade. There is men like Joe something that looks at the parade go by. And then there's men like you, Billy and Bart, that don't even know there's a parade. Yeah! <laughs> Look, you guys are rugged and you're tough. But you're no Quebecers. We took the belts from the Steiners and we're going to keep them as long as we want to. Vive le Quebec! <laughs> and I love it, a little Jacques and roll there. I like that. I'm going to have to steal that somehow. I don't know. I don't know how I'm going to utilize that, but I'm going to use that. Shock and roll. And did you also catch in there when they said that men on a mission weigh a combined weight of 722 pounds? You got to figure Mabel's around that 500-pound mark, right? Are you telling me Mo is 222? I don't know. Something doesn't sound right there. But it's more face-to-face this time. They're talking Nassau Coliseum, October 29th. It's Razor Ramon and Mr. Perfect scheduled to take on Diesel and IRS as part of that card. We're going to hear from all four. Joining me now on Face to Face, four very good reasons to come to the Nassau Coliseum this Friday to see the Supercard. Diesel and Erwin R. Scheister taking on Razor Ramon and Mr. Perfect. Razor Ramon with the Intercontinental title. Now, Erwin R. Scheister, I'll start with you. There's a little history between 
perfect razor and diesel at the Nassau Coliseum. Now you're entering into this mix. Look into these eyes, Mr. Perfect and Razor Ramon. Do I look like some kind of fool? I think not. And I'll tell you why. This man gave you 18 stitches in the Nassau Coliseum last time, Razor Ramon. But now it's my turn because nobody embarrasses me on worldwide television. Except me. Except me, Chico. <laughs> yeah, you got beat one, two, three at Raw. You say you want a piece of the bad guy? You had your shot in the Battle Royal. Who threw you out? <laughs> Razor Ramon. Hey, big man. Hey, who threw Diesel out? Mr. Perfect. <laughs> hey, all that talk, hey, it's gonna end this Friday night. Perfecto, the bad guy, we're gonna settle this score. I don't think so, do you, Diesel? Yeah, last time I left you both laying like a couple of punks. Yeah. You know what? We got up. We when, got up. And now it's IRS and Diesel does an audit in Nassau Coliseum. <laughs> Get ready to pay the penalties. Diesel, you're going down. IRS, you shouldn't be hanging around with trash because you're going to get thrown out with it. This team right here is perfect. Here's the Intercontinental Champion. This is perfect. perfect. You beat right. this and you beat right. that. Perfect target. All right, and the babyface is having a little fun there because Razor eliminated IRS and Mr. Perfect eliminated Diesel both in the Intercontinental Battle Royal. As we move on, it's Todd Pettengill. Now doing the match voiceovers is next week on Raw. We learn that Ludwig Borga will take on the undefeated Native American Tatanka. Wow, what a huge match here as part of November's sweeps. But as we continue on, it's IRS in the ring with Ken Garrison. And immediately IRS refers to ring announcer Bill Dunn as a tax cheat, of all things. While Jerry Lawler uses this match to trash the Hart brothers, especially Bruce, he says that everybody in the Hart family hates Bruce so much that Stu and Helen actually hired someone else to play Bruce for their home movies. I had to LOL at that one, guys. I'm sorry. IRS with the abdominal stretch using the ropes for leverage. Then it's the chin lock and the write-off clothesline. Gets the win in 2 minutes and 30 seconds. Why bother? More wrestling action. It's Smoky Mountain Tag Team Champions Rock and Roll Express. Ricky Morton, Robert Gibson taking on the team of Richie Rich and Arn Armstrong again on the Chiron Flex Armstrong. I don't know what that's about. But in the intro, Jerry Lawler said that the Rock and Roll Express better wrestle better than they look. Lawler also refers to the Express as the oldest teenagers. He says they knew Buddy Holly personally. This almost feels like this was a directive from Vince to trash the Rock and Roll Express by referencing their age. And once again on commentary, Vince reminds us this is a non-sanctioned match. The Smoky Mountain titles are not on the line. We even get an insert promo from Jim Cornette and the Heavenly Bodies here. Meanwhile, the rock and roll's in the ring, moving nicely. Fun seeing an old Midnight Express rock and roll express spot here worked in as Gibson dives onto the top turnbuckle to save Ricky Morton from being thrown into the corner. But when the job guys try the same thing, Morton changes gears and sends the job guy into another turnbuckle. Then Gibson, of course, comes over and kicks the other job guy who was laying across the top turnbuckle. I always loved that spot when the Midnights and Rock and Rolls did it. But here it's the double dropkick on Armstrong gets the win. Two minutes and 52 seconds as we move on. It's double J vignette number two. This time Jeff Jarrett outside of Buddy Lee Attractions, the number one talent agency in the world. Take it away, double J. <laughs> oh, double J here again. That's J-E-double-F-J-A-double-R-E. Double T. Told you folks you're going to be hearing a lot from me next couple of weeks. You know, I was telling you about 
the corrupt politics in the country music business, about the wrongdoings in the country music industry. Well, I'm here today at the King Daddy, the Emperor, the Godfather of them all, Buddy Lee Attractions. That's right. Buddy Lee is the premier, the number one talent agency in the world today. But it looks like old Buddy won't give Double J a break, won't give a local boy, a Music City native, a break. I guess you gotta be from California, or New York City, or Oklahoma, or, or Texas, Austin, Texas, Willie Nelson. You know him. What is he, about 95 years old? Oh my lord, the greasiest hair you ever seen, decrepit. You know old Buddy Lee, he made old Willie a lot of money. Oh, makes me sick to my stomach. He's a red-headed stranger. He's a stranger, all right, a stranger to music. Can't carry a tune in a bucket. Can't sing a lick, unlike myself. The greatest voice in this town today. The greatest singer in the world today. And not only the greatest singer, but the greatest wrestler. And I'm going to prove it to you, Undertaker. <laughs> I'm going to prove it to you, Mr. Perfect. And you Steiner boys, yeah, I like things in double. I'm going to prove it to you at the same time that I am the greatest wrestler in the world today. And when I'm done, and when I'm finished using the WWF, I'm going to come back here to Music Row. I'm going to come back here to Buddy Lee Attractions. And Buddy Lee himself is going to walk out that door, this door right here. No, he's not going to walk. He's going to crawl on his hands and knees. And he's going to beg. And he's going to plead. And he's going to say, please, Double J, please sign the dotted line because he wants to tell the world, he wants to tell Nashville, he wants to tell all the country music business that he signed. <laughs> double J, that's J-E-double-F, J-A-double-R-E-double-T, double J, Jeff Jarrett. And all right, so a few things here. First of all, Jeff Jarrett now getting his name spelled across the bottom of the screen as he spells it verbally to us at home. But hey, one thing at a time. And this, this absolutely blew my mind at the 180 Jeff Jarrett has done from the babyface I knew from his time in ESPN and the Aftermags to this asshole dickhead over the last couple of weeks. This is the same guy. Yes, it looks like Jeff Jarrett. It sounds like Jeff Jarrett, but I never knew him to be such a dick. But here it is. Jeff Jarrett doing a great job with this new character. And a fun note, guys, by the way, Buddy Lee here, the Buddy Lee Attractions, that was a real place, don't get me wrong, but Buddy Lee actually started out as a professional wrestler, went on to marry the fabulous Moolah for a little while. They trained a bunch of the original Moolah troupe together. Buddy Lee even promoted women's wrestling before leaving Moolah for Rita Cortez and the, the rest is history. Buddy Lee went on to make oodles and oodles of money with tons of music acts as well as other attractions around the world. So Buddy Lee did well for himself after the fabulous Moolah. Well, maybe while he was with her too. And you'll also notice that thus far, we'll see a trend with this. Jeff Jarrett, for most of these vignettes, he's on the outside of these museums, out on the outside of these Buddy Lee attraction buildings. There's a good reason for that. They weren't given a permit. They were never given an okay to enter. They simply showed up, plopped down, cut the promo with the camera as fast as they could right out of the van and took off before they were cited or questioned about it. Now, sometimes it worked. Sometimes it didn't. That's just how WWF production worked, especially when Bruce Pritchard was in charge. Bruce admits that it's always better to ask for forgiveness than it is for permission. So they would go and do these shoots as fast as possible before they were asked to leave the premises. Fun note there about these double J vignettes. 
And we're back to the ring. It's our first look at Diesel on Superstars as he takes on Ralph Mosca. Diesel now shinier tire tracks on this singlet this week. A little more chrome looking, if you will. As we see once again the gunt wrench throw, more like a jackknife powerbomb to me in essence, but he'll figure it out along the way. Meanwhile, it's a side slam, a short arm clothesline. Diesel then picks up Mosca and lays him down in a backbreaker over his knee, but stretches him out. And this is where it works with a guy this size. The guy's a guy the size of Diesel, if you pick a guy up and drop him across your knee in a backbreaker and push down on his chin, push down on his thigh, it looks like you're actually breaking his back. Great looking move here for a guy like Kevin Nash. And then it's the big boot and the boom, punch to the face, KO punch. And Diesel picks up the win two minutes and 34 seconds. Off to the Survivor Series report, two more matches added to the pay-per-view. We already know of the two main events. Well, Two more matches, guys, including the team of Bam Bam Bigelow, the Head Shrinkers, and Bastion Booger making it to pay-per-view as they take on the team of four doinks? What is that about as Bam Bam Bigelow and his team respond to the announcement of four doinks? Wow. Can't wait till we get to the Survivor Series. The other match, oh, this one had me salivating, guys. It's the team of Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon teaming with Mr. Perfect. Marty Jannetty and the one, two, three kid. Are you kidding me? Four of the best talents in the entire promotion right now teaming up? Oh, somebody call the hotline. They'll be taking on the team of IRS, Diesel, the model Rick Martell, and Adam Bomb. A real hodgepodge there. We know IRS feuding with Razor Ramon. We know Mr. Perfect feuding with Diesel. The model just had recent issues as well with Razor Ramon over the Intercontinental title. Adam Bomb, he's just kind of there, but. I'm glad he makes the pay-per-view as well. Wow, what a team. The Razor, Hennig, Janetti, and the Kid. Ooh. But the action continues. It is Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon taking on Tony DeVito. I wrote, hmm, how did Razor get the belt on September 28th, when this was taped, if the Raw doesn't air until October 11th? Interesting how things work sometimes, huh, guys? But it is Ramon with the back superplex and the Razor's Edge picking up the win. Three minutes and 21 seconds, and it already begins. Hey, we've got to have a reason for that eight-man tag upcoming at the Survivor Series. So as soon as Razor picks up the win, he's surrounded at ringside by the likes of Adam Bomb, Diesel, IRS, and Rick Martell as they surround the ring. Razor looks like he might be in a little trouble, but out comes the kid. Marty Jannetty and Mr. Perfect, they all rush out, slide in the ring to even the odds. The baby faces call the heels out. Get in the ring, but the officials hold the bad guys back as Razor Ramon and company celebrate in the ring. What a cool-looking team this is. And we move on to -to face-to-face on the Peacock. It's Jim Cornette and the Heavenly Bodies talking to the Rock and Roll Express. Welcome back. We're going to get you back to the action in just a segment. I want to take a quick time out to bring you up to date on something that's very unique. How do I explain this? This is kind of a, a tag team traveling rivalry a tag team rivalry that was born in the smoky mountain wrestling and it's kind of crisscrossing the country right now it might crisscross your own city let me bring in jim Cornette and the heavenly bodies and on the other side of face to face the rock and roll express now jim Cornette, folks that watch world wrestling federation are kind of amused by the fact that you have a thorn in your side yeah, I'm kind of amused by the fact that you've got a job, Joe Fowler. Let me tell you something else. This thing wasn't born in Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Me and a Rock and Roll Express, this thing started a long time ago. It's been almost 10 years. Ricky Morton and Robert Gibson have been a thorn in my side with every tag team I've ever managed, from the Midnight Express on through to the Heavenly Bodies. 
We have been across this country from the Superdome in New Orleans, Louisiana, to the Forum in Los Angeles, to Miami Beach and the Orange Bowl, everywhere in this country. The Rock and Roll Express have met Jim Cornette's tag teams. And every time that Cornette's teams have had an advantage, the Rock and Roll Express have been right there to tear them down. But by the same token, every time, Rock and Roll, that you've won a title, then my guys have been right there to knock you off. And I guarantee you this. Yeah, shut your mouth, Ricky Morton. I guarantee okay. you this. You have followed us to the World Wrestling Federation, the only place that we haven't taken this thing, but I can't think of a better place to finally finish it, and that's what we intend to do. Let me tell you something, Jimmy Cornette. Don't be surprised, baby, because wherever you go, it don't matter, brother. WWF or wherever, rock and roll will be there. That's like you said before, Jimmy Cornette. You were right there because your team was the one that the Rock and Roll Express took these titles off of. Now, like Robert says, we will follow you to Japan, Canada. It don't matter. Wherever you go, Jimmy Cornette, we are going to be there after you. Now, your heavenly bodies, you have managed a lot of different teams. They are the best tag team that you ever managed. That's and we're right. going to prove to you exactly one more time, right. Jimmy Cornette, that the Rock and Roll Express is the better team. Yeah, you may be the Smoky <laughs> Mountain Tag Me Team too. Champions. But I'll tell you yeah. something, two of the oldest uh, teenagers alive. Yeah. Well, you man. may be the champions, but we rule Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Yeah. I just right. Won't you smile for me one more time, Jimmy Del Rey? I can't right. believe the jealousy of you having to follow us to the WWF to try and undermine the fact that we're going to become the world tag team champions. But let me just tell you something. There's only two things that don't last long, and that's dogs and chase cars and the Rock and Roll Express. They're trying to come after us. Rock yeah. and Roll will never die, baby. It's solid gold. Like so bring it on. We're right here. It don't matter where it's going to take Stop place running. at. We will oh, be right boy, there, Jimmy Cornette. Come after us. Let me just wants. explain That's one right. thing to everybody. Rock and Roll Express, I've done it before and I'll do it again. I mean right. to see your demise. Yeah. And I mean to see the heavenly bodies in responsible world. The WWF yeah. wherever. Come on. Wow, I don't know how many times we were to have ever gotten a face-to-face with the heavenly bodies and the rock and rolls. But I'm happy that it aired here on the Peacock. Of course, Joe Fowler there <laughs> didn't do himself any favors. A, you could call this feud a tag team traveling rivalry. What the fuck is that, Joe Fowler? A tag team traveling rivalry. And I love near the uh, end of the promo, Ricky Morton asking Jimmy Del Rey to smile. I wrote LOL. <laughs> Obviously, Jimmy Del Rey missing a tooth in the front. And I also love the name dropping of the Midnight Express. This may be the only time I can remember the words Midnight Express uttered here, at least in this era of the WWF, of course, we know the new Midnights are on down the road a bit over the ways. I don't want to think about them right now, nor possibly ever. But we're not done yet. It's more face-to-face. This Friday night in the Nassau Coliseum, it all comes to a head. October 29th in New York, it is Ludwig Borga and Lex Luger. Let's hear their final comments heading into their big match this Friday night. Only a matter of days now, Lex Luger and Ludwig Borga will meet in the ring. And Lex Luger, Nassau Coliseum this Friday night is going to be rocking. It's going to be electric. You're going to have a lot of fans, a lot of support for you there. It's been a long, long wait, the World Wrestling Federation, for a lot of the top competitors to get you, Mr. Borga, in the ring. We've listened to your garbage spew out of your mouth about America this, America that. Nothing but disparaging remarks about myself. But now we're We'll see if the Helsinki powerhouse has as much to go with his mouth. And if he can back it up in the ring, and I'm going to clean up that garbage right there in Nassau Coliseum this Friday night, Ludwig. 
Well, one thing you have right, Lex Luger. You're going to clean up the garbage because you are the garbage driver of America. And America is full with garbage, which I am not one of them. And this Friday night in the stinking Nassau Coliseum in the Rotten Apple, I'm going to show all Americans what their hero is all about. Because when I'm through with you, Lex Luger, not only is your hero role played up, I'm going to destroy your wrestling career. Well, you're going to find out, Nassau Coliseum, what made it America's all about. When you hear the chants USA, you see the colors red, white, and blue. You're going to find out, Lubit Borka, what made in America is all about. You're going to find out what the top competition in the World Wrestling Federation is all about. This Friday night, right there in Nassau Coliseum. Okay, and as we close out this episode of Superstars, once again, next week, it's the Battle of the Unbeatens as Tatanka takes on Ludwig Borga. And let's hear from the Hellraiser from Helsinki. Tatanka, next week we're going to meet right here. And you being an undefeated and a Native American that really represents all Americans. And that's why I'm not just going to beat you. I'm going to end your career. Well, last week we saw a little tete-a-tete back in the dressing room area. Next week, they're going to go one-on-one right here on WWF Superstar. Borga looking to take pleasure in defeating the undefeated Native American. I, I find it comical that this is the battle of the unbeatens because Ludwig Borga has been jobbing to Lex Luger at every single house show for the past month, though that's not acknowledged here. Now, Tatanka, to my knowledge right now at this point, really truly has only suffered one loss, and that loss was to Jerry Lawler down in the USWA. So technically in a WWF ring, Tatanka is undefeated. Though as a WWF character, he did suffer a pinfall loss down in Memphis. But here, he has more claim to being unbeaten than Ludwig Borga does, I'll tell you that much. But we go on, it's WWF Mania for October 23rd. Todd Pettengill all by himself, of course the Macho Man outselling the injuries from Monday Night Raw, so we move on to Wrestling Challenge October 24th, taped September 29th, Portland, Maine, at the Exposition Building. It's Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan on commentary. As Ludwig Borga rushes the ring, we don't even get his opponent's name. Borga shoves Mike McGurk to the side and picks his opponent up in a double-handed choke in the air and and drops him down. From there, it's the side slam and then tosses the job guy up into the air and down into a gut punch. Before applying the torture rack for the win, Ludwig Borga gets the win here. Two minutes, 32 seconds. As we move on to Special Repulse with Alfred Hayes, he talks a little more about the Survivor Series, talks about the All-Americans and the Foreign Fanatics. We hear a promo from the All-Americans. Scott Steiner says, this time there will be no Quebec Providence rules at the Survivor Series. Providence rules. Hmm, interesting. And as I stood there looking at Lex Luger, the Steiners, and Tatanka standing there all together, I wrote, The only thing missing from this picture was Sting. If you substituted Tatanka out for Sting, you'd have an all-time ultimate WCW team here for this Survivor Series here in 1993. From there, Alfred Hayes also talks more about the Hart family taking on Lawler and his Knights. We get another promo from Bret Hart. It's the same one from Superstars talking about his brothers and Bret Hart in the Survivor Series. As we move along, it's the Smoking Guns taking on the team of Barry Hardy and Burt Centeno and bang, bang, bang. Yep, the Smoking Guns still rocking the Cap Guns. Barry Hardy trips over a drop down early on, then he can't take a clothesline bump over the top rope. 
a rough night for Barry Hardy to begin things as the guns with a double Russian, well, I forgot, a double Ukrainian leg sweep here this week here on the grenade. And the revolver pile driver on Centeno gets the win three minutes and 11 seconds. I wrote, this match felt like forever. Nothing even wrong here. It's just so bland. The characters are one-dimensional. Cowboys, hee-haw. They feud with nobody. They beat nobody. They're filler in a barely-there tag team division. Uh, to top all of that off, the gun's not really over. And again, they work okay. It's just boring. And you can't even blame Vince for coming up with this gimmick, guys, because Billy and Bart, they were doing this gimmick down in Florida for Eddie Mansfield first. So they brought this up to the WWF. And it's time for face-to-face as we hear from the teams of the new Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon and Mr. Perfect. They'll be taking on Diesel and IRS this Friday night at the Nassau Coliseum. Let's listen to both teams. With me now on Face to Face, Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon and Mr. Perfect. They will team up against the very dangerous Diesel and Erwin R. Scheister, IRS. Now, when we left you guys yesterday here on Fox 5, they were talking more like this was going to be a a back alley brawl instead of just a wrestling match. Uh, (laughs) Razor Ramon, it seems to be headed in that direction. Hey, Joe, it's already been there, man. And there's nothing I like better. Yeah, Big Man, last time, 18 stitches. Blood to my waist, man. Yeah, you left me laying. Perfecto comes clean's house. Yeah, you left us both laying. But Chico, we got up. (laughs) And we're going to keep getting up. Tell him. I'm going to tell you right now, Diesel IRS, Mr. Perfect will do anything he has to do to win. You forced me into a corner. Diesel, I've had it up to here with you, and IRS, you stuck your nose in the wrong man's business. I guarantee you that. Well, I'll tell you this. This Friday night in the Nassau Coliseum, Razor, you should be real happy because you can't lose your title in this in this tag match. But I'm going to tell you what, you're going to find out what the steel briefcase feels like right across that stinking ugly face of yours because you embarrass me and nobody gets away with that. Yeah, except me. Except me. You know, talk is cheap, man. This Friday night, you're right. It ain't going to be no wrestling match. It's going to be a fight. And Perfecto and the bad guy are going to take you out. You punks are going down. (laughs) And Razor references last time in New York, he got 18 stitches in the head, courtesy of Diesel. So they get to play that up here as we go back to the ring. It's Adam Bomb with new manager Harvey Whippleman taking on Mike Davis. And as the bell sounds for the match, we get the big boom. The bomb explosion goes off right before the match starts on the video wall. Pretty cool new touch. I don't think they keep this very long, but I liked it here. Adam Bomb actually picks up the win here just with a top rope clothesline. One minute and 29 seconds, but post-match, Whippleman wants more, and Adam Bomb lays Mike Davis out with the Adam Smasher Powerbomb. And as Bomb wipes out his opponent for this week, we begin to hear cheers. Who is coming down to the ring? It's the Giant Gonzalez? And here he is, the Giant Gonzalez, dressed in his best 1950s greaser garb. He's wearing jeans, a white t-shirt, in a Fonzie leather jacket. Eee. Giant Gonzalez waves to the fans before entering the ring. Jim Ross even comments, what's he doing? Why even at a parade? As Giant Gonzalez enters the ring, Harvey and Bomb bail to the floor, but Adam Bomb has words pointing his finger up at the Giant Gonzalez, but they won't get back in the ring. The Giant raises his hands as the people once again cheer. 
They're cheering for the giant Gonzalez. As Harvey Whippleman and Adam Bomb leave ringside, I wrote, Holy shit! Are we going to get a Gonzalez and Bomb feud? No, guys, don't worry. This actually marks the very end of the giant Gonzalez in the WWF, this segment right here, until he pops back up versus Nails in New Japan. Yes, the giant Gonzalez versus Nails in New Japan. That actually happened. 1994 G1 Climax. Google it. It's every bit as bad as you can imagine. And I'll be the absolute first here to admit that I must have missed this episode of Challenge back in 93. I've never seen this segment before. For years, I had assumed his last night, Gonzalez's last night with the company, was the Intercontinental Battle Royal. Before I found this information several years ago. But once again, I'd forgotten all about it. So by the time this happened here, when I was taking notes for these episodes, I was like, holy shit, what the hell's going on? And then total culture shock as the giant Gonzalez does a throwback to the 1950s. Interesting attire there. But I guess you can't be completely picky when you're seven feet, seven inches. My question is how many cows had to be killed for that leather jacket? Unbelievable. And as the giant leaves the ring, he's getting a big loud pop. He actually got a hell of a response here. And Jim Ross questions on commentary. He can't believe the fans are cheering for the Giant Gonzalez. Typically, an announcer never questions when a heel turns face and they're being cheered. We saw that with Doink. Vince and Macho Man opened Doink's turn with welcome arms like they'd loved him all along. Here, Jim Ross questioning why the fans would cheer the Giant Gonzalez. I felt like by the time post-production they edited in the commentary, they already knew Gonzalez was gone from the company. And so Ross didn't necessarily bury Gonzalez, but he didn't really put him over either. But could you imagine those matches? As awful as the giant Gonzalez was, a green atom bomb as his opponent? Woo, that's scary. But we roll on. It's the King's Court. And this week, Jerry Lawler's guests are Johnny Polo and tag team champion the Quebecers. Lawler says he has no respect for people from Canada because it's the home of the Hart family. But he has found a couple of Canadians he has respect for. The WWF tag team champions the Quebecers. Lawler references the Quebecers fighting all of the top contenders, including Horowitz and Reno Riggins. They talk about Riggins being ill and being substituted by the ringer 1-2-3 kid, and somehow the Quebecers still manage to retain the titles. Polo says as soon as Reno is healthy, that Riggins and Horowitz can get another shot at the belts. What a great guy. What a swell guy that Johnny Polo is. Polo also says the Steiners will eventually get their title rematch, but there's so many teams in line in front of them. Jacques Rougeau says next in line for a tag team title shot are the Macho Man and the Macho Midget. Polo adds in the team of Paul Bearer and Owen Hart. Wow, what randomness. And then out of nowhere, what's that sound? Oh yeah! Men on a mission and Oscar interrupt Johnny Polo and the Quebecers. Oscar wraps his way to the King's Court. To which Lawler says, this is the King's Court, not Soul Train. As Oscar wraps a challenge to the Quebecers for a title shot, Polo and the Quebecers huddle while the King tries to translate the rap. Polo finally accepts the challenge, but says they don't want to be rude. There are other teams in line ahead of men on a mission. So again, I ask, when did the tag team champion, any champion, begin selecting their challengers? None of this makes any sense to me. It's funny, but it doesn't make any sense from a wrestling standpoint. From there, Oscar says, instead of the song, We're Not the Mounties, it should be, We're Not the Fighting Champions. Well, that fell flat, Oscar. 
Polo is upset, and finally, he's goaded into it once again. He accepts the challenge, though Jacques Rougeau argues with Polo, who says, wait a minute, wait a minute, we haven't agreed to anything yet. Oscar says, if the Quebecers are really fighting champions, let's do it right here next week on Wrestling Challenge. Finally, Polo calms Jacques down, and the Quebecers agree to put the belts up next week. It's the Quebecers versus Men on a Mission right here on TV, which just happens to start Sweeps Week. Go figure. And it's back to the ring. It's Mr. Perfect taking on Scott Taylor. Taylor surprising Hennig early with a dropkick, but he pays for it. It's Mr. Perfect back with a knee lift and a rolling neck snap. And then we've seen this a thousand times throughout the history of Mr. Perfect's career in the WWF. He would walk over the ropes, grab the rope, the top rope with his right hand, and his opponent would kick his leg out from under him. Hennig would take that backflip bump, selling the leg being kicked out from under him, right? Well, we see it in reverse here as Scott Taylor walks over the rope, grabs the rope, and I, could, I saw it coming, but I couldn't believe that it was coming. Hennig kicks the leg out from under Scott Taylor. Yes, he kicks his leg out of his leg, and Scott Taylor takes the backflip bump. I wrote awesome here as Hennig basically has a job guy that he sees potential in, clearly in Scott Taylor, the future Scotty Too Hottie, and gives him this spot, gives him his own spot. So really cool stuff there, but it is the perfect plex that picks up the win in one minute and 56 seconds as we go on to Double J vignette number two here on Wrestling Challenge at Buddy Lee Attractions. And back to the ring is Tatanka, the undefeated for now Native American Tatanka, taking on Dwayne Gill. And on commentary, Jim Ross says that Tatanka's chops remind me of Chief J Strongbow. Bobby Heenan said, yeah, chops were Chief J's specialty. Veal, pork, and lamb. And it's the Papoose to go that gets the win. One minute and 49 seconds. Quick one this week, thankfully. As we go on to Survivor Series report with Joe Fowler, once again, we learn of the first four matches announced for the Survivor Series pay-per-view. And it's back to the action. Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna taking on Jerry Seavey. And this week, it's the Inzagiri or the Ghetto Blaster. For you old schoolers out there, Bam Bam Bigelow picks with the win with the Ghetto Blaster. In one minute and 31 seconds, Bigelow been on a mission lately. Obviously angry from the doink situation, using random moves for quick finishes, the slingshot splash, the senton, and now the enzigiri. And this will continue. As we close out the show, it's face-to-face. Talking about the Nassau Coliseum this Friday night, October 29th, Jerry Lawler talks about his upcoming match with Brett the Hitman Hart. The big event is this Friday night, and joining me now on Face to Face, the undisputed king of the WWF, Jerry Lawler. We spoke with you last week, you and Bret Hart, the Hitman Hart, but you've requested uh, solo time here, and we're going to give you that opportunity. The days are, are very short now. Oh, that's right. We're counting them down. The days, the hours, the minutes, until this Friday night at Nassau Coliseum, right here in New York City, the big rotten apple. (laughs) <laughs> How does it feel for all of you people here living in New York City to know deep down inside that you're all a bunch of losers just like Brett the Hitman Hart, huh? How does it feel to know that the Yankees, <laughs> they choked, they got right down to the wire and they choked big time, didn't they? <laughs> but the Mets, <laughs> they didn't even have to choke. They were the biggest embarrassment in sports. Losing over 100 games? <laughs> that reminds me of Brett the Hitman's Hart, one's lost record. Well, let me tell you something. There's going to be another big L chalked up in that lost column for you this Friday night. Brent the Hitman Hart. 
The only man I know that's got more oil in his hair than I got in my car. I can't wait to get my hands on you. I go, I hope. I'm praying. I'm, I'm just, I'm dreaming of the look on your wrinkled up old mother's face and your, your imbecilic father's face. Stu Hart, I want him sitting right at ringside, Brett. I want him sitting right there looking up into the ring as I take you. I want to get my hands around that scrawny little neck and squeeze until your eyeballs pop out. And then I'm going to look down at your mother and father and they're going to know who the undisputed king is. <laughs> Lawler having a little local fun there. The Yankees choked. The Mets lost all those games. And Bret Hart, he has more oil in his hair than Lawler has in his car. As we move on to All-American for October 24th, it's Bobby Heenan and Joe Fowler. This week's All-American exclusive, another fun one, taped September 28th, Wooster Mass. It's the model Rick Martell defeating Rocket Owen Hart on a countout in 8 minutes and 25 seconds after Owen took a bump to the floor. Martell distracted the referee while Jerry Lawler ran to ringside and rammed Owen face first into the steel ring post, causing the countout win for the model there. So even here on All-American, they're working in little small angles between the Hart family and Jerry Lawler. As we move on to WWF Monday Night Raw for October 25th, taped October 18th, Poughkeepsie, New York, Mid-Hudson Civic Center. And with the Macho Man out from last week's injuries, it's Vince McMahon and Bobby Heenan on commentary as we go to the ring and we see the new, and he may argue improved, version of Crush, brother. Along with Master Fuji in his corner, Crush getting ready to take on Phil Apollo. And as the match gets started, it's Crush now sporting the Kona Crush look, if you know what I'm talking about. It's the purple, black, and silver singlet, the Silver and black face paint. Cool looking stuff, but no music yet. And probably for the best. Crush, Kona Crush, never really had the most exciting of uh, wrestling themes. However, as the match gets going, Phil Apollo tries his best to take on Crush as he throws some punches Crush's way, but Crush catches his fists and begins to crush, squeeze the hands of Phil Apollo, earning the name Crush. Lots of generic striking from the newly turned heel and Crush with some choking, gouging at the face, and a shitty-ass-looking spin kick that does not resemble an American ninja, if you catch my drift. But Crush picks Phil Apollo up over his head into the ultimate warrior press, even drops him behind his head down to the mat, and then it's time for the old head vice, the cranium crunch. Crush gets the win, 2 minutes and 47 seconds. The entire match, Bobby Heenan on commentary, just mocking the injuries of the Macho Man, most specifically the tongue laceration as Heenan can tell you to talk like this as he mocks the Macho Man and this will go on all night long. As for the match, I wrote boring and bland and I really hope Crush steps up his arsenal here in the upcoming weeks because that was not good. And it's not saying Crush had the greatest repertoire to begin with, but that was even watered down here this week and the only positive I can really say about this is he has a pretty cool look, I think, and also... After what Crush did to Savage last week, it seems to be getting over with the fans. He's getting quite a bit of heel heat here, at least this week on Raw as we move on. It's a random promo from Johnny Polo in the back. What's he here to talk about? He comments on the upcoming match between Marty Jannetty and the 1-2-3 Kid. That match is next. I wrote, Johnny Polo comments on Jannetty and the Kid for whatever reason. Polo says he's a manager and even he can beat either of those two. Why, Johnny Polo could tie both hands behind his back and beat a Marty Jannetty or a 1-2-3 kid because 
They're a couple of losers. I wrote, well, that was random and, and weird. As we go to the ring, it is babyface versus babyface. We saw this match before on All-American, and this is Marty Jannetty versus the one 2 3 Kid Part 2. And at this point, we already know both of these guys will team up together as part of Razor Ramon's team at the Survivor Series as we get a feeling-out process to start the match. Kid works a hammerlock, but Jannetty backflips out of it. More countering from both guys. Leapfrogs from both guys ends up in a double kip-up and a stalemate. As the kid takes over with a side headlock, Janetti escapes again, but the kid with a victory roll for another near fall, and then a spin kick again for a two count. The kid on top, he goes for a Hurricane Rana, but Janetti counters with a powerbomb. And both guys are down momentarily as Johnny Polo comes to ringside. What's going on out here? We have to ponder as we go into a commercial break. And back from break, Marty Janetti goes to hit the ropes, but Johnny Polo trips him up, and the kid takes advantage and covers Marty Jannetty. One, two, Jannetty kicks out. The announcers even question, has the kid aligned himself with Johnny Polo? As the one, two, three kid takes over with those educated feet in the corner, some snap leg drops, but the kid goes up top and misses a top rope somersault senton. Marty Jannetty takes advantage and makes a cover, but only gets a count of two, and the kid back up, and now it's his turn to run off the ropes, but he too is tripped up from Johnny Polo. Now we really need to know what the hell exactly is going on here with Johnny Polo working against both men. Marty briefly hesitates to cover the kid, but hey, turn around is fair play. Marty Gennetti makes the cover after Polo trips up the kid and gets a near fall himself. Gennetti then argues with Johnny Polo as the kid sneaks a schoolboy from behind and gets himself a two count. These guys taking all the advantage in the world here of Johnny Polo being at ringside and He's having a blast because of it. Marty Jannetty gains control of the match. Two suplexes in a row. Marty Jannetty tries for the trifecta, but the kid slides around behind him and a nice bridging German suplex by the one, two, three kid, but only gets a two count there. The kid then accidentally whips Marty Jannetty into the corner into referee Joey Morell. And I should have mentioned this. I know back in the summer, as according to Demelz, Joey Morell is being released from the company. I'm not exactly sure when it took place, but Morella's has been back on TV for at least a few weeks here, if not longer. Nevertheless, Marty Jannetty goes crashing into Joey Morell in the corner. So, yes, the referee is down. We get a ref bump as the kid nails a big spin kick, sends Jannetty through the ropes out to the floor, and the kid off the ropes into a tope con hilo, the somersault suicide dive through the ropes. The only problem is Marty Jannetty wasn't there. Johnny Polo shoves Janetti into the ring post, posting Janetti at the same time the kid goes to dive. The kid misses the dive. Nasty back bump out onto the floor. And it's no wonder the kid had so many nagging injuries over the next several years. What a bump by the one, two, three kid. And Johnny Polo killing two birds with one stone there, shoving Janetti out of the way into the ring post as the kid does the dive. And they're both down on the outside. And wouldn't you know it, the referee, Joey Morella, he comes to at the exact perfect moment, to lay on the count all the way to the count of 10. As both men are counted out in a time of 9 minutes and 39 seconds shown here on TV, match probably went something like 10 minutes altogether, I wrote for the finish, bleh. Post-match though, Johnny Polo laughing at both guys as he begins to leave up the aisle, but he's stopped by Marty Jannetty who nails Polo and drags him back to the ring where both Jannetty and the kid take advantage 
a poor Johnny Polo, and a double super kick by both Janetti and the Kid drops Johnny Polo before they give him the old wishbone split. And it looks like Janetti and the Kid may have got the last laugh there, though no winner. My notes here for this match, a few things about this segment, guys, actually. The, the first of which, I gotta say, Janetti and the Kid, this was actually their second time in the ring going up against one another. Their first match took place on All-American, in which Janetti won on a count out there. Similar finish, only Janetti moving out of the way of the dive, the kid missing, and Janetti taking the countout win. Here it was Polo posting Janetti, both guys out for the double countout. I gotta say that match, though, on All-American, a little more fast-paced, possibly a little shorter, but I think it was the better match on All-American, in my opinion, anyway. Also, this entire Johnny Polo thing with the kid and Janetti came absolutely out of nowhere. I was confused as hell here. Back in 1993, you'd have to imagine this will lead to a match, hopefully, with the Quebecers. I kept waiting for him to come out. It made the most sense, but that's not a given at this point. It just seems like Johnny Polo instigating things, and it was just really weird for the time that Johnny Polo randomly gets involved in this match. It's, he doesn't even manage anyone on the opposing team at the Survivor Series. The Quebecers aren't in that match. Johnny po- Well, Adam Bomb's in the match, but he's with Harvey Whippleman now, so none of this makes any sense to me. And we'll have to see what transpires going forward. As retreated once again to the Double J vignette number two at Buddy Lee Attractions. And it's right back to the ring with Ludwig Borga taking on the future Supernova, Mike Bucci, as poor Nova gets his face clotheslined off right at the start of the match. From there, Borga launches Bucci up into the air, kinda. And Nova comes down right into a gut punch. From there, it's the side slam, a lariat, and the torture rack. We'll get Borga the win three minutes and 43 seconds. And you know, after watching this match and some of the liberties it appeared Borga was taking here, when names are thrown around of wrestlers who may have taken advantage of the job guys just because they could, I've heard Borga's name thrown out more than once. So I'm just saying. Post-match ringside, Bobby Heenan, a quick interview with Ludwig Borga as they shake hands. Heenan brings up the Battle of the Unbeatens this week on Superstars when Tatanka will take on Ludwig Borga. Borga says Tatanka has had a good record for a long time, but it ends at Ludwig Borga. Not only will Borga defeat Tatanka, but he will end his career, and he will end the American dream. Wow, that's a lot. As we go back to the ring, more action with men on a mission. Oscar in their corner, taking on the team of Steve Greenman and Todd Mata. Men on a mission will prepare for their upcoming tag team title shot against the Quebecers this Sunday on Wrestling Challenge. Uncle Mo starts off with a middle rope clothesline, followed by a men on a mission double dropkick on Greenman as Mabel gets about two feet in the air for this particular dropkick. But Mabel makes up for that when he does a little chain wrestling. You heard me right, the 500-pound, nearly 7-foot Mabel with a full Nelson into a go-behind hammerlock. Mata even reverses the hammerlock, and Mabel, proving he can wrestle, counters with a reverse drop toehold. Even ties Mata up in a bit of a surfboard stretch. I wrote, wow, Mabel really trying here in the early days. From there, men on a mission with the hip-hop double elbow drop, followed by the assisted avalanche with Mabel in the corner, and Mabel off the ropes into an inverted running bulldog. On to Mata, and men on a mission get the win in five minutes and 33 seconds, a five-and-a-half-minute men on a mission squash. I gotta say, when I saw the time going in, I was a bit concerned. I'm not going to call this match good, but I feel like it could have been a whole lot worse. And if you see the pattern here, guys, we saw Borga wrestle in the last match. He's wrestling Tatanka this weekend. 
We've seen men on a mission now. They're challenging the Quebecers on Wrestling Challenge. What we're doing here is we're taking Raw and using it to build up this weekend's syndicated shows because sweeps start this weekend. As we move on to the Survivor Series report, Joe Fowler runs down the matches and the rules of the Survivor Series. As we go back to the ring, it's Diesel taking on Dan Dubiel. Vince McMahon on commentary claims Diesel is gunning for the Intercontinental title of Razor Ramon. Isn't everybody at this point the model IRS? We know Shawn Michaels is right around the corner. Diesel here even looking for it. And you have to imagine Adam Baum now with Harvey Whippleman. He's not going to the main event, so he should be gunning for the Intercontinental title as well. Razor has a lot on his hands, but this match, it's about Diesel as the tire track singlet is already replaced in favor of a black singlet to match his pleather pants. Diesel with a nasty gut-wrench powerbomb drops Dubiel on his ass, kind of like Shawn Michaels at WrestleMania 11. And then we see the big boot nearly knocks Dubiel's face off before the knockout punch gets the win. Four minutes and two seconds. A bit of an extended squash for someone like Diesel, but he gets the job done here. And a final hard sell for Sweeps Week as Vince and Bobby Heenan discuss who will win on Superstars. Heenan naturally picks Ludwig Borga, while Vince goes with Tatanka. And next week here on Raw, the smoking gun scheduled to take on Well Done. And Razor Ramon, in a non-title match, thankfully, scheduled to take on Bastion Booger. And Bobby Heenan says Booger will eat Razor for lunch and dinner. Nice touch, Bobby. And Bobby says he can't resist. He's done it all episode one more time, mocking the macho man's lacerated tongue, suffering suck attack as we go off the air. And we move on to WWF Superstars October 30th. Taped September 28th, Wooster Mass. It's Vince McMahon and the Macho... The Macho Man. That's not the Macho Man. That is Jerry the King Lawler dressed in a child-sized Macho Man Randy Savage Halloween costume because it is Halloween weekend after all. It's a bit unsettling, especially knowing what's coming up here in a few weeks with Jerry Lawler, but it's a bit unsettling watching Lawler try to stretch himself into a child-sized Macho Man Halloween costume as they shill their product at the same time mocking the absence of the macho man still selling the injuries at the hands of crush and yokozuna speaking of crush we see highlights from the savage crush summit before we head to the ring it's the smoking guns taking on the executioners who are typically Dwayne gill and barry hardy on commentary jerry lawler picks up where heenan left off on monday night raw continuously mocking the macho man and his his presumed speech impediment at the moment as the guns take over early stereo drop kicks, stereo hip tosses, and stereo body slams. Clear Hardy and Gill from the ring, and then it's the revolver. On one of the executioners, the smoking guns get the easy win. Three minutes and 22 seconds. We go on to update with Gorilla Monsoon. He reminds the youngsters out there to be careful. Trick or treating this weekend. Always look both ways before crossing the street and never eat your candy until your parents have checked it, kids. Good notes there from the Gorilla. And from there, it's Survivor Series talk as we hear a promo from Lex Luger and the Steiner brothers, Tatanka noticeably absent as Luger claims he's off getting ready for his big match with Ludwig Borga. And it's at this point I note, this is at least the third week in a row we've had a Survivor Series report upcoming. An update also has focused on the Survivor Series. They're using two segments to run down the Survivor Series card, which tells me they're either Really worried about how this series is going to do on pay-per-view. Remember, they sold out at the Boston Garden in less than 90 minutes. Or 
they're really stretching to create these update segments at this point because this feels like complete filler, absolutely unnecessary here. As we go back to the ring, it's Bam Bam Bigelow with Luna in his corner taking on Tim McNeeny. But before Bigelow can get to ringside, Doink the Clown appears on the video screen wall. And yes, it is Matt Bourne, guys. Doink taunts Bigelow on the video screen with two buckets. But at the Survivor Series, Doink says he'll have four buckets. That only enrages Bigelow even more as he stomps to the ring. Poor Tim McNeeny. And McNeeny will pay. We don't hear a bell here, but Bigelow just plows through McNeeny and smashes him in the corner with an avalanche splash. Bam Bam Bigelow picks up the win in a mere 40 seconds. Post-match, we see the Royal Magistrator as Lawler uses the veins on Luna's face to draw a roadmap for Vince McMahon leading from his home in Stamford, Connecticut, all the way up to the Boston Garden and Survivor Series. And now it's time for Joe Fowler and face-to-face over on the Peacock. He talks the Survivor Series as we're off to listen to Mr. Perfect and Diesel. And here's another matchup I not only want to talk about, but I want to bring the principals involved in. Erwin R. Scheister will be joined by Diesel, Rick Martell, and Adam Baum. That's a formidable team. They will take on Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon, teamed with Mr. Perfect, Marty Jannetty, and the 1-2-3 kid. Let us now, on Face to Face, bring in Diesel and Mr. Perfect. What a golden opportunity, Mr. Perfect. We know Diesel has crossed your path before, uh, specifically SummerSlam. Yeah, he cost me the Intercontinental Championship belt. Now, Diesel, Survivor Series, you're going to have an opportunity to have Mr. Perfect in the ring. And I'm going to tell you, just as I'm standing here right now, I don't care how big and how strong and how much destruction you've laid down in the World Wrestling Federation. I am what I say I am, and perfection will always prevail. You know, coming out of somebody sitting over there with a Bobby Allison warm-up on, hey, I'm not too worried. Okay, vinyl we'll man, what are you going to go as Halloween, a beanpole? <laughs> if a 320-pound man's a beanpole, so be it. Yeah. You know, perfect, I'm a piece of meat that you're going to choke on, and I don't think I'm going to be there for the Heimlich. We're going to find out, aren't we, huh, Diesel? Big bad Diesel. It's going to be me and you, Survivor Series. You're the man I'm looking for, Diesel, and I can't wait. It's 610-320. I'm real easy to find. Nobody beats Mr. Perfect. Nobody. That includes you. Hey, ha, you're mine, punk. We'll see about that. That's Wednesday night, November 24th. Thanksgiving Eve tradition, the Survivor Series. Oof, some uh, pretty bad one-liners there both ways, guys. But the Nassau Coliseum now behind us, so we're off to New York and Madison Square Garden. As Fowler talks about the upcoming MSG show on November 27th, just a few days after the Survivor Series pay-per-view, it's going to be the Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon defending against Diesel. And now we're going to listen to those two. We bring them now on face-to-face, obviously from separate locations. I don't think we could bring them in the same room. Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon, you love Madison Square Garden. Bad guys all over the place. They love a fight there. This is perfect match for you, the place, and the opponent. You know, Diesel, big man, you're coming into MSG, Chico. This is as high as you can go. Last time, you tried to make a name for yourself. It didn't happen. This time, Razor Ramon bringing all his gold. I know you probably recognize this, Chico. I'm sure you shined it a few times for that other guy. Well, now, 
You want it? All you gotta do is go through the bad guy. You know something, Ramon? Madison Square Garden, an American sports mecca in a city that never sleeps. My town. Let me tell you something there, Chico. What? When you leave the ring that night, you're gonna be uh, about four or five pounds lighter oh, on yeah. your gold. I guarantee you that. Oh, yeah? Talk is cheap, big man. Razor, Razor Ramon, you have rarely had to face someone who has street fighting skills. Normally, they're more technicians. Well, Diesel does bring the street fighting skills to the ring. Yeah. So what? This belt says wrestling champion. You want to wrestle? I wrestle. You want to fight, big man? I like that better. Four weeks away, big brother. Gear up. MSG. My town. It's mine. You go down. It's mine. Big brother. Some fun stuff there by what will come to be not only two members of the clique, but the two guys that really started a huge war when they jumped over to WCW. Think about that. We're at the tail end of 1993, and by the spring, summer of 1996, just two and a half years away, these guys have the power to change the business forever. Crazy, right? As we head back to the ring, it's the Steiner brothers taking on the team of Chris Duffy and Burt Centeno. We get an insert promo from Johnny Polo and the Quebecers as next week here on TV, Rick Steiner will be taking on Jacques Rougeau. They make note of Scott Steiner. He has already beaten Pierre on Monday Night Raw. That was supposed to get the Steiners their title rematch. A lot of good that did them. We'll see if Rick Steiner can do the same next week against Jacques. Meanwhile, in the match, it's Scott Steiner with another Steiner screwdriver on poor Burt Centeno, but it's not over yet. Doomsday Bulldog also on Centeno. And the Steiners pick up the win, 2 minutes, 20 seconds. We continue on more tag team action. It's Jim Cornette and his heavenly bodies taking on the team of Mark Thomas and P.J. Walker. Vince McMahon announces during the match that the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team titles will be on the line at the Survivor Series as the Rock and Roll Express will defend those belts against the heavenly bodies. And we get an insert promo here from the Rock and Roll Express. They talk about the pay-per-view. And I noted it is just absolutely so weird. I can't get over the fact seeing the Rock and Roll Express up in an insert promo corner on WWF Superstars. And it's Jimmy Del Rey with a super kick on Mark Thomas and flings him into the corner, forcing him to make the tag to PJ Walker. From there, Tom Pritchard, middle rope power slam on Walker. Then it's the bodies with a double flapjack and Del Rey with the moonsault body press off the top on PJ. Bodies get the quick win. One minute and 27 seconds as we're off to the Survivor Series report. Joe Fowler talks about the addition of the Smoky Mountain Wrestling Tag Team title match, which we just learned about from Vince McMahon. We also hear from Ray Combs and Family Feud as he talks about the upcoming Family Feud match between the Hart family and Lawler and his Knights. God, I miss Ray Combs. Steve Harvey does a tremendous job. My favorite Family Feud host since Ray Combs, but I grew up on Richard Dawson and then Ray Combs, and I really liked Ray Combs on Family Feud. And it's time, guys, the Battle of the Unbeaten as the Hellraiser from Helsinki, Ludwig Borga, takes on, yes, the undefeated Native American Tatanka. And for years, we talked about this on the TR Shocks the World show in the past with Tom Robinson. Growing up back in the day, Vince McMahon and Pat Patterson on commentary, Vince's famous line, it's pick'em time, Pat Patterson. And he would ask Pat Patterson his choice, who's going to win this match? And we heard not too long ago, on Raw, Vince McMahon tell Randy Savage it was pick'em time, macho man. Well, this week, he tells the king, it's pick'em time to Jerry Lawler. 
Of course, Lawler goes with Ludwig Borga. Vince McMahon sticking with Tatanka, and Tatanka gets control early. Multiple clotheslines seem to rock Borga, but he doesn't go down. Finally, a third clothesline drops Borga, but he pops right up. And Tatanka has a look of shock and disbelief on his face. Great sell job here. I can't believe I'm saying this by Tatanka. Tatanka then with some shoulder tackles, but he can't seem to drop Borga again. Tatanka even with a dropkick and Ludwig does go down to one knee, but he's right back up as Tatanka off the ropes with a running crossbody block. That'll take him down. And Tatanka gets a, well, just about a two count on Ludwig Borga here. Borga right back up again with body shots to the Native American and a stiff knee catches Tatanka coming off the ropes right in the midsection. From there, it's a side slam by Ludwig Borga as Mr. Fuji comes to ringside. Ludwig Borga with a delayed suplex on Tatanka as we head into a commercial break. And back from break, Ludwig Borga works a chin lock. Mr. Fuji at ringside waving the Japanese flag. Tatanka escapes the chin lock not once but twice. The second time on a back suplex, but Borga pops up like he's Taz in ECW. Literally, Tatanka drops Borga, escaping the chin lock, and Borga pops up like a superhuman cyborg. And Tatanka is in disbelief as Borga goes right back at him and locks it back in the chin lock for the third time now. Tatanka eventually breaks free again, unloading with some tomahawk chops, but Borga cuts him off with more body shots. And Ludwig makes the mistake of ramming Tatanka into the corner buckle, and that starts the war dance, guys. Tatanka begins to do the war dance around the ring, but Borga laying in shots, and I love the psychology here, the selling from Tatanka as he's doing the war dance. Borga, every time he nails him, Tatanka goes down to the knee, and he usually pops right back up, but this time he sells it for a second or two before popping up and continuing the dance around the ring. Really good stuff there by both guys. Tatanka really doing, well, his best Tatanka can do to get Borga over here. And as Tatanka comes back with a series of chops, chops, and more chops, Borga cuts him off yet again and tosses Tatanka over the top rope, flings him over the top rope and out to the floor. And at this point, Mr. Fuji distracts referee Danny Davis while Borga goes outside, grabs a steel chair, and blasts it across the back of Tatanka, laying him out flat on his stomach. Borga then rolls Tatanka back inside as Danny Davis misses everything. Borga holds one finger into the air and then puts that one finger down onto the chest of Tatanka. Insult to injury as Ludwig Borga covers the undefeated Native American. One, two, three. Ludwig Borga has beaten Tatanka. 10 minutes and 16 seconds shown here. Match may have won another 30 seconds or so, edited out during the commercial break time period, but Borga has defeated the undefeated Native American. Undefeated no longer is Tatanka, and post-match shenanigans continue when Fuji waves down the aisle. Who's he waving for? It's WWF champion Yokozuna to the ring, and we've seen this before, most recently with the Macho Man, Crush waving him down. Borga bows to Yokozuna and pulls Tatanka feet first into the corner. As Borga holds Tatanka on his side, Yokozuna goes up, and it's a bonsai drop down into the ribcage of the Native American. But he's not done yet. Yokozuna looks for a second bonsai drop. Meanwhile, the camera cuts backstage 
where we see Lex Luger fighting off both members of the Quebecers. Luger finally frees himself and he heads out through the curtains, but then slows down to slap a few fucking hands on his way to the ring. Are you shitting me, Lex? You're slapping hands while you're running out to make the save? If I was Tatanka, I'd be the next one to turn heel. But as Luger jogs down the aisle, he's attacked again from behind by the Quebecers for a second time. But Luger able to fight the tag team champions off once again. He finally hits the ring where he nails both Borga and Yokozuna with some questionable looking blows. But Yoko and Borga sell him anyway. They both take bumps out of the ring as Lex hovers over the body of Tatanka. We head into a commercial break. And back from break, we see Tatanka has been taken out on a stretcher as Vince McMahon explains the whereabouts of the Steiners because they were wrestling here earlier on the show. You have to wonder, where the hell were the Steiners? Well, it appears, according to Vince, that the Steiners were padlocked in their locker room. Lawler quips, they weren't padlocked. They were pushing on a door that was labeled pull. So it winds up being Luger taking on all four members of the Foreign Fanatics there briefly. He got past the Quebecers and he cleared the ring of Borga and Yokozuna did his best to save Tatanka. Now, Yokozuna went up for a second bonsai drop. They never show if it connected or not. As they cut backstage for Lex Luger, and when we come out, Yokozuna's already off the ropes. So it's hard to say if one actually transpired or not. And with Tatanka going out on a stretcher, Jerry Lawler suggests that the Survivor Series eliminations started right here today with Tatanka. And that may be true, King. After nearly two years, the Native Americans' undefeated streak comes to an end. Wow, what a run. This was obviously done to push Borga even further up that ladder to give him the credibility in hopes of getting him over as a top heel. Whether that works, we'll have to wait and see. Tatanka, though, will return to house shows in early December, but won't be back on TV until around mid-December. The funny thing here is, Tatanka is injured at the end of Superstars, the end of the taping, which took place September 28th. It airs here at the end of October, October 30th. He's ruled out of the Survivor Series, which takes place on November 24th. Okay, all of this makes sense so far. Yet somehow Tatanka works the November TV tapings on the 9th and the 10th. Now those matches won't air until mid-December, so if you're watching on TV, that still makes sense. But I have to question, once again, if he's injured here on TV October 30th, and I go to those TV tapings on November 9th and 10th, and I see him work matches, I gotta be questioning. Why is he incapable of wrestling at the Survivor Series on November 24th? Kayfabe, guys. Nevertheless, Tatanka, apparently too injured for the Survivor Series, but he's actually wrestling a week and a half after this angle airs. Funny, isn't it? Oh, that pro wrestling. As we go to more face-to-face, Joe Fowler talks to the Smoking Guns, who are not a part of the Survivor Series pay-per-view, but they'll be scouting all of the other tag teams. We'll also hear from Bam Bam Bigelow, as he talks about the four doinks. When we talk about tag team elimination, let's bring on one right now. Billy and Bart Gunn, the smoking guns. Now, I'll bet you guys will want to watch the matches just to scout the likes of the Quebecers and the head shrinkers. Exactly, Mr. Fowler, because you know, for us to get a shot at the WWF titles, there'll be a team that we'll be watching for sure, and that's the head shrinkers. Because you know, if me and my brother can beat the head shrinkers, then we're right up there to get a shot at the Quebecers, and we'll be watching the Quebecers real close, because me and my brother can't wait to watch Survivor Series on pay-per-view. We'll all be watching it. I want to watch right now the expression on Bam Bam Bigelow's face. 
and oh, Luna Vachon, when we talk about doink, not one, two, but four doinks. You're I so dull, you can't even entertain a doubt. You can bring on Ronald and Bozo and Dick and doink. It makes no difference to us. We're sending them back to the high top. And you, the beast from the east, you will teach them their lessons. This is how I see it, Joey boy. There's four doinks. One humiliated me, but three more will go down. That's four doinks. The beast from the east will get his revenge. The problem that we see is where's Doink coming from? You've got him coming from all angles. Who cares where he comes from? He's through in the WWF. All right, with Survivor Series around the corner on November 24th, the WWF coming back to Madison Square Garden three days later on November 27th, and tag team champion the Quebecers are going to have to defend those titles against the former champion Steiner Brothers in New York City. Let's listen to Johnny Polo. And the Quebecers. Guys, New Yorkers are a tough nut to crack. They, you got to prove to them that you deserve the title. And I'll tell you, a lot of people come up to me and say, they didn't pin the Steiner brothers. Why are they the champions? You know, right now, Joe Fowler, I am so nauseous. And it's not from eating an abundance of Halloween candy. It's from two things. The fans are saying, A, that we didn't beat the Steiners. We didn't win the belts fair and square. Well, those are slanderous lies and innuendo. And I may have to prosecute to the fullest extent of the law. Now, the second thing is, they're saying, when are we going to give them a title match? Like, like we're trying to dodge them. We're trying to run. Well, we were. We were busy. We had prior commitments. And now, finally, we fit them into our schedule. And Madison Square Garden, the Big Apple, that's it. We're giving them their shot. And if they can beat us, well, then they're going to be the world tag team champions. But they're not going to be because we are the number one tag team in the sport today. Let me tell you something, Joe, something before we go any further. All right. I want to congratulate you on your Halloween mask. It looks pretty good. <laughs> you want to know how hot we are? I'm going to tell you how hot we are. Pat Riley from the Knicks is combing his hair like us. <laughs> oh, that was a good response. I like that. I like that. I'm going to tell you something else. Let's face the facts, gentlemen. You say, Joe Fowler, that we don't take the Steiner brothers seriously. What? Well, we took the Steiner brothers seriously since the first time we met him on Monday Night Raw. And this is how seriously we took him. And we're going to take him more seriously this time because we're leaving the Manhattan area with the belts. Steve Lechevet. <laughs> Interesting words there from Polo and his boys as we move on to WWF Mania for October 30th. It's Todd Pettengill, no macho man, as he continues to sell the effects on that attack from Crush and Yokozuna, so let's go off. Hey, let's let's go back to Spotlight, shall we? We haven't we haven't done a Spotlight in quite a while. Let's go to WWF Spotlight for October thirtieth. We got a couple of Survivor Series face to faces here. First, we're going to hear from Johnny Polo and the Quebecers as they talk about their upcoming eight man elimination match at the Survivor Series. Most specifically, their issues with the Steiners. My guests right now on Face to Face. The Quebecers joined by their manager, Johnny Polo. There's Jacques and Pierre. Gentlemen, you have the Steiner brothers to deal with in this Forum Fanatics versus All-American matchup. There's an incentive right there. You know, we're really sick to death of the Steiner brothers. They're running around telling everyone that we did not win these belts fair and square, that it was a fluke, that we cheated, that we did this, that we did that, that it wasn't a clean victory, that we're not qualified to be the champions. Well, let me tell you something. We are, and in fact, Later on in the hour, we're going to prove it against men on a mission, Mo, Mabel, and Oscar Meyer. But let me tell you something. 
Survivor Series, three weeks from this Wednesday night, November 24th, on pay-per-view. It's going to be four on four. The All-Americans versus the Foreign Fanatics. And I'll tell you what, we're going to eliminate them one by one. First, we're going to get rid of Luger, then we're going to get rid of Tatanka, and we're going to be left with the Steiner Brothers. And then, fellas, when it's four on two, we're going to teach you why we are the WWF Tag Team Champions. You know, there's death and there's reality that's hard to face in life. Well, face it, ladies and gentlemen, let it sink in your brains. Because you are looking at the World Wrestling Federation champions. And Steiner's Survivor Series, we're going to take care of you once and for all. All right, and I did say there are two face-to-faces here on Spotlight. And here we're going to go right back. And this time it's Adam Baum, who is now with his new manager, Harvey Whippleman. And on that note, we bring in Adam Baum on face-to-face with his manager, Harvey Whippleman. And Harvey, this is what you were after. You have really taken Adam Baum to the top level now. You have him in the Survivor Series. I think all of America is anxious to see what happens. I told you all along, Adam Baum was going straight to the top. And that means the Survivor Series, Thanksgiving Eve. We've already got the plan worked out with our teammates. First, we get rid of those two pieces of nuclear waste. I'm talking about the one, two, three kid and Marty Jannetty, two punks. Then we have a little fun with a guy that thinks he's perfect. Then he'll find out that he's not. And that leaves Razor Ramon. Razor Ramon. I can see it now. A radiation cloud over the Boston Gardens. And there's nowhere to run. There's nowhere to hide. You will be torn bit by bit, piece by piece by me, Adam Bomb, the master of the Adam Smasher. There's always that opportunity. You're talking four on one. It could be those four against your one, Harvey Whippleman. Wouldn't that be something? First of all, I don't see that happening. But if it did, that would be four individuals that would regret the day they ever laid eyes on Adam Baum. And a new dynamic there for Adam Baum as he's with Harvey Whippleman now. Baum doing a little more talking this week as we move on, though, to Wrestling Challenge. It's our final TVs for the month of October, because it is the final day of October. That's October 31st. Halloween, guys. Show was taped back September 29th. Portland, Maine. Jim Ross and Bobby Heenan on commentary. And silly Halloween nonsense ensues with Bobby Heenan and Pumpkins at the start of the show as we throw to a Savage Crush Summit highlight package. And then it's to the ring for ring announcer Mike McGurk's final episode of WWF-TV. As she introduces the opening match of the day, it's Marty Jannetty taking on Tony DeVito, and the announcers discuss Halloween. JR loves trick-or-treating, while Bobby Heenan says his greatest memory of Halloween was the year he foreclosed on three houses. Good old Bobby. Jannetty, with a super kick, sends DeVito out to the floor and back inside. It's the rocker dropper and flying fist drop. Marty gets the win in just three minutes. More action now with the head shrinkers. Afa in their corner taking on Ralph Mosca and Barry Horowitz. Horowitz starts the match, does okay with Fatu, but Mosca tags in and immediately eats a Fatu super kick and a stiff Samu clothesline. Moments later, it's Fatu with a splash off the top rope onto Mosca. Head shrinkers get the win, 2 minutes, 43 seconds, and it's Joe Fowler and face-to-face. Madison Square Garden, November 27th. It's more from Johnny Polo and the Quebecers as they talk about defending their titles against the Steiners. We talked to the Quebecers yesterday, Jacques Pierre and manager Johnny Polo. 
Well, you know you've got your match with the Steiner brothers. If revenge means anything, and it usually is a factor, then the Steiners have that revenge factor. All I can think about is Madison Square Garden, Madison Square Garden. I mean, the greatest arena in the world. I mean, if the Steiners got any shot of winning their belts back, I mean, our belts, you know, if they got any shot of winning the belts, it's, it's, it's going to be in Madison Square Garden because I know emotions are going to be at a fever pitch. I know the place is going to have signs, Scott Steiner, Rick Steiner. It's going to be pure pandemonium. It's going to be a zoo. And those sadistic New York fans, they want to see us get beat up. I mean, they want to see us get hurt. What kind of people are they? Well, I'll tell you what. They're not going to take the belts because we're far too intelligent. We are an intelligent team. In fact, Dan Reeves of the Giants calls Johnny Polo when he needs advice. I like that. You want to talk about Giants? Let's talk about Giants of Wrestling. Let's talk about a new generation. Everybody looks at the Quebecers now and they say, Wow, oh, why don't you ask the Steiners if they really want to step in the ring with us? No, they don't. It's the promoters all around the world that want to see a rematch, not the Steiners. Well, you got it, Steiners. You walked into that rematch, that revenge you want. Well, you got it. We took you seriously from the first day, and we're going to take you seriously again. We are the World Wrestling Federation champions. And I almost didn't want that face-to-face to end because now we head back to the ring, and it's IRS scheduled to take on Phil Apollo. And Apollo early on takes a nasty bump through the ropes out to the floor. But as he comes back in, Apollo surprises IRS with a slingshot sunset flip for another near fall. We almost have the next PJ Walker on our hands. All that does is piss IRS off. We need to see more of this because no rest holds. IRS goes right into the write-off clothesline and gets the win. Greatest IRS match of all time. One minute, four seconds, no rest holds. And with the match going so short, I'd love to say that Mike Rotunda didn't break a sweat, but I think we all know that's simply not possible. As we continue on with King's Court, it is Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon. Lawler says Razor has all of this newfound gold. The King wants to know if Razor declared that newfound wealth. Lawler says because if not, the IRS will come and collect it from the bad guy. Ramon dares the tax mang IRS to come try and collect from the bad guy. Lawler then runs down Ramon's Survivor Series team. And then on the other end, Lawler puts over the team of IRS, Adam Bomb, the model Rick Martell, and Diesel. Razor then begins to name off his team partners, Marty Jannetty, a former Intercontinental Champion, the 1-2-3 kid. Ramon knows firsthand that the kid can beat anybody. And last but not least, his partner, Perfecto. Mr. Perfect as part of Razor's Survivor Series team. Razor says he notices gold in the king's crown, but there's none around his chubby little waist. Razor admits that some people call Lawler king. Some people call Ramon Razor. Some call him the bad guy. But from now on, everybody calls him champ. Pretty basic promo here from Razor Ramon as we get another Ray Combs promo hyping the family feud match at the Survivor Series, which makes it a perfect time to go to the ring for one of the men involved in that match. It's Rocket Owen Hart taking on Mike Bell as Owen dropkicks Bell over the top rope out to the floor and nails a plancha on the outside. Then back inside, it's a missile dropkick and the Northern Lights suplex. Owen Hart gets the win, 2 minutes, 18 seconds. 
And we're off to show the Royal Rumble video game for Sega Genesis. And who better to model the video game than the model Rick Martell? Yes, we see a video of Rick Martell presumably playing the Royal Rumble video game. Very interesting. As it's time for the Survivor Series report and Joe Fowler, nothing new here. So we go back to the ring and it's time, guys, the tag team titles on the line. The Quebecers with Johnny Polo defending against men on a mission with Oscar in their corner. And Jacques, to begin things, does a little boogaloo moonwalk, if you will. JR calls it the Canadian version. Not a very good job there, Jacques. Jacques and roll, though. Uncle Mo plows over Jacques early. He can't handle the size of Mo. So Jacques tags in Pierre. And now it's Pierre who plows over Mo. So in comes Mabel. Mo tags in Mabel to even the odds, or maybe more than even the odds with Pierre. But the Quebecers are too busy celebrating in the corner, and, and Pierre doesn't realize that Mabel is tagged in. Oh, but now he does an LOL at the face on Quebecer Pierre once he realizes Mabel is in the ring. The Quebecers try several sneak attacks from behind on Mabel that just simply don't work. Jacques even jumps onto the back of Mabel, but Mabel no-sells it as he continues to stalk after Pierre, who jumps out of the ring. Mabel then flings Jacques over his shoulder down to the mat, and the Quebecers roll outside to regroup as we head into a commercial break. Back from break, Pierre back inside the ring, but Mabel throws a dropkick that sends Pierre right back to the floor and tags in Unky Mo. So Uncle Mo back in the ring, so I'm thinking the heat segment of the match is upcoming fairly shortly. Polo and Jacques Rougeau distract the referee and Mabel as Pierre sneak attacks Mo from behind. Told you. The Quebecers then double press Mo into the air, down into a hot shot across the top rope. Jacques backdrops Pierre into a senton on top of Mo, but it only gets a one count. And I can't believe this, but there's a pretty loud Let's Go Mo chant from the crowd here. Unbelievable. And even Mo, more over in 1993 than most of today's shit here in 2022. Just saying. Jacques Rougeau with a cradle pile driver on Mo as the Quebecers set up for the Tower of Quebec. Jacques Rougeau in the corner. Tags in Pierre, very important. Pierre gets the legal tag here and goes up to the top rope for the somersault senton. But Mo sits up. What was he, the Undertaker? Mo sits up out of the way. Pierre misses and down goes Pierre. And to even things up just a little, Mabel rushes in and plows Jacques over, allowing both Quebecers to be down long enough for Mo to make the hot tag to Mabel. So at this point, the legal men, Mabel and Pierre. And you'll see why I keep mentioning that in a minute. Mabel comes in with big backdrops on both Quebecers and then Jacques sent out to the floor. Meanwhile, manager Johnny Polo distracts the referee while Jacques Rougeau grabs hold of Oscar on the floor, threatening Oscar on the outside, which gets the attention of Mabel, who comes out after Jacques and slams him down to the floor on the outside. Mabel with a leg drop on Jacques Rougeau on the outside as the referee makes the count. He gets to nine. Mabel begins to roll Jacques Rougeau back in the ring. I'm not really sure what happened there. It looked as if maybe the referee reached 10, but Pierre tried to get the ref's attention. Mabel was rolling Jacques back inside, who's not even the legal man. And then Mo randomly covers Jacques after an elbow drop, but the referee is busy arguing with Pierre. So Oscar slides into the ring and makes the three count. This is completely convoluted at this point. This entire finish... Holy shit, blowing my mind, and, and we're not even done yet. Referee Earl Hebner then turns around and raises the hands 
of men on a mission. I wrote, what the fuck? I have no idea what just happened here. As Mike McGurk, her final announcement in WWF history is that men on a mission are the winners as a result of a countout. Just over seven minutes of this match shown on TV. Post-match men on a mission with the belts. They hold the belts up high and I'm still confused as they celebrate Mike McGurk says there was a count out involved and I'm, I'm totally, I have no idea. And then Mike McGurk back on the microphone announces that because the result of the match was a count out, the titles do not change hands as the men on a mission tag team seems absolutely confused at the rules. What do you mean? We didn't win the titles as a result of a count out. Are you serious guys? My notes on this one are this. I wrote what in the blue clusterfuck of a finish was that? Jacques clearly tagged Pierre, and Mabel also gets the hot tag. But then Mabel leg drops Jacques on the floor and begins to roll Jacques back in on the count of nine. But let's just say Jacques never rolled back inside. Mabel was still on the floor the entire fucking time, and he's a legal man. So how the fuck did men on a mission win on a countout? Ignore the fact that Pierre was actually the legal man and should have won on the countout. Let's say Jacques was legal, all right? Mabel never got in the ring, so he clearly was counted out. Either way, no matter what, Mabel never got in the ring. He should have been counted out. But then, Men on a Mission announces the winners as a result of a count out, and then somehow, they don't know the rules of the WWF. They don't know the rules of wrestling. They think they won the belts. Or maybe Oscar thought when he counted the three, hey, that counted. I don't know what the fuck was going on here. All kinds of weird shit. And what a way for Mike McGurk to go out. I'm so sorry for you, Mike. But the Quebecers will retain the titles here as a result of a count-out win for Men on a Mission. And we close out this episode of Wrestling Challenge. More face-to-face. Razor Ramon headed to Madison Square Garden to defend his title against Diesel. Let's listen to the bad guy. Razor Ramon, let's bring him in right now. Intercontinental Champion Razor Ramon. And you have signed a deal to take on Diesel. Well, this has got to be very special for you, Razor, because you've been to Madison Square Garden before, but never as the Intercontinental Champion. First time, Joe, and i got to admit, even the bad guy, he's a little bit nervous this time. I'm packing all the gold, Joe. i got gold around my neck. i got gold around my waist. You know, everybody telling me, Razor, you look good in gold. Hey, <laughs> big man, you recognize this? I'm sure you shined it a few times for that other guy. You want it? All you got to do is go through Razor Ramon. Well, as everybody knows, we spoke to both you and Diesel yesterday on Superstars. Wanted to get you back one-on-one today. Diesel, we got the impression that Diesel is also a street fighter, and I think that's common knowledge. That's your forte. You grew up through the streets. He has a little bit of that in his background as well, Razor. You know, he wants to wrestle. I can wrestle. You want to fight? Hey, no problema. There's nothing that people in the garden like better than a good fight. And they know by now that the bad guy can deliver. So, big man, you want me? Don't sing it. Bring it. And Razor Ramon making mention there that Diesel, he's seen the Intercontinental title before he shined it for that other guy. Of course, that other guy will be back here in no time. But for right now, it's Razor dealing with Diesel here. 
coming up at Madison Square Garden as we move on. One final show here in the month of October, and it is All-American for October 31st. Bobby Heenan and Joe Fowler still there. No exclusives this week, so I guess that wraps things up. Five weeks of WWF TV. I can't thank you guys enough for being here with me for the ride. Promotional consideration paid for by the following. Okay, guys, I can't thank you enough for sticking with me for another monster episode of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. I told you we could get through it. Neither snow, nor rain, nor heat, nor gloom. No, that's the Postal Service. Uh, Through hell, fire, and brimstone. No, that's that's gotta be Kane. Well, I'll tell you what, guys. No matter the motto, the Wrestling Memory Grenade is here for you, the fans, the listeners out there as we continue to take a trip down 1993 in the WWF, but we're almost done. Only a few more episodes left. We're going to do November of 93. Then it's the Survivor Series watch-along. That's our final watch-along here in 1993 in the WWF. And of course, we're going to close things out with December of 93 in the World Wrestling Federation. Then we're going to put a nice bow on everything, wrap it all up, and we're going to move on to another place in time, perhaps another promotion. Where we're going next? What era are we going to dive into next? You'll have to wait and see. We'll be making that announcement in two weeks' time as part of the Survivor Series Watch Along episode of the Wrestling Memory Grenade. And we've also got some extra special Virgil promos coming up as part of that Survivor Series Watch Along. But before that, we've got to get through November TV, November news and notes. But what a fun episode this was. A very long, perhaps our longest episode to date was October here. Not only all the news and notes going in, But then from there, based on the way the days fell, five weeks of TV and we got it all done. That's it's five weeks of superstars, wrestling challenge and Monday Night Raw all done, all in the books as we move on. Only two months left in the year of 1993. It doesn't seem like it was all that long ago that we were doing the Royal Rumble watch along. And now here we are heading into the Survivor Series. Wow. Time flies. And I've had a blast with you guys. And I hope you continue to have a blast with me because I'll be back again next week. It's November of 93 in the WWF. And when we return next week, some big news involving the future of Jerry the King Lawler here in the World Wrestling Federation. I think you guys know what I'm getting at. We'll talk about that next week on the show. Also, Shawn Michaels on his way back in. And we know it's not too long before we bid goodbye to Bobby the Brain Heenan as well. And a reminder to follow the Wrestling Memory Grenade, the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. You can head over to Twitter, and you can follow us there at Wrestling Grenade. That's at R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade. Also over on Facebook, follow and like us at Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. Same spelling, R-A-S-S-L-I-N Grenade, Facebook.com slash Wrestling Grenade. So follow us on Twitter, follow and like us on Facebook. And once you do, you're automatically entered into each and every free prize giveaway. Plus, you guys are kept in the loop as to what's going on here and the WrestleCopia Podcast Network. What do we have coming next? Follow us on social media to find out. Also, head over to our YouTube account. Our YouTube channel is youtube.com slash Grenade. Wow, very hard to remember, huh, guys? YouTube.com slash Grenade. I've added over 60 new videos in the last few weeks. Lots of WWF from 1993. Lots of USWA versus the WWF from 1993. And more to come. And we're just a few weeks out of announcing where we're headed next here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. And once we do, you can expect more videos from that time period to be uploaded as well, as well as other random matches and promos I might be watching and saying, hey, that's some good shit, pal. Let's throw that up on YouTube as well. 
So to stay in the loop, subscribe to our YouTube channel. All the latest videos going up there each and every week. And last but not least, I encourage you to please go on over to our Patreon account, patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. That's WrestleCopia. Again, that's patreon.com slash WrestleCopia. We have 14 tiers, 14 levels you can choose from as low as a $1 tier. And all that does is lets us know you're there. Lets us know that you care about the WrestleCopia Podcast Network all the time and effort I put into this thing. Just show me that you're there, guys, by donating that dollar. But there are so many other great tiers you can choose from, from You Pick the Flick, where you guys tell me, Ray Russell, and any of my co-hosts, perhaps Tom Robinson, you'd like to hear. Call the action as we do a watch-along of your choice. But as you guys know by now, my favorite tier, it's the $5 all-access tier. What does that give you? Well, it gives you our Patreon-exclusive watch-along series covering tons of WWF and WCW pay-per-views, Clash of the Champions, Saturday Night's main events, Coliseum home videos, so much there in the Patreon-exclusive watch-along series. Plus, it gives you all the great stuff from the tiers below, including all of my deeply detailed show notes, guys. It's all the show notes from all past episodes of the Wrestling Memory Grenade, as well as Monday Warfare, The Battles Within. And it also gives you early access to any and all shows that we put out that we get done early. Typically, you'll gain access to the Wrestling Memory Grenade several days, if not a week before it launches to anyone else free of charge. And then, of course, the Monday Warfare show. Let me give you an example here. Monday Warfare, I just put up two weeks worth of Monday Warfare early, guys, on Patreon. So at patreon.com slash WrestleCopia, you go there right now, you pay for the $5 all-access tier, you gain access to two weeks in advance of Monday Warfare as we talk about the WWF and WCW, the Raw versus Nitro War, and things are really heating up there. Scott Hall has just debuted in WCW, so this is the perfect time to jump ahead. Get ahead of everyone else, and with no monetary gain, no ads here on the WrestleCopia Podcast Network, things like Patreon are what we need to stay alive. You guys might not think it's very important to throw that dollar or two that you might have laying around in your PayPal account, but it's very crucial to us in order to pay the bills and keep us up and running. So think about that the next time you guys are handing out a couple bucks to some of the other Patreons around town that may not need your money. We need your support here, and I feel like we're giving tons of great content for the price. But for now, it's time to say goodbye. I'll see you guys again next week. So this is Ray Russell saying from pillar to post and coast to coast, you pull the pin and we'll pick up the pieces right here on the Wrestling Memory Grenade. See you next week. Don't miss it. Be there.